This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. Check out. Go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crage. Give me a name. Like Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Craig, alongside, as always, King of Banter, Big Bitch, Joe Lanza. Joe, how's it going? How many weeks in a row are you going to go with the Big Bitch thing? You know, oh, that was I, think, a, I think this is it now. That was I've, a, had uh, fun. I've had my fun. I'm over it now. That, that's an inside joke directed at like five people. And, uh, <laughs> Isn't the entire show an inside joke directed at five people? You know so what? For some you reason, thousands listen to every week. You make, you make a valid point, so I can't really dispute that one. Um, yeah, we, we get very inside baseball around here. But uh, I think you just take way too much pleasure in the big bitch thing. You know, I think that's what it is. It started off as an inside joke to like five people. But I just I just think you really like saying it. I think you've got some pent up aggression towards the Lanza. And uh, yeah, you know, the last couple of weeks, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Rich, you've been very unprofessional, very unprofessional with your with your big glass of water there, you know, Um I may be the big bitch, but you're the big sip. The big sip, Rich Krejci over here, sipping and, and, and gargling and swallowing hard with that big Adam's apple of yours over there. With the uh, is it that bad? Because I hate when I hear other people do it. So I guess now I I really have to <laughs> really have to uh, reconcile my life because like when other people slurp their food and stuff, I get very upset. But uh, maybe it's you know I I, I remove something dumb- built up in me, like you said. It's something you know that I've been repressing for years, and maybe I do it, and I notice that I do it. So I, you know, I go out of my way and, and get mad at it, but, but I, you've told me now and that's good. And now I, I feel like I can move on from this, this moment. I, I bury big sip creature over here. And, and then I realize I, I realize I have gum in my mouth. So I'm like, I'm removing, <laughs> I'm removing the gum from my mouth as I'm telling you to stop sipping on whatever you're sipping on over there. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, a very unprofessional start to the proceedings, uh, this week. Yes, to a normally yeah. professional wrestling podcast here that we're going to. Uh, true. Uh, I have a feeling we, we might have some new listeners this week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Apparently, we have no listeners, according to uh, various people with anime uh, avatars on Twitter. But uh, before we get into the actual um, kind of the big topics we were going to talk about, I did see this one thing today, and this is kind of relevant because it's, it's going on today in the NFL, and I was kind of curious on your thoughts. And it was actually interesting. We had a lot of people uh, on Twitter respond as well, at Voices Wrestling on Twitter. As well as that, I don't know if you saw that, but uh, today because there is so NDC, they do obviously the Thursday night football games. They're usually a train wreck because the teams have not had enough time to like get ready, and the games are always bad or whatever. But this one's actually going to be kind of fun, and and I'm actually going to go on my way to watch some of this as well. It's going on while we're recording it, but I'm going to uh, check it out a little bit because NBC is going to utilize the dual SkyCam system, and the SkyCam system is essentially for anybody that's ever played Madden or, or NCAA football. It's that view. It's the uh, behind the quarterback overhead view and what they're going to do is that's going to be the primary viewing angle for tonight's game uh it's Tennessee Titans and the Pittsburgh Steelers the reason why is because there's fog um that uh you know NBC had to use 
during the Patriots Falcons game last month, they had to use the sky cam as their primary thing again, because there was a bunch of fog and that was the best thing they could do or whatever. Well, they decided, Hey, that looks pretty good. Let's do it again. And, and I thought that's kind of interesting is that now they've sort of said, Hey, we had to do it this one time, but this is a pretty cool angle. Maybe we should go with this for a while. And it actually, in a lot of ways could change how we watch NFL and how we watch football on TV because it might be a complete drastic change where they now decide this is how we're going to shoot football games because people love it. And people did like this a lot. And it got me to think, and I'm kind of curious on your thoughts as well. We talk about all the time, you and I, uh, how especially WWE, but really, you, you know, across the world in a lot of ways. I mean, New Japan is, is, is one of the rare exceptions and, and a lot of Japanese promotions are pretty good about this as well. But we've kind of seen the same sterile, generic what we know is wrestling, the hard cam, the, the cam on the side, the, you know, it, WWE is now does the jump cuts and the shaking of the camera, whatever. And I was kind of curious on your thoughts. So NFL realized and NBC realized, hey, we have this thing that we kind of lucked into and people really like it. And it's a nice little new production that we can do to give people some more view and let people see more of the game. In your, is there anything that you would think that you would let's let's stick with WWE. Let's say WWE decides, hey, Kevin Dunn dies or gets fired or whatever the hell the new guy comes in. What would you like to see them do to kind of change what the appearance of wrestling on TV looks like. Because like you said, it's been like 20 years where it's been exactly the same with like very minor differences here and there. Well, first of all, I think you're a little confused. I hate to blow up your spot, but tonight's game is the Seahawks and the Cardinals. The, uh, the, the new camera angle. Is oh, next not- week, right next week. Yeah, I don't know when that Tennessee Titans game. Uh, it's is. November sixteenth. I see it now. So it's November sixteenth. It's gonna it's gonna happen. Yeah. So next 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 Thursday's game. Uh, they're 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 doing that. So um. So my DVR is filling up with a game that I don't care about at all right now. <laughs> so yes, Seahawks Cardinals. That's I'm not gonna watch that. I'm not watching that shit at all. Because I heard you say that, and I'm thinking to myself because I, I have vested interest in that with you know the Rams actually doing mm-hmm. well this year, and you know the Seahawks. congratulations on that by the way too. Yeah. The, the... Oh, thank you. I've worked very hard, but uh, yeah, it's uh, you know no no, but yeah no no I'm you saying... have you watched a lot of really shitty you know Jeff Fisher years. You, you've earned this, Joe. You watch every game, every down. You've, I, you've earned this one. I remember the last snap of Rams football that I missed. And it was like 12 years ago. I had to go visit someone's, uh, someone's grandmother in the hospital. Um, obviously that's a precedent over a football game. Uh, but that was the last snap that I missed. I mean, yeah, you know, one time I calculated cause I pay for the, the Sunday ticket, like a dope every year. And, uh, I calculated how much I was paying per Rams win over the last decade. <laughs> oh God. And it was some, un- I don't remember the amount, but it was some ungodly amount because my, my, my brother is a lions fan. So, you know, the Stafford years have been slightly better than him, but the Lions aren't exactly NFL royalty either. So we were trying to see who was paying more per win, um, you know, uh, to watch their horrendous teams. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I anyway, um, I knew that that – I was confused because I knew that it was the Seahawks and the Cardinals tonight. But, yeah, next week they'll debut that new camera angle. And that, I think that's going to be a tremendous camera angle. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can see the line play a little bit more. You can see wide receivers a little bit more. The way that we consume football, and, and really it made me think about the way we consume wrestling as well, is a lot of it we we don't get a very good view of it. I mean, we get, like, especially football. I mean, you don't see line play. You don't really see plays developing. You just see quarterback has the ball, and then he just flicks it out of his hand, and then you hope, oh, I, I don't know what's going to happen at the end of this, but I hope one of my guys is open, and then they sort of pan, and then, yeah, a guy's open. Or, yeah, then the guy catches it, and then they sort of go there, and they've sort of stuck with that model forever. And it's like we know from playing video games and people that play video games are like, no, this this is a really cool angle. You can see the whole field. You can see everything developing. You can see line sure. play. You can see linebackers. You can see safeties. You can see you know crossing routes and everything, how it works. And it's gonna. It's, I really hope that this becomes a thing where they just now go, hey, this is a great view. Let's just do this. Let's go with this. Yeah, the behind the offensive line view, it'll allow you to see 
um, running lanes open up for the running backs. It'll allow you to get a, a, a better look at. Um, oh, there's nothing worse than watching a running back. You're like, oh, he's got this. And it's just like, oh, no, never mind. That's not a hole. Yeah. Like, he just ran into a guy. Never mind. I didn't know. Right. Yeah. And, and you'll, you'll be able to, like you said, see passing routes develop and those sorts of things. Um, but, but in terms of uh, what I'd like to see in wrestling, yeah. I mean, we talk about it all the time. There's really no discernible difference between a Monday Night Raw from 2006 and a Monday Night Raw from 2017. I mean, if you if if they showed you a a, a John Cena ring walk from either of those years, you, you'd have a hard time telling me what year it was from. Could be any year over the last what I guess 15 years. Raw just never changes. I mean, it basically looks the same. The production uh, it, it, it has just been stagnant for almost two decades. Um, there's really you can't. Now, this isn't really my forte. I'm not, you know, into video production, things like that. And I'm not a super creative guy in those ways. But I I do remember the first season of the Yellow Rope NXT, uh, the the Daniel Bryan season. Right, right, right. I remember they did some different things with the cameras that year. Just, Just very simple things like lower angles and different angles. And I remember pointing that out to friends like, wow, this is just... And just those small, subtle changes made such a difference because it was such a departure from what we were used to because all other WWE programming is shot the exact same way and has been for almost 20 years. So I don't know what changes I would like to see, um, but I know that I would like to see something different because I, 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 you know, it, it may sound frivolous, but I do think it's a detriment to the product that it's been shot the same way for so long. I do think it hurts the experience at least for people who have been watching for that entire period. Right. No, and I, and I agree as well. And we talk about it all the time with uh, New Japan. There was a great video on YouTube as well where the guy went over um, uh, Showbuckle, I believe, it, and he went over, you know, the different, you know, how the angles and how they work. And, and I think that'd be one thing that I would definitely adopt if I was WWE. I think New Japan does a great job of that, of, of really getting in the ring. And when guys are, you know, writhing in pain or when they're, you know, they, they zoom in. They're real close to the action. WWE has always been sort of hesitant to be that close to the action. I'm sure because Vince and, and, and Don and a bunch of other guys don't want, you know, somebody calling a spot or something like that. But it, that's one thing that I really do is, is get close to the action. Of course, the shaky cam is just horrendous. That, that like, action is happening, so everything must shake is, is, is really bad as well. But there's some other things. Really, for me, one of my bigger things, like you mentioned the low angles and just kind of changing where the hard cam is in some ways might be a big big change and changing where you know the guys that are ringside where they kind of stand or whatever just little stuff like that could go a long way and i think one of the things i've always mentioned as well is the brightness of the show it's just so goddamn bright everything is so lit and just and i like wrestling when it's a little dark i like not you know i kind of like the crowd being kind of in darkness i like you know the the ring being the only thing that's illuminated or whatever whereas now it's like they put the red splash on on the entire crowd the ring is just bright as fuck the ring ropes are bright as hell you got this giant video board and stuff i just think a little bit of darkness goes a long way there's there's a way to go too far in the darkness and that's like lucha underground kind of had that where it was like dirty and stuff like that but i think there's a way to to really reduce some of the the background and, and make the ring really the focus in some ways and, and lighting and, and new Japan did that for power struggle. So if you're looking at sort of a, an example there, they really dim that Osaka crowd or, or dragon gate does a fantastic job of that, where you don't really see what the crowd looks like on a dragon gate show. It's all the lighting on the ring and the lighting that's on the ring. Is not like 
you know, burning of burning your eyes, you know, and, and we talk, I mean, WrestleMania is a perfect example last year where they just had fucking lights going into the crowd for no goddamn reason. And half the crowd couldn't see the ring. Like we had people that, you know, on our staff that were showing us pictures. Yeah. Here's my view. And it's just a, a, a light shining into their faces or whatever. And it's like, you don't need that, but they just like, that's some of the thing, the aesthetic of sort of lighting the crowd and making that look different and, and just everything being big, bold and bright is, is, I don't know. I, I, well, that's, I, that's the other thing with WWE production. It's not just, been the same stage setup and the same uh, camera angles for the last 15 years. It's also been bright primary colors. Red, red. They have used red for 30 uh, years. It, it's, it's, and even SmackDown with the blue, it's like it's always these bright, super bright primary colors. It looks like a children's show. You know, it's um, – you know, uh, the lovely Brittany has some some young children, so I've seen my share of bubble guppies uh, more than you could ever imagine, Rich. I've seen every goddamn <laughs> episode of that fucking show. Uh, I don't know. know if, I don't even know what that is, and I'm glad I don't want to know. So. There's there's people listening to this that know exactly what bubble guppies is. Okay, <laughs> believe me, they know what I'm talking about. I know a little Paw Patrol. I've seen and, some Paw Patrol in my life. Oh, Paw Patrol. That's another guppies. one. Yeah, yeah I don't Patrol. know what this other one you're talking about is. Uh, Paw Patrol, uh, Peppa Pig. Okay, I've had my fill of all of them. <laughs> that's not right? a real one. You made that one up. That's not uh, real. Peppa Pig. Oh, that's real. It's real. <laughs> it's a fucking British pig. With here's what I don't understand about Peppa Pig. Is okay? it a sassy? Is it sassy like all of our uh, Twitter, uh, Twitter, our British Twitter followers? They're, they tend to be a little sassy. So is it? Pe- Peppa is not. Peppa herself is not sassy. That's okay. like the main character, but she's got like a mother and a father and, and a brother. Okay, the father's a little sassy, but but yeah, it's a British pig. And my whole thing is, what's you know, I I'm, I, I, I tell uh, TLB all the time. You know, your daughter's gonna she's gonna grow up with a British accent from watching this Peppa Pig all the time. She's gonna, you know, it, it, there's I, nothing I, wrong with that. Rather than a Southern accent, I'd rather. It's gonna British. be real strange running around Texas with a British accent. <laughs> well, okay, that's what I'm saying. Unique. There's a story right there, uh, instant story every single time. But the point here is, you know, WWE. It's like it's like watching a children's show with these because these bright primary colors that are you know grab the attention. It's designed for children. I mean, that's a children like. You know, um, so, yeah, I think they can they can just dial it down a little bit with the brightness, you know, and then the and the reds and the blues and, 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 and just the the bright whites in your face all of the time. Um, but but really, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be drastic changes. Even so, look at look at WWE CW. When that show was on, it's like what you were talking about. They would turn down the crowd lights, right? And it would, and then only the ring was lit until they, you know, eventually switch paths with that. But in the beginning, it was like you're saying, and it made that show look so, so much different than Raw and SmackDown, you know. Um, so you know, even NXT. I mean, the, the only difference with NXT is that it's in a small studio. It's still shot the same way. Oh no, the camera angles. I mean, the the, the camera angles and everything. It's trained. They're training those Ex- people to eventually yes. come up to the main roster. I mean, the video production people are almost as trained as, as, as the wrestlers are too, where it's like, yeah. no, this is our style and this is how it works. So that I think if, if you want to bring, if one of those people gets hired or whatever, I assume uh, when they first started, I assume they were like students, but I don't know if they are anymore. I'm sure they're WWE production people as well. And they're people, you can tell, I mean, everything is exactly the same. It's got the same washed feeling to it. And every camera angle and every, everything is, is, pretty much the same there's a few little differences maybe they don't do the shake quite as much or whatever but i mean in terms of where the hard cam set where the cuts are how fast the cuts happen all that is pretty much exactly the same and and like you're saying it doesn't have to be dramatic and i think that's the the thing that people we've gotten so used to particularly in wwe where we get so used to how they produce wrestling that even like cuts that take a little bit longer to happen or a longer you know holding onto a longer shot something like that would just 
you would tell immediately that that's different and that it looks different and it feels different or whatever. And that's good. You want something to feel a little bit different. That's why this 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 NFL thing is so cool because it's like we've seen football shot and, and, and done the same way for so long that it's like, oh, cool. Like people are inter- looking forward to this game because it, it's it's just going to be a different view. It's going to be completely different than what we've, we've seen for a while. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it's a total train wreck. But sometimes you try some different different things to do that but WWE has been very hesitant to do that and and wrestling companies in general i mean watch indies and a lot of stuff they sort of follow that model as well and it's sort of trickled down from WWE to, to everywhere else where you see a lot of stuff looks the same and we talk about it a lot where, where europe really kind of changed the game in a lot of ways progress is one that, that jumped off the page immediately for me because they were the way that they shoot the way that the crowd looks the way that their cameras are set up the darkness the 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 spotlights like progress is one that just jumps off your page immediately and you're like i got i gotta watch this like eventually you'll get used to it after after time but the first few times you watch progress it's like this is a whole different presentation of wrestling and that's good it's good we we need different types of production for wrestling you, do you watch a lot do you watch world class on the network at all uh, yeah, yeah. I try to watch almost every time they put up a new episode because World Class is awesome. And now I think they've actually gotten it to the point where you can you can almost watch, what, like two full years or maybe even two or three full years now? Yeah, there's there's a lot up there. But World Class was so ahead of the game production-wise. I mean, you, you watch those World Class episodes, and they're from 82, 83, uh, some of the earliest ones that are, that are on the network right now. And you can find older ones on the internet. On, on the interwebs, Rich, on the internet, you can find older ones, believe it or not. But on the network, I think they start in 82. Uh, and if you compare that to like the Mid-South stuff and the AWA stuff, where World Class was ahead of the game was they'd have their cameramen climb right, right in the ring. Yeah. They, they'd literally be in the ring. So you'd be you know real close to the action and those sorts of things. And uh, they had a lot of different uh, camera angles as opposed to Mid-South where you usually just had that that one hard cam, you know, uh, sort of uh, old school vibe. Um, but but um, one thing that bothers me, and a lot of Pearl promotions do this, is you get that sort of low angle on the mat during pinfalls. But what that does is it always ruins near falls for me because you can see the wrestler being pinned his arm, and it drives me nuts every time, and they give away that they're going to kick out at two. Um, so I think with wrestling, there's also this unique thing where you have to be careful with certain angles and certain mm-hmm. things because we're dealing with a work sport here. So like you mentioned before, maybe guys calling spots, um, you know, little things like that uh, where wrestlers are keeping one eye on the referees so they know when to kick out, uh, maybe exposing, you know, pulled punches and things of that nature. So you got to be careful too. I think, um, I, I don't know if you, if you recall, but when, when WWE first switched to HD, you know, there was mass panic in the company because, number one, everybody wanted to make sure they had all their fake tans in order and, 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 and were looking right aesthetically. But the other thing was they were afraid that, um, you know, a, a lot of, of the uh, action would be would be exposed because uh, it, would it wouldn't look as tight. You know, in HD, it would expose loose work. Um, and, 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 every, and, and there was a short period there where guys were trying to work a little snugger because they were afraid that the HD was going to expose them. So right. mm-hmm. well, there's little things like that to worry about too when it, when it comes to wrestling specifically as opposed – with a real sport, you can do whatever you want. Um, you have no fear of, of th- those sorts of things. But in wrestling, that's a little bit of an added 
you know, hiccup that you do have to be aware of. Yeah, and I put this out on Twitter as well, and then we'll, we'll kind of move on to other topics here. I just thought this was kind of fun to, to explore a little bit. But uh, I put it up on Twitter just to kind of see what other people uh, thought. And there were some actually pretty interesting ones and, and, and similar ones that I would 100% agree with. Uh, our good friend Michael Sempervivi at, at Sempervivi on Twitter, uh, he says, fantastically fun topic to banter. He, uh, he says, multiple camera view options. We heard that from a lot of people where uh, you can sort of direct your own. Like the BCS Championship game does that. A lot of the uh, March Madness games do that. Uh, I know whatever TNT's gimmick is, they have it for the NBA where you can you can say like, oh, I want to be behind the Nuggets backboard. I want to be behind, you know, the Celtics backboard. I want to be on the sidelines. Like you can do those different angles and they have those cameras and you're kind of stuck on there. He says that'd be pretty cool. Um, alternate commentary. Uh, so you'd have, you know, your one main English commentary, but you might have other additional English commentaries. And that means beyond the languages, of course, like, you know, multiple uh, other English ones. Uh, interactive stats or facts, whatever you see that would fit into wrestling. So stuff that kind of overlays and, and comes up as well. Uh, strategic ad placements as well. So maybe different ways to do the ads. Like one thing that I really like, and, and I don't know how much uh, you watch this. I know they're doing a little bit more in, in, in like uh, college football and whatnot, but uh, racing sort of did this for a while, Indy racing and NASCAR, where instead of going away from the action for a, a commercial, they kind of throw the wrestling or they throw the racing up in a corner and it's a small little box while the rest of the ad goes on. But you know that during that commercial break, if something happens, you're going to see it that you'll know what's going on. And then when they come back, you're, you, you feel like you haven't been completely lost. Where wrestling, you know, we talk about it all the time. The guy goes out to the outside, and you're like, oh, here we go. And Michael Cole says, oh, my God, will they be able to return when we come hey, back? You know, and they, then like, Rich, they've been, they've been doing that on uh, SmackDown lately, where they put the commercial on one side of the screen. And yeah, and that's good. They should. That, that's, yeah. a, that's a really cool thing. And I mean, NFL, it, it, NFL's been doing that a little bit this year, mm-hmm. too. Uh, you know, you know what? If when someone gets injured, and normally they go to a commercial while they're carting a the guy off the field, they've been keeping that in a small box. You know, and, and there's really not much going on, but it kind of holds your attention as a viewer more so than if they just put a commercial on the full screen. That's going to guarantee that you're going to get up and walk to the kitchen. Whereas if they do it on a split screen, you know, they, you, you you almost feel compelled to stick with it. But yeah, WWE has has dabbled with that a little bit. Uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, some other ones too. Uh, our good friend Mikey Falcone, uh, Mike versus Philly says, uh, "No commentary option for uh, live live crowd noise as well." So you can just mute yes. the commentary and just hear you the crowd. That, you know what I that think a thousand people. I, everybody would agree with that. That'd be great. Get rid of the commentary. But it, here's it, here, that reminds me of MLB.tv had that. They don't have it anymore. But a few years ago, they had something called. They had three options. You can pick just the regular. Well, four really. You had the home or away television commentary, or you can select the radio. Uh, commentary and they would sync it up to the TV feed. But the the fourth selection was called ballpark yeah. sounds. Mm-hmm. There was no commentary at all. And they would just turn up the, the like the stadium mic and all you would hear is the public address announcer and the fans. And it was great. And I used it all the fucking yeah, time. I did too. I'd love it for basketball too. Basketball is one of the best sports in terms of the noises, the squeaking, the the stuff like that. I mean, I I went to a game once where uh, the the PA system like broke, or there was something going on. It was a Bulls game, so they couldn't play music, they couldn't play videos or whatever, and it was just like, holy shit, this game is awesome. Like you just hear the squeaks, yeah. you hear guys calling stuff out, you hear you know communication on the court. You're like, oh yeah, it is pretty cool that, that it's this way. So no, I'm 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 all in favor of that. I think they're always because if it's an option. Hold on a second now, Rich. What did the fans possibly do without pitbull songs blaring at every time? No, yeah, I can't. My attention is gone. I can't. I don't know what's going on. I've always wondered that, especially with basketball. I'd be so fucking annoyed if, like, I'm trying to call out a screen and there's like some goddamn annoying ass pitbull song just blaring over there. Nobody can hear. It's just like, what are we? Why are we doing this? We have to communicate on this court and like everything's just playing so like, yeah. It was, it was, it was remarkable. I went to a baseball game once where uh, I think it was done on purpose too. It was like a minor league game or whatever, and that's a game too where you don't realize when there's no walk up music when there's 
there's no, you know, charge and all this sort of garbage going on that it's just like, it's a, it's a very relaxing, but it's a very like beautiful. I mean, like, and we know that I don't need to tell yeah. you, you know, this, but the crack of the bat, the, you know, the noise of like the guy going to the dugout and putting his bat in the rack, the ball hitting the glove like this stuff is all really cool and wrestling is the same way that first time you go to a live wrestling show that noise of a guy hitting the mat it's it, it, it's just like oh okay this yeah. is this is yeah. cool this is fun and like that'd be great to hear but you instead you got michael cole blabbering on about nonsense or whatever but no that'd be it's, it's sensory overload you know it's just it has to be sensory overload all the time and it doesn't have to be that way uh some other ones as well they, they mentioned uh, backstage interviewers as well a lot of people mentioned where you know they either actually ask real questions they don't stare off into space they you know and 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 one thing that i would really do is i would do away with a lot of the backstage i don't like the idea that you go backstage i I like the idea of promos being done in the ring uh you know new japan does it to in a pretty good way i think where you know the guys will cut the promo afterwards i think dragon gate does it the best because at least with new japan you have the annoying like guy coming out and challenge thing you know that sort of trope but like a dragon gate post main event thing I, i watch all those promos and like i don't i don't know what they're saying i have no clue but you can't turn away when it's like the guy that just won the main event grabs the mic and the other guys in the ring looking at them, the units are look like I think that's really cool. Whereas you know, American wrestling has sort of went the way of let's have the backstage interviewer go. You know, with with me at this time is you know Cesaro, Cesaro, you just lost to the Miz. How do you feel? And then Cesaro says, Ah, oh, how do I feel? I feel terrible. I just lost to the Miz. Ah, and then you know they stare up in the space for fifteen seconds too long, and then that's it. And we rinse and repeat. We've seen that a thousand times or whatever. So people either want a backstage interviewer that's going to actually ask real questions or to me i would have him go in the ring i would have a lot more i love the idea of like the guy coming up the ramp and and the guy you know the interviewer a guy or girl meeting them at the ramp or whatever so everything is done in front of the crowd because there's nothing worse than than being at a show and having to sit there and watch the tron and then i we always laugh about that too where they do the camera cut where they show people looking at the screen and no one's reacting like there's a they make a joke backstage and they do that that weird pan with the crowd looking at the titan tron and nobody's doing anything because, like, why do you react? I'm not going to react to a fucking screen. Like, Half the people yeah. aren't even looking at it. <laughs> Right, yeah. Or they're just looking at their phone or going to get popcorn. Like, yeah. It, see, those kind of things are never going to change until, until you know, Vince is no longer running things. That's just, you know, he he likes that regimented, everything done the same way. That 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 stuff people are yeah, just... Yeah, and, and indies, indies do that to an extent, too. And I think that they shouldn't either. They should have a lot of stuff be in the ring. But they've sort of become that way as well. A lot of the indies that I watch will do a lot of that backstage stuff. And, and Well, here's and, the thing, Rich. Everybody copies WWE. Exactly. That's what I mean. It's a trickle down. Was, so no, we're, we're not gonna, trying to pick on WWE, but they're the trendsetters. If they decided we're not doing any backstage interviews anymore, in a few years, no indies would ever have backstage interviews anymore. They would right. slowly but surely adopt what WWE does. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on WWE necessarily. I think they're, you know, obviously they, they do have a lot of production issues that, that I think. But, no, we're, we're just saying because what they do, others will follow. So if they change, others will change as well. So. I, I, I was noticing during Bound for Glory, Jeremy Borash must have said the numbers game <laughs> a dozen times. And where do you think he gets that from? Right. And this is a guy who's been a, a wrestling broadcaster for, for, for decades now. And, you know, they're not telling him that no, there's no one in the TNA production truck telling him this. He's picking that up from watching WWE TV. You know, uh, you know, I cringe when I see indie wrestlers talk about championship opportunities, but where are they picking that up? They're picking that up from WWE TV. You know, it's, it's, it's everything they do ends up being copied, whether even not necessarily on purpose. I don't think Jeremy Borash is consciously thinking to himself, I have to say it this way because that's how they say it on Raw. It's just it's embedded into him from watching so many hours sure, of it. Right. And these wrestlers pick up on those on those little ticks as well when they talk about things like championship opportunities and and, and it's just it's it's 
it's it's it's not even conscious all of the time. Uh, sometimes it is, but it, it it isn't even all of the time. Uh, visible promotion, obviously, and 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 that kind of stuff is going to just uh, you know seep down and and trickle down and 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 seep its way everywhere else. Um, but you know, I, I I agree. I just don't know. I don't have specific changes. I just I don't even think they have to be drastic. Anything small, anything subtle will be noticeable. They don't have to completely rip it apart and and and, and reinvent everything they're doing. Although that would be nice too. Um, but I don't know. I think I think we're all beating our heads against the wall for expecting that to come. Oh many sure, times no, absolutely. Soon. No, it's yeah. not. You're not going to see these type of changes until Triple H is running. You know, and even then, right? Because Dunn will be gone. Sure. Dunn will be gone the, the minute that Triple H takes control. Dunn is gone. You know, that next second, Dunn is history, and then yeah, then you. You'll yeah, see. and I think in a lot of ways, Dunn is a scapegoat for a lot of things too. I mean, it, it's just it's it, it's 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 you know, Vince is controlling everything. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think Dunn's out there. Yeah, no, no, for sure. He, he's a conduit to to. I think now he's sort of adopted a lot of stuff, but I think a lot. Of, I mean, Vince at the end of the day, if, if Vince wanted it to, if Vince wanted them to do completely different shots, Dunn would do them in twenty seconds. He he's just a patsy for for Vince. Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see any any sort of uh, sweeping changes to any of this stuff, and, and, and until somebody else is running the show. I mean, this is just this is this guy's vision, and and he likes it the same every week. He likes it the same every hour. He likes it the same every segment, and it's it's just it's not going to change. Uh, yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. I just wanted to kind of chat about that a little bit. I thought it was kind of a fun topic. Um. As well, and then other everybody brought up you know talk like humans too, but we talk about that all the time. That that's again that's something that's never going to change. But uh, yeah, so I thought it was kind of fun topic. So uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes uh, of our show. We got a lot of reviews to get to, a lot of fun stuff going on. We do want to let you know this is an ad free show. And by the way, when we say ad free, because we have a lot of people going like, I heard a Home Depot ad, and like there there are ads that get automatically inserted in the beginning, <laughs> the middle, and the end of our show. We don't control those ads. So when we say ad free show, we mean that Joe and I are not going to be reading an ad. So. Don't save your tweets. We don't need to hear. I heard a Napa Know How commercial in the morning. I know. I understand. We don't control those. those Ace is the place. Yeah, I always get the Napa. I don't know which one do you always get. I always get the Napa Know How one. I get Ace Hardware, and I got to tell you, I don't think there's an Ace Hardware in existence uh, in America <laughs> anymore. I don't know. Oh no, no. Are you kidding? I have like seven around me. There's like like legitimately. I passed three Ace Hardwares before I get to a Home Depot. Well, maybe you should be getting the Ace Hardware. Maybe answer. they're trying to send them to me. Maybe there's some weird thing where they're trying to send them to me. I, I don't know where there's a Napa. Or is there a Napa by you? Because I think maybe you should be getting the Napa ones and I should be getting the, the Ace Hardware ones. Think of it. I see plenty of Napa Auto Parts. I've seen an Ace Hardware since I was 10 years old. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, we have them all around here. So, um, But anyway, ad-free show. So no re- written, uh, you know, ad reads, but we do want to let you know that uh, with the holiday season, of course, coming up, uh, voicewrestling.com slash Amazon, a great place to do all of your shopping. If you're going to shop on Amazon, just go to voicewrestling.com slash Amazon. Same experience, same everything. But we get a little bit back, and this is one of our big seasons. This is a season that really helps us pay for server space, pay for all the other stuff that we go got going on during the year. Uh, helps us out when we're trying to compensate people for the, the, the New Japan ebook that we're doing, of course, uh, again this year as well. So voicewrestling.com slash Amazon. Definitely just do that. If you're, if you're shopping on Amazon, why not? I mean, you're going to get the same exact Amazon thing. Nothing is different. Everything is exactly the same. We just get a little bit back, so it really helps us out. Uh, and also WWE Shop as well, voicewrestling.com slash WWE shop if you're gonna buy any t-shirts or belts or anything like that just go to that link because again we get a little small percentage back and then you know every little bit helps us so uh voice slash amazon and then voice wrestling.com slash derby shop all right well we got a busy week here uh <laughs> thankfully we did not record yesterday because a lot of stuff came out later 
uh, in the day, and uh, it was about Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. So here's uh, from your good friend, TMZ Man, on ProSingSheet.com. says, ProSingSheet has learned that Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn went against a creative directive given to them before SmackDown last night, and we're told it contributed to them being sent home. And multiple sources tell us Sami and Kevin were supposed to, quote, feed for New Day following Zayn versus Kofi Kingston yesterday, but for some reason they did not follow directions and left the ring. So... Uh, uh, the, the, the Owens hit the ring as soon as the match ended and attacked Kofi as planned. However, he and Sammy quickly bailed from the ring. New Day then stand, uh, stood waiting in the ring. Uh, the sound crew didn't play anyone's music, and the sen- uh, segment ended awkwardly when the two wrestlers seemingly went off script by not taking their planned beating afterwards. So that's uh, a processing sheet. Com said. Then we had uh, Dave Meltzer earlier today on the Wrestling Observer boards, and, and as we're recording this, the Observer has not come out yet, so I don't know if he's going to have more details there. Uh, it, it'll probably be out by the time we're recording this. Um, but anyway, this is what he put on the forums, and then we'll kind of uh, give our thoughts here. So this Wrestling Observer forum says that there's a lot of untrue info. For one, the story of Owens being uh, mad on the tour bus after the tapings is inaccurate. That, that came out, too, that like Owens almost got kicked off the tour bus or whatever. He's saying that's not true. He was not even on the bus uh, after the tapings. Uh, the finish of the match was exactly as it was supposed to be, so Meltzer's sort of contradicting set in there. Uh, the post-match is a story that is being told different ways depending on how you hear it, but that is the point of contention. Uh, but that is the thing. Any other stories are not accurate as it pertains to them being sent home. None of this has to do with Neville's or Jimmy Jacobs as well. Uh, and then when someone brought up to uh, Dave that Owens is Zane possibly being back next week, here was his response. This is kind of an interesting response. I think this is what we'll kind of jump off from here. He says, uh, Dave Meltzer on the Observer boards as well, says it's all up to Vince. He's the guy who suspended Titan, uh, Titus for 90 days. Uh, trying to predict his reactions are a waste of time because they're often contradictory and make no sense. Neither is looking to leave. So, Joe, what do you make of this situation? Yeah. So there will be more information that will come out um, after we record this by the time, depending what day people listen to this. Um, they may or may not, they meaning Steen Erico, uh, Owens and, and, and Zane, may or may not have the agents and gone against uh, what they were supposed to do in the post-match. It's unclear. Um, the, 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 the thought for um, I guess was that they were supposed to stay in the ring a little bit longer, take a beating from the new day and get run off. Ed uh, Owens dove in, attacked Kofi after the count of three, grabbed Zane and they took off um, avoiding the uh, post-match, you know, beat down from the new day where, where new day would run them off. Um, Meltzer says that may not necessarily be the case. No one really knows right now as we record this. We can only react and discuss based off what we know right now. If that was the case, that's incredibly unprofessional. Um, You really should just do what you're told. And you should handle any grievances uh, with the booking, you know, in the back with your bosses, not in front of the cameras. And, you know, leaving New Day out to dry, leaving the production people out to dry in terms of, you know, uh, not knowing whether to hit the music or not. All those sorts of things. The television crew, that's unprofessional. You know, they they, essentially, if that's how it went down, they went into business for themselves. Um, You know, there's there's no way around it. With that said, you can kind of see where they're coming from if that's what they did. Um, If that's indeed the way it played out. You've got. They did the big angle at uh, Hell in a Cell. They're the uh, two top heels on the brand. 
regardless of the fact we've been over this a million times, but the fact that gender was champion didn't mean anything. He was working third from the top and all those sorts of things. These guys were the top heels on the brand and they appeared to be on their way to a big push. Now they're being asked to not only put over new day in the match, but then, you know, uh, you know, the, the big thing now is feed for new day, uh, which, which is what everybody's reporting and basically just, you know, get run off by the baby faces. Uh, you know, it's a common thing. Uh, in wrestling and then the heels cower off and take off up the ramp you know we just talked about wwe production you yeah, know they'd you've have seen to, it, you've seen it ten thousand times in your life it's it's i gonna walk backwards up the ramp while right. muttering to themselves as new day celebrates in the ring after fighting them off um you know um and, and they avoided doing that Pro- and, and i could see where they're coming from you know because new day is obviously being uh built up to face the shield returning Roman Reigns at the uh, at, at Survivor Series uh, to presumably put the shield. I can't imagine New Day would win it. No, God, no. I mean, no. In no universe would New no. Day win that match. Yeah, so the idea is to heat up New Day to put over the shield. And, and let's face it, Roman Reigns is scoring the pin in that match. I mean, let's be honest. Um, it's always about Roman Reigns. It's always about uh, putting Roman Reigns over. It's always about trying to get Roman Reigns over. Uh, so the idea was, to, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm Owens and Zayn, I might be saying to myself, well, what does this mean for us? I mean, they're just using us to heat up uh, a babyface team that's going to be fed the Roman Reigns. And, uh, you know, what's our role at Survivor Series? That, you know, the match we were supposed to be in has been changed a thousand times. We don't, we're not in a match here. Uh, we're just, you know, what the fuck? You know, we thought we were in line for big push and we're being used as, as, as you know, basically just, you know, you could put anyone in the position where why, why does this have to be us is probably what they were thinking. Uh, that doesn't excuse them for being unprofessional. Um, but I can see where they were coming from if that's their mindset. And we don't know. Again, this is very – there was also something going around that this could all be an elaborate work and that they can end up being uh, a major part of the Survivor Series show. That could happen whether this is a work or not. Um, I was leaning work for a while, but now I'm not because this is not typically how this company handles like a work shoot sort of thing. Um this is just not how they would, you know, with, uh, it, 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 this would be very odd to me that this would be the setup for a company orchestrated work. Right. They, they tend to be a little bit more on Where, the nose about it. Like there would be a, like a, you know, live reaction from Shane McMahon backstage, you know, like they would sort yeah. of, they would try to co-opt it a little bit more than this, this they're being very hush about it. Everyone's being hush about it. No one's saying, I mean, if it is an elaborate work, kudos to them. Cause they're doing a very good job of it. And I think it'd be a, pretty cool story because there's people mentioned that there is that you know the simmering you know angst between you know daniel bryan and shane mcmahon so it could be a thing where like daniel bryan's like yeah you know what i've been screwed by these guys too or whatever so yeah maybe it's like a daniel bryan sammy's but here's the problem thing but it's we're really working ourselves into shit with that it's it's a pulling it they're pulling back the curtain too much for this to be a work because you're admitting that two wrestlers aren't going along with a script. Right. And that's like that's Russo why. era bullshit. I mean, there was that yes. one. I don't, I don't know if you, I mean, you, you checked out thankfully for a while during the attitude era, but I don't know if you remember, there was a pay-per-view. I got, I'm, I'm forgetting what it was. It was like Kevin Nash, Sid and Scott Steiner, I think where like this, the angle going in was like, nobody wanted a job. And like, that was, that was what they said. Like, like yeah. Nash's like, well, I, I ain't jobbing out there. And like <laughs> Scott Steiner's like, I mean, you'd be damned if I'm going to go out there and job. And, like the whole thing was like, I ain't laying down. I'm not taking the fall. And I'm like, Oh my God. And it was just like, you know, Russo was just like, yes, this is, 
great. And like yeah. nobody cared. It made no sense. And then like somebody laid down. It was like, it was just absolute garbage. But yeah, that's like, that's that era of you're like, oh, well, these guys didn't want to take the fall or whatever. You're then, that curtain is all the way pulled back. And it's like, yeah, obviously K-Fade is, is, is a thing of the past, but they've always reserved yeah, but even some when they of that. Do, I mean, that's way, of that's, that's, that's like, that's so disappointed. Like that, that Russo thing gets still looked at and pointed at as like, how stupid could you possibly be to say that? you know, in a wrestling angle. So that's always been one of the protected parts of, of, of kayfabe is like, yeah, okay. Yeah, everybody knows it, whatever, but let's not go out there and say that guys are intentionally like they're, they know that, you know what I mean? Like that, yeah, that, that's this way, not just company back. Style. Yeah, that's yeah. way beyond what they've ever done before. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they walk that line sometimes, you know, like the, obviously the pipe bomb is, yeah, they'll use opportunities. Like they'll say, I didn't get the opportunities or whatever. You didn't put yeah. me in the position right. to succeed. Right. Ziggler does it all the time. You know, oh, yes. you know, I, I'm out there having the greatest match and you don't put me in a position to succeed. He doesn't say I go out there and I go 50, 50 with, with guys. And you know, and you're asking me the job. He doesn't. Right. Like, yeah. 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 He's, 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 he's walked that back. He, it's always opportunities or, you know, that that's always sort of the word that they use to say, you know, you're not putting me in the right spots or whatever. That That's kind of how, as far as they've ever gone in that direction. Yeah, so I don't get the sense that that uh, you know, as of this recording, that this is any kind of work. I think you know the other sort of things coming out are that they've kind of been a pain in the neck. The two of them um, in the back, uh, some of the wrestlers have found them annoying as of late. Um, now, look, that wouldn't completely buck their career trend. I mean, obviously they had their they had their issues with Jim Cornette in Ring of Honor. No matter which side of of, of those disputes that you that you choose to to stand on. But, uh, but yeah, these are two very driven guys. These are two very talented guys. These are two guys who believe they you know, belong at the top. And um, I could see why they'd be annoyed with the way that that SmackDown episode was laid out and the way that segment was laid out and the way that things were trending for them going into this show. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't excuse unprofessional behavior. I think that... Um, you know, I've 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 learned to treat Twitter a little differently than I used to. Rich, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, I just <laughs> I just say no, I didn't notice, but yeah, go ahead. It's just one of those things where it's look, I look obviously they're, they're, they 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 behave very unprofessionally, but you can you can admit that while also saying that you understand where they're coming from. You know, right. it doesn't yeah, have to yeah, be yeah. black and white. There can be some nuance here, right? Because I, I agree they're unprofessional too. Like like I'm going to come in here and I'm going to defend them a little bit in a bit, but I, completely unprofessional, not what I would do and not how I would handle the situation at all. And obviously, like you said, it's not necessarily about screwing. Like I don't give a shit if you if you give a big middle finger to Vince McMahon, like whatever. I care about like New Day being like, oh, what the hell's going on? What are we doing? Like the production people like that's where i I look at those people more the people that sort of the collateral damage of you trying to prove a point you know hypothetically if they were trying to prove a point to someone that you have a lot of that collateral damage to and that's why i think it's very unprofessional that's why i think it's unfair and i think there are better outlets to do that Uh, assuming that what we we sort of what processing sheet and a few others have said assuming that they went against that direction for whatever reason um Assuming that. So, yeah, I think we all agree it's unprofessional. But, yeah, like you're saying, there, there is a little nuance here. And, and one thing that's always interesting is, you know, I listen to um, Bruce Pritchard's podcast all the time. There's something to wrestle with uh, with him and Conrad Thompson. And, and one thing that Bruce always talks about, and, and, and Conrad will bring up a guy and, and talk about this, but but Bruce always brings up that, that Vince wants every single guy there to want to main event WrestleMania. Every single person in that company should want to be 
in the main event and should want to be the top star in that company. Every single time they go out there, regardless of where they're at in their position, yes, you're understood that this is where my goal is, this is what I do right now, but at the end of the day, you want to, the reason you're in that company is to main event WrestleMania, and he hires people assuming that they're going to main event WrestleMania. And that was what his old, I, I don't, again, I don't know if that's his current thought, but that was his thought as well. And Bruce Pritchard would always say that this is like guys would come in and it would be, okay, can we main event WrestleMania with this guy? And does this guy want to main event WrestleMania? So at one hand, you always talk about that. There's always the weird narratives about the brass ring and all that sort of stuff. And, and we see a lot of situations where anytime a guy does sort of step out of line or, or, or per, somebody does get very vocal about where their spot is or where they should be, that a lot of times they, the company doesn't like that. And, and, and the company does sort of work against that a little bit as well. So again, like, you know, we can criticize, you know, the, the way that they went about doing it, but again, understand that, you know, in a lot of ways, this is what's sort of being played up is, Hey, you know, go, you know, try to be your best, want to dominate, want to be, these guys are valuable. They, they think they're valuable. They think they're good. They think they're great. They both think they can man about WrestleMania they think they can be the top back in the company. And if for whatever reason, they don't think that they're being utilized properly, they're well in the rights to sort of decide how they want to approach that or, or whatever. Again, how they did is not how I would approach it, but the idea that they're just completely out of line for doing this, I don't know if that's quite fair as well. It's um, These are two guys who I think we would all agree, Kevin Owens has been nothing but a success since he's come to the main roster. Would you agree sure. with that? Oh, 100%, yeah. And, you know, something that you know, I alluded to on, on, on Twitter earlier today that got me in a lot of trouble with the Roman Reigns defense squad was that the, um, the Owens and Zane, Owens and Zane had a house show feud that, you know, that, that outdrew Roman Reigns head to head, um, you know, um, comparatively. And, 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 and it was in 2016, um, where, where the, the, the Owens and, and Zane house show, uh, main events outdrew any, Roman Reigns combination of main events you want to you want to put together from that same year, whether it was AJ Styles, whether it was Sheamus, uh, you know whoever it was that whoever um, um, Seth Rollins, whoever Roman Reigns worked with uh, over the course of 2016 on house shows, the the Zayn Owens house show main events outdrew Roman Reigns head to head that year. That's just a fact. You know, I, I listen to a lot of radio shows um, um, just. To to uh, I listen to a lot of um, radio shows, not necessarily even because I like them, but because I listen to successful radio shows to see how those people approach their shows. And there's one radio host that I listen to, and I'm not going to name them because I don't want people to, you know, d- d- deviate from the point I'm going to make what, because you know they like the guy or they don't like the guy. But something he always says is, you know, if you do your research and you have your facts and you make a statement and you get kicked back, don't ever waver or, or peel back on, on, on your stance of what you're saying because you are armed with the data. You are armed with the facts. Let people say whatever they want, provided you have done the research and you have the facts. And the fact is the Sami Zayn-Kevin Owens feud in 2016 outdrew any of Roman Reigns' uh, house show feuds uh, that year. And in fact, uh, you know, I, I, I pulled up a, a Dave Meltzer tweet where he said the same thing. He said that the, the Kevin Owens-Sami Zayn um, um, house show main events were the top drawing main events for 2016. Well, you know what? Meltzer was wrong. He's not even correct. Uh, the, the top drawing house show feud that year was Sami Zayn, Seth Rollins. That outdrew the Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens uh, house show main events that year. But it was interesting that that's also another Sami Zayn main event. Yeah. That was the top drawing singles main event. Because now circling back, we all know that Kevin Owens has been a big hit since he came to the But I don't think people realize when Sami Zayn is pushed, people like Sami Zayn a lot. 
He's very popular. Okay. He was part of the two best drawing house show feuds in 2016. And I bet you, if you just asked a lot of the listeners to this show who they, they wouldn't have guessed Sami Zayn, but those are facts. I, I wouldn't have. Yeah. I don't think I would have <laughs> at I, all. Yeah. You know, I'm not making that up. You know, the Zayn Seth Rollins feud in, in uh, the house show uh, main events in, in 2016, Drew an average of 5,040 fans. That's of, of, of significant, um, you know, you, you know, there's there's others that where there were you know very few events or whatever. That was number one. If if you're cutting it off at at least six events or whatever, and number two was Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. You know, their 12 singles matches drew an average of uh, 4,744 fans. Those are the top two. Sami Zayn is in the top two house show uh, main events in 2016. I guarantee you, none of you know, I would I would I, I'd be willing to wager none of our listeners would have known that. I didn't know it until I looked it up when I was doing research for this show. You know, and it's not like Roman Reigns was a complete non-entity. You know, if if if, if I sh- I didn't do this, but if I, I'm looking at it now, but if I stretch it out to the top ten, you know, Roman would be in three or four of the top ten house show feuds that year. But Zayn was in the top two, and Zayn Owens was number two. And Kevin Owens w- was in several others that would have cracked the top 10. You know, Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins did very well and so on and so forth. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, so my point here is these are two guys who have been successful when given a chance. And they're probably like, what the fuck? You know, you know, it's, it's always about Roman Reigns. I wouldn't blame them if they're thinking that. And, I'm sure they're armed with this data. You don't think guys like that know how they're doing in terms of, of, of how their shows are drawing and, and how much merch they're selling and all these sorts of things? Yeah, they can look at their paychecks. <laughs> that's one way. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, that's the simple way right there. So it's like, you know, I could totally see them being like, what the fuck? You know, why are we being downphased? This guy's been gone a month and no one's noticed. I mean, what difference has it made that Roman Reigns has been gone sick for a month? Company just chugs along. He's Randy Orton. He's a spoke in the wheel. You know, and I, I could see why these guys might be annoyed. I don't know if that's specifically what their mindset is, but I wouldn't blame them if it is. You know, and, uh, you know, and look, would, would these be the first two guys who are unprofessional and going into business for themselves on TV? I mean, come on. This is pro wrestling we're talking about. Let's not pretend that these are the first two guys who, you know, uh, bucked against the booker and, 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 and I mean, this is mild in comparison to some, you know, how about the Shawn Michaels temper tantrums we've seen on, on, on live TV over the yeah, years. Like, pay-per-view main events were completely got derailed by him <laughs> throwing a hissy yeah. fit. Right, right. It was Vader or Hulk Hogan, you know, those, both of those matches come to mind or uh, how about Stone Cold Steve Austin just going home? He's went home. He said, no, fuck you. I'm leaving. And he left the building and, and went home. Neville just walked out, you know, it's like, so it's like, you know, in the pantheon of, 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 uh, you know, people going into business for themselves, this doesn't even rate. Right. Like Neville walking out before rise where like the idea that this is some ungodly, unprecedented, unprofessional thing is like, well, like a month ago, a guy just straight up walked out before a guy with, and, and by the way, a guy with zero track record of, of drawing anything. These are two guys who I just went through it for you. This isn't five years ago. It's 2016. These guys are the top house draws, house show draws in the company. Okay, and, and you know Neville never drew anything. You know, and it's like so. It, I don't know. Yes, it's unprofessional, but it, it, this isn't unheard of. And I think this 
is a good segue into something I know you want to talk about. It's a lot of these guys are growing balls because now we know that there's options. That's your cue, Rich. Yeah, no, no, I got it. I was just <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to interrupt. We we interrupt a lot in the show. I'm like, I'm like, uh, I'm like, I, I know that I know you wanted to take this ball and run with it. I, I was, but I was, I was frothing too. I didn't want to. I, I was ready to go, but I didn't want to interrupt. Geez, it, but... I, I put that one on a tee. No, for that you. was that was good. And I swung and missed. I, I popped up and and didn't even run to first. But uh, no, yeah, it, it's we, we talked about it a few weeks ago with the bull club and the elite and that sort of stuff as well. And we're, we're seeing little by little. And this is not just strictly a New Japan thing as well. People are going to bring up, oh, what Jarek going on there? We'll talk about that here in a little bit. It, they're part of it, but Ring of Honor is part of it too. Uh, Europe's a part of this as well. Um, you know, there, there's a larger wrestling universe that that's sort of expanding more and more outside of the confines of WWE, and there is success stories of people that have done it without being in WWE. And I think one of the big people that we always look at is the Young Bucks. Those are guys who don't need WWE. They legitimately in no universe right now, given how their careers are going, in the next few years, do not need that company. They will make more money going to Japan. They will make more money doing Ring of Honor. They will make more money doing whatever the hell they do, selling t-shirts, having their property, their brand. And we're going to talk about brand. I'm going to say that word a lot, and it's going to be kind of cringy, but but wrestlers are now realizing that they are a brand. And, and again, this used to be a thing. We're acting like this is some unheard of, ungodly, ridiculous thing. This happened well, <laughs> this wasn't what wrestling was until Vince McMahon took over and until WWE took over. Wrestlers were their brands. A Bruiser Brody could do whatever the fuck he wanted because he was Bruiser Brody, and he knew that ah, you're gonna you're gonna want me. You're gonna want me at some point. So what? Fuck it. I don't want to lose that guy. No, nah, I don't want to work your company. I'll go away. And then you know, eight months later, they would call him back. Ah, okay, come back. And he'd come and he'd do his thing. And then three months later, he'd leave or whatever. You know, Terry Gordy's a great example of that too. He'd be in and out of places all over the place. You know, all the time. And 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 guys in Japan would do that a lot too. The Gaijin would just say, okay. Well, now I'm in all Japan. Ah, fuck that. Now I'm in New Japan. You know, they would bounce back and forth and they would do this sort of stuff. The power was always in the wrestlers, and they were sort of able to dictate where they went you know who they worked for how they worked all that sort of stuff and and then we sort of lost this thing where everybody signed a contract with WWE and then they were just property you know independent contractors of WWE or whatever and how they were acted how you know everything that was done was done for them by Vince McMahon and by WWE and there wasn't that power and we've broken that again which is really cool I think that's the thing that anybody even if you're a fan of WWE you should not be against and we talked about that a few weeks ago you should love this idea because now it makes everybody focus a little bit more when they know that there's competition and the competition isn't necessarily the number two promotion it's not New Japan specifically it's not Ring of Honor specifically it's WWE versus the world and for a long time, the world had no fucking competition at WWE. The only way you can make it as a pro wrestler, you know, in America or North America or, you know, anywhere but Japan, and in some cases, even in Japan, was you had to go to WWE. You had to be with that company to be a success. You don't have to do that anymore. You can now brand yourself in different ways. We've seen with, with pro wrestling tees and with t-shirts and that sort of expanding. And more than that, even just the distribution channels of pro wrestling that you don't necessarily need the confines of weekly television on usa for three hours or whatever or the wwe network or whatever because there are networks i mean there are our streaming services there are there's youtube and we soon the being the elite series has just opened up a ton of new windows for 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 guys like an adam page and for cody rhodes and for marty scroll and and guys like that that whole you, you know the distribution of pro wrestling has never been bigger than it is right now so you don't need wwe in in, in some ways and and yes there are still going to be people that are eventually just going to go there because they think it's the easiest route or whatever but if you're ambitious and you think you have a lot of value then you don't necessarily need that company anymore and that's really cool that's a very unique thing that we haven't had in a lot of years 
and and you should want that. Everybody should want that because it's awesome. It, it it's going to make WWE improve because they're going to realize they can't fuck around with these talented guys. Guys that are valuable and workers that are valuable now hold the cards in a lot of ways, and that's good. You want that. That's going to sort of change the wrestling landscape in a lot of ways, where guys are then going to be able to 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 you know expand their horizons a little bit. You have think like the Young Bucks who aren't tied down to any one thing. They can do whatever the hell they want. They can go have fun on YouTube. They can sell whatever the hell they want on a t-shirt. They can do whatever they want in New Japan. They can do whatever they want in Ring of Honor. And that's kind of cool. And we talked about it a few weeks ago with the, the Global Wars too. There's nothing stopping. And, and I believe this, and you believe this, and many other people that believe this as well, that if the Young Bucks and Marty Scroll and the Elite or the Bullet Club wanted to run a show, just decide that, hey, you know what, fuck it. We're just going to run a show. And maybe we'll get some Ring of Honor talent. We'll get some New Japan talent. We'll get some independent talent. They could run that show just you know tomorrow and 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 sell quite well and and if they put it on YouTube or they put it on streaming service, do quite well and that was unheard of years ago and it's not unheard of anymore and that's cool and guys are realizing that Neville's Austin Aries potentially Zayn and Owens are realizing their brand is valuable and their brand is doesn't need to be dictated by WWE that they can be a brand of themselves and and, and sort of do their own thing and we're going to talk about Kotobushi here in a little bit he's a guy who in Japan sort of tried to do the same thing as well where he said you know what I'm, I'm burnt out in new japan i'm a little burnt out doing this dual ddt new japan thing i'm just gonna go do whatever the hell i want and he went to do a cruiserweight classic and they swooned over him and they wanted him and he went ah, no nah, i don't want to do that and he's just kind of done his own thing he realizes that i don't need to be tied down to any one promotion i can just do whatever the hell i want and it's a very unique and it's a very fun thing and i think it's cool that wrestlers are, are starting to wake up and like you said grow some balls and realize no you know what i'm I, my brand i am valuable in of myself kevin owens kevin steen whatever I'm valuable, and I if I'm not if my value isn't being utilized properly here, I'm willing my rights as an independent contractor to say, you know what, hmm, I don't need you. I'm gonna go do this, or you know what, huh, you know what, I'm just gonna roll out of the ring, whatever. I mean, yeah, is it unprofessional? Uh, yeah, but you know, okay, that's fine. The he has the value, and if Vince wants to tell him to go fuck himself, if WWE wants to fire him tomorrow. I, okay, Owens is going to go somewhere else and be valuable and make money or whatever, and that's cool. That is that is interesting and fun in a lot of ways because it's really opened the doors for pro wrestling, and, and we haven't had that in a lot of years. And I doubt that they want to leave that company. No, I I don't think they but, do either. But but they know that it's not the end of the world if it happens. You know, and and it's like There's not if, that if fear. It truly there used was... to be that fear that you could never ever step, you could never step out of line because if you get out of line and you get out of that that cycle, you're done. You're there gone. Were a few, you're, yeah, you're there were Matt Hardy in Ring of Honor. There's Jeff Hardy, Willow of the Wisp in Ring of Honor. You know what I mean? Like you're you're so out of the loop that forget it. You're done. Yeah, there were there were a few years there not too long ago where that's it. You were gonna starve, or you were gonna have to learn how to be an accountant. And I think that you know Kevin Owens isn't gonna make the money that he's making in this company anywhere else, at least when he's main eventing. But um, you know, you, they know that they've got like a healthy living if uh, you're not part of this company and. Um, you know, um, the world so yeah. is leverage that, that they yes. now have the, yeah, you know what? You can fire me, but I'll go out and I'll go do this and I'll go. T- and, and that's cool. There was never that before where in, in previous years, they might've just told these guys, Hey, get the fuck out of here or just sent them home and, and didn't do anything. But and what they've sort of done right now, but I don't know. It, it's cool. And it's interesting. We, we should want that. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's changes everything. And it lets these guys that have value and these guys that are good and talented, be able to speak up a little bit and say, you know, you know what? No, that's kind of bullshit. I don't want to do think, that. And that's yeah, how wrestling it, was for years. Like, that's what we forget is that guys would just say, fuck off. That's a stupid angle. I'm not doing that. And, and I think that they know, the wrestlers know, that the company don't want stars of that caliber walking out and working New Japan USA shows. Not because they think New Japan USA is any kind of a serious threat to them, but because we know that this company likes to nip anything in the bud, as we saw with the you know the ITV thing. 
before it could even become an inkling of any sort of a threat. Um, it's why Neville hasn't been released from his contract. You know, it's it's they don't want him going somewhere, and that's Neville. And believe me, they don't think that he has value anywhere close to Kevin Owens or Sami Zayn. And they won't even release that guy from his deal, even though he took his ball and went home. So you're absolutely right. You know, there 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 is more leverage now, and you know they notice um, when the young bucks are goofing around outside of Raw. And, and 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 flaunting how well that they're doing, with, you know, and, and Cody and all these sorts of people. So, um, so yeah, it, you, know, you know, leverage is important. You know, I looked it up, and then uh, while you were talking, and uh, in 2016, it was uh, Zane the, the top house show programs singles matches. Now, uh, Zane Rollins, Zane Owens, Roman Rollins, AJ Rollins, Dean Ambrose Rollins. Those were the top five. A lot of Rollins in there. He was in four of the top five house show, uh, drawing house show programs. Zane was in the top two. I would not have guessed either of those, to be honest. <laughs> if you told me, you know, name name three guys that you think are in the, th- I don't know if I would get the Rollins or Zane, you know, in my first five, really. And that, and that's and that's more than a half a dozen, um, you know, matches. I mean, because you know, if you if, if you if you go with less than a half a dozen main events, um, Zane Ambrose. Uh, finds its way into the top five as well. So Zane would have three of the top five, but he only had three matches against Ambrose. That's not really fair. Cause I don't know where those were. Those could have been overseas. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Yeah. So. And there was one of those, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember there was like two shows that I think were main evented by Zane and, and, and someone else that had Brock Lesnar on the show as well doing, I forgot what, just you know, throwing people around or whatever. So yeah, again, like it's, it's small sample size, of course, but still it's, it's worth noting. Yeah. So, but, but, but those top, the original top five I gave you was all, you know, seven events or more. And, and a lot of those were upwards of 15, 20, you know, uh, events headlined by those singles pairings. 2016 was also the year, if you recall, that Dean Ambrose was beating Roman Reigns head to head on competing tours. And he was working the B towns. Remember that we talked about it a lot on this show. It's, it's, you know, so it's like, don't think that these guys don't know that, you know, and, and what do they constantly see bend over backwards for Roman do everything for Roman. Got to get Roman over. Got to get Roman hot for that WrestleMania main event again, that he's going to be gift wrapped and handed, you know? And, and it's like, I, I don't blame people if they're starting to get a little frustrated when the data shows that he's not a bigger star than these people. He's just not, I mean, I'm just, I'm again, I'm armed with facts. I'm not ranting and raving, raving and screaming like I usually do and doing any shtick. This is just facts, Rich. These are numbers. This is hard data. You know, Rollins was in in, in, in four of those top five. You know, uh, Zane was in the top two, and Roman shows up once. Now it's 2016. You know, that's the last time Zane was pushed. So that's those are the numbers I used. He didn't work main events this year. So it's it's it, you know it's it's for people who don't think that Zane can be a viable main eventer in this company, you know, the, the 2016 numbers uh, uh, run run counter to that idea. It's just not true. The guy's a draw. And, um, you know, and, and I'm sure that the two of those guys who have been, you know, friends for years and yeah, that, you know, it, it, you know, there were whispers that they weren't as tight as they used to be maybe, you know, whatever, but, but obviously they're, they're you know, they're, they're still close and, 
and and they probably thought this was the start of something big, and and then they see you know right, and that's that's what I want to say. Even regardless of a Roman Reigns, whether there was a guy that that sort of kind of gets a lot of the the preferential treatment or whatever, regardless yeah. of that guy, either way, I mean they they were heated up, heated up, heated up, heated up, and then it's like all right, yeah, now take a beat down for, and it's like no, yeah. like that's stupid, like and 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 you're well in your rights to, to say that's stupid. Like again, I don't think that's the way to do it, but if you wanted to before you walk out there, go no, we're not doing that. That's stupid. They're like, why are we? Why are we doing? It? You just heated us up, and now you're just going fifty-fifty again. Like, this is why you can't create stars. Like, I don't, you know, if you wanted to say that before you're going through Gorilla, I'm, I'm fine with that. And saying, you know what? No, and tell New Day, look, guys, we're not doing that. Like, it's it, it, it's silly. It doesn't make any sense. Like, again, there's there's ways to go about it. They, I don't know that they necessarily. Again, if that is exactly what happened, went about it the right way. But yeah, regardless, of, like even in a vacuum, if we don't ignore Reigns or anything like that, there have just been situations that have happened far too often in this company where, where guys get hot. And then they're just immediately neutered, and 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 this is another example where you know, yeah, it's a small little segment, but it's a big, you know, these things add up. Like we we say, oh, whatever, it's just them getting beat down or whatever, but it's all whatever for for ten years of this company where it's like guys get heated up, then they get heated down. Guys get heated up, they win, they lose, they win, they lose. It's just a lot of fifty fifties, the muck. And there was like when you get out of that muck, you never want to go back in that muck again because it's so hard to get out of that. And Zayn and Owens were out of that muck for a while, and now you know, presumably they'd be pushed right back in there. And it's like, no, we're not doing that. I mean, we talk about Owens. I mean, one of his big moments in WWE was was remember when Triple H pedigreed Rollins and, and made Owens pin him and then Triple H went away for like nine months and never got heard from again and Owens had to be kind of a patsy or whatever like it's just you know there's this weird they've they just they, this is how they do it and this is how they work and and guys that are valuable and guys that are talented and guys that know their worth are going to speak up and you know again whether that was the right way to do it or not they spoke up and maybe they realized that their words and we hear a lot from, from that Zane is a guy who talks a lot and talks a lot and talks a lot. And, and maybe he's realized, Hey, look, I, I say this shit all the time and nobody listens to me. And Owens, I'm sure is a very opinionated guy and a guy that will definitely tell you his mind. He might be a guy who has said stuff a lot and says, okay, look, we got it. Actions are going to make change happen. Actions are what's going to really set the stage and make people realize that Neville's a great example too, or a guy who just said, Hey, you know what? The best way for me to prove that this is that I don't like this is I'm gone and I'm out of here. And, and again, they have this leverage now, which is cool. I agree, sir. All right. Anything else on, on? We'll have to see. I mean, again, we don't know exactly what's going on. We'll find out more. I'm sure by next week we'll, we'll know a little bit more. We'll see when they come back. We'll see if it's an angle. Whatever. We'll, we'll see. But uh, it's definitely interesting. And, and again, it's it's almost weekly now. We've had these stories where like guys are you know guys are, guys are getting guys are feeling themselves a little bit here in this wrestling world, and that's good. We I, I want that. I want guys to 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 feel like they have value and not feel like they're just subservient to, to with the biggest. It, it, that's and, and not only that. As someone who does a podcast, as someone who who you know, runs a website, as someone who's just a fan of wrestling, that's boring. I like when there's strife. I like when guys are angry. I like when people jump companies. I like when people quit. Companies. Yeah, I wish we were doing this shit in like 1996. It'd be awesome. It'd be like, oh fuck, Lex Luger's on Nitro. Hell yeah! Like, what's up? Yeah, shit's like, exciting. Like, yeah, great. Like, oh, switch. Getting- Mark Merrow. All right, Mark Merrow's the WF now. That's cool. All right. Like, I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm getting pumped up for New Japan contract season coming up in January because we know all the you know all those guys signed two year deals. Whether it was Mike Elgin, Bad Luck Fale, Tomatonga, remember they all signed yeah. two year deals. Oh, one of my one of my favorite weeks of this entire show was the AJ Styles. Carl Anderson, like when those guys all just bounce and it was yeah. like, holy fuck. And then we had to kind of reel people in and be like, look, they got guys, like it might be yeah, okay. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but, but there was still, just but that was awesome. Of, that was really fun. Yeah. There was and, a lot to talk about how those right. guys would fit in at WWE, how New Japan would react. What about the other guys who didn't leave? Because, like I said, you had Elgin, Fale, Tamatanga, Rocky Romero, all those guys, uh, some of which WWE also actively pursued, decided to stay and they signed those two year deals. 
And all of those deals are coming up this year. Will Ospreay's deal, I think, is up in what, March, April, or May? It's in the spring, May. Right? I believe it's May. I believe it's May, yeah. So his two-year was right after one of the best of Super Juniors, I think, that he announced that he signed. So, yeah, it was, it's May. Yeah, and his was also a two-year deal. So, and, and there's probably some guys that we're not privy to whose deals are coming up in January for that company because it's always contract season in New Japan, and I'm sure a couple of those guys will leave. And I'm sure they'll they'll sign some new people, whether it's someone who impresses at the World Tag League or, or some names. Names we don't know about that, that aren't even on the radar right now. You know, guys like Sammy Callahan and, and, and Jeff Cobb, they're auditioning for jobs. It's like, you know, a guy like Elgin, if he does end up getting a better offer from somewhere else and, and, and you know, Cobb would be a perfect replacement for him. You know, for, so I, 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 I love that kind of stuff that that feeds into the sports fan of me. It's kind of like it's, it's kind of like, you know, the baseball hot stove coming up and, and the offseason in the NBA in the summer. It's like I like when that, that kind of thing oh, happens. How fucking awesome us. was this this NBA offseason where it's just like the whole league just went nuts and everybody's just like the Warriors rule. So instead of us just laying down, we're just going to go fucking nuts and sign everybody and trade everybody and stars and teaming up. And like, it's awesome. And it's really cool. And like we talked about we, a few weeks ago, I remember us having the same conversation of like the old territory days. And it's good for wrestling, too, for a guy to have his little eight month run and get out of there. And, you know, the big heel yeah. comes in, does this stuff you have a great little story to tell with that guy for for the x amount of months or whatever and they move on movement is good different things are good it's just it's stagnation yeah. is not good for wrestling or anything it's stagnation is bad so yeah, yeah I, I, I welcome project mayhem let's go let's get crazy here let's go nuts. it's exciting i like seeing new guys in new places i like when tna twice a year goes on their indie signing binge and seeing you know falaba show up on tv or, <laughs> or, or marche i like that kind of stuff did you see a uh, hashtag hottest free agent uh, appeared uh this is a bit of a spoiler by the way so spoiler if you're a big impact wrestling fan but uh hashtag uh hottest free agents uh, appeared on Impact. Ethan Page showing up. There you go. He was it helps that he lives in Canada. Helps that he lives in Canada. <laughs> if, if, you, if you live in Canada <laughs> right. right now, you know you're. you're in, <clears throat> there's a good chance you're going to end up on Pop TV. Yeah, so, Tyson Dukes is about to get a mega push, baby. <laughs> that that guy is. Hey, yeah, guy showed up at Bound for Glory unannounced. You know, yeah. so if you're Mike Bailey, if you're uh, Saliza Sparks, anybody up there in Canada, you know, you 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 got all those people that had their bad visas. They're gonna they're living the high life now. <laughs> there's a good they, chance if they, they're parking, if they can pay for parking in their own catering, they'll be fine. But yeah, that's you know. Uh, listen, uh, you know, Laurel Van Ness says that was not true, Rich. So right, don't definitely. be spreading fake news about uh, <laughs> the talent paying for parking. That's TMZ man's job, okay? Don't be spreading the fake news. Wow. Wow, it's some shade. But, uh, yeah, well, listen, he reported it. You he know, did. it's, look, look, I fucked Laurel up Van Cody Rhodes. Laurel is a, a very troubled alcoholic, so I don't know if we should necessarily listen to her either. That's, that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. But, you know, you fuck up, you own it. You know, I fucked up the Cody Rhodes thing. I came on here and owned it. That was uh, that was fake news out of uh, TMZ, man. But to be fair, he did own it. He retweeted Van Ness when she refuted that. So uh, so there you go. He didn't uh, try to stick to his guns. What do we got next on the dock? Uh, power struggle, right? New Japan World's got a lot of fun stuff going on. New Japan World. Well, I just mean the world of New Japan, I should have said. The world of New Japan. Yeah, well, New Japan World has some pretty cool stuff, too. They, they redesigned their website a little bit recently, and they have stuff in, like, series. It's a lot easier to actually find what you're looking for, which is, is good. They do a little kind I of see, subtle changes here and there that I don't mind. I got to tell you, I disagree. I prefer well, no, the Well, have you looked at it recently? Like, like, in the last, like, few days, they changed it. 
Oh, really? That's, All right. Well, maybe yeah. I haven't. Go seen on there. And, and, and I can't. I can't find shit at. No, 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 no. I agree. They they made some very weird change there. For they, they've now it's like if you go, they have. If you want to go look at Power Struggle, it's a series Power Struggle. And then you click Power Struggle, and then it has English and Japanese commentary on that page. You click that page, and then it goes to All Match or whatever. Whereas before, there was that like scrolling bar, and you had to guess if it was like the Japanese or the English commentary. Or it was a complete disaster. The search turned. No, they, they, it's like a very subtle change that I found actually helped me out a little bit. But see. I, I don't have trouble finding like the new shows. What I have trouble with now is if I want to see, uh, you know, if I'm looking for some um, Kensuke Sasaki match oh, from 1992. Oh, that shit's, that shit's impossible now. It was so much easier before. I, I, I didn't have any problems before doing that. Now I'm lost. I don't even know where to start. Yeah, they had a good job where they had a bunch of tags, and he would just go to that wrestler page, and they yeah. would do like a Google Translate, and there would always obviously be the funny, you know, translations or whatever. But for the most part, you could search the guy's name or a part of a guy's name and find all of his tags, and then like you know, the four hundred matches are for Kensuke Sasaki. You could click that, and then all of them would come there, and it was a lot easier to find. Now it's it's a complete disaster to try to find anybody. So yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, we had Power Struggle here, which uh, I thought was a pretty awesome show. I thought it delivered. I yeah, thought it delivered. I was, I was surprised. I saw a lot of people said that they didn't like the undercard. I fucking love this undercard. I like the, oh, the yeah. entire card. Yeah, I, I saw some people that were like, ah, underwhelming undercard. And I'm like, really? Like, I thought I, the undercard was a lot of fun. Because I watched it out of order. I watched you know the big stuff first, and then I was like, all right, hopefully I have time for the undercard. And I did, and I was I was expecting, all right, here we go. Here comes the undercard. And I was like, that, that was really great. Like, you know, I got all the way back up to where I watched prior, and I was like, that's a really good show when you add those two parts up. Yeah, I... I... And I thought the problem with it. Uh, Rich, of course, watches his shows Christopher Nolan slash Guy Pierce memento style. He watches right. the, uh, the 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 big the big matches first, and then works his way not really backwards but sideways when he watches the shows. Uh, but yeah, I watch it in order. Let's start from uh, where, you want to start at the with the main events here. Let's start with the main. Yeah, events. I think my style. Yeah, that's what so, I like. We'll do it. We'll do the the review memento style as well. Tanahashi Kota Bushi. As expected, Tanahashi uh, retains the inner. Well, I guess maybe not totally as expected. I, I, I guess it was. He had a, coming in, I guess we figured it was 80 20 that he would come away with the title. I guess it wasn't one of these matches where it was 100% predictable, but he beats Kota Ibushi. It was a great match as expected. I think I went four and a half or something like that. I'm not even looking at my notes. Uh, they, they, I got the spot that I wanted. They played off of the uh, G1, uh, you know, needed a face. Tanahashi dives out of the way. And avoids the uh, whatever Abushi is calling that. The, uh, the what's the translation for that? Something about. Oh man, uh, I, I knew it because I was like, I'm gonna actually remember what it's called, and I, I forgot what it was. <laughs> what sur- surpass- surpassing the god or something like that is what he calls it. Yeah, but, it's, uh, something like that. But it's, it's a cool little move. Yeah, but I, I forget the name. I, I tried to remember it, and I forgot it again. So. Yeah, great match, and I think what what's been lost here is everyone's so busy talking about Jay White that not a ton of people are talking about how great the match was. I, I think it delivered. I think that the one thought that I had watching this was if this wasn't such a ridiculous year with, with uh, Kazuchika Okada and Kenny Omega and Tetsuya Naito just being so out of this world incredible that Tanahashi, to me, is really having a wrestler of the year caliber year. If it was any normal year, He'd be right there in terms of, uh, you know, a wrestler of the year or a most outstanding, whatever you want to call it, whichever awards that you're you're a fan of, um, you know, because in, in a normal year he'd be he'd be one of the, he'd be the best wrestler in the world. But this year he'd be hard pressed to even maybe crack a lot of people's top fives. I mean, it's just been such a crazy good year. Um, you know, when you look at the Naito matches, now the the two matches with Abushi and the solid G one that he had, but uh, this was just another great match from Tanahashi. 
you know, despite the, the, the bad arm, he's taking the entire World Tag League tour off, I believe. I don't think he's booked on that tour at all. Um, but we'll talk more about that. Even, you know, the other big names aren't participating. They're all in, uh, you know, undercard matches on that tour. Uh, but Tanahashi, I don't think, is on the tour at all. But he gets by Ibushi here. And uh, first of all, did, did, did you think it was a great match or you – no, I, I'm I'm right with you, and it, it's one of the things I'm I'm glad you mentioned that it's so hard to put like Tanahashi in this upper echelon because it's been such an amazing year, and this is a match that like I feel like in any other year I'd be like boom top ten here we go, and it's like I, I wrote it down and I I put it in my spreadsheet and I'm looking over and I'm like motherfucker like I I love this match it's so good and it's like it I don't think it could be anywhere near my top ten because it's just been such an ungodly amazing year, but I thought this was an incredible match. I went I, I went four and three quarters with it. It was really close to five for me, and I love just the little subtlety of this match. We're just felt a little bit different than sort of an epic you know we have like your your omega okada matches those have a look and a feel to them or whatever this was brutal man this this was just like tanahashi being an asshole working on abushi's knee abushi i thought did an incredible job of selling as well and like using like the one the the spot that i love my favorite spot in the entire match is that uh, um Tanahashi, you know, of course, earlier in the match, you know, did a drop kick into Ibushi's knee to kind of set off the, the, the you know, the knee selling for, for Ibushi. Well, he tries it again, and Kotobushi is smart enough to jump and realize that it's coming, so he, he sort of evades it, and then he decides, hey, I'm going to do a double foot stomp while I got this guy down on the mat. So he does that, and then he immediately rises in pain, like, god damn it, like, my, I forgot yeah. that my knee, like, one of those awesome things that we talk about, where he's like, oh, I got this opening, boom, fuck, like, I forgot that my knee is, is, is in incredible pain. And that's the thing we talk about with, like, universal selling, where you, a guy doesn't need to not ever use his leg but a guy can realize ah damn it like i got caught up in the moment i really got caught up in the in in, in thinking that this was my you know really good opening and forgot that my fucking knees hurting and that that really hurt so i thought him going there and selling that was really great too he did a bunch of kick combos and he would always sort of sell his knee you know standing moonsaults where he kind of land a little bit different there was later in the match he tried to get it uh tanahashi up for a power bomb and kind of buckled a little bit as well so there was a lot of cool stuff like that as well that i really liked but uh you know i've obviously had the slap sequence that was just incredible those dudes are just going at each other going at each other going at each other um, and yeah, I just thought it was really just it, from top to bottom was great. And, and the story was essentially that Ibushi sort of had to prove himself to Tanahashi. And, and it was a thing where you never really felt like, I, I think during the match, I never really necessarily felt that Tanahashi was going to lose, but that maybe Kota would get like one little opening in there and win. But the story still worked and it still had me on the edge of my seat. And even though I, I sort of pretty well knew that Tanahashi was going to win about halfway through the match, it still had me a little... I was still excited to see, hey, maybe Kotobushi is going to pull off the upset here. And, and, and just, I just, I really liked it. I thought it was just an incredible story told by those two guys. And I think Tanahashi, you know, we talk about it all the time, you know, beating a dead horse. But I mean, what he does as a storyteller in the ring is just, it, it's second to none. I mean, the dude is just incredible, just amazing. And the risks he takes, I don't think we give him enough credit, or, or some people might, you know, fault him for some of the stuff he does, like that lawn dart into the corner. It's like, dude, this guy's like 40. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's an old dude and he's taking these incredible moves. And that high five flow off to the outside is just nuts. And he does stuff that's just crazy. But this dude, if you, like you said, and we talked about it last week in our preview, you put this guy in a big spot, in a big match, he is going to give it 110% and go out there and just absolutely make sure that it is a great story and a great match every single time. If you want to get mad at him because on a tag match, he doesn't give a shit and an eight man tag, he's going to sit in the corner and do one little move and then do his little air guitar or whatever. You can, you can be that person and die on that hill. I'm going to be the one that dies on the hill of that. Anytime he's in a big time match, he's going to fucking bust his ass. So I'm going to call him, you know, one of the greatest of all time, because whenever you put 
from in that moment, he delivers. And this was yet another example of him delivering it. And again, Kotobushi, I mean, we, we can't speak enough about what he's able to do too. And this is a guy that anytime he's out there in a big moment as well, he really delivers. And I thought this was one of his better performances, maybe his best New Japan performance uh, since the Nakamura match as well. I thought he held his own here and looked really good from, from you know, the, the, his offense to how he sold to, to his aggression to the slaps, just to the story he told. I thought Ibushi really over-delivered on this match too. So I loved it. And in any normal year, and it still might make my top 10, but it's in my list, but it's just like, man, this year is so good that, that I don't know if it's going to do it. But I, I really, really enjoyed this match. Won't make my top 10, but it was a great match. Um, just a loaded year. I think you said it all. Um, you know, Hiroshi Tanahashi is one of the greatest professional wrestlers in the history of this stupid sport. I mean, he just is. He's one of the greatest of all time. Uh, the guy is brilliant. Uh, the guy, uh, he just, he just always shows up in the big spot. The effort is always there. Um, you know, his, 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 his pacing, everything that this guy does is just uh next level. He's just one of the greatest of all time. That's all there is to it. You know, it, you'd be hard pressed to name 10 guys who've ever done this that are better than he is. Um, I know that's a heavy statement, but I firmly believe it to be true. Um, we're, what we'll do here too, because we have so many topics to get to is we'll weave in the Wrestle Kingdom matches that were announced as we get to them with each guy. So obviously we had Jay White come out. Now what they did here I thought was interesting because they they let Tanahashi give his post-match promo. He did the air guitar thing. Um, and, and and he was about to basically exit the ring. It, it, it reminded me of when NXT you know shoots angles after the NXT sort of network bug is on the screen. So, so they kind of lull you into thinking the show is right. over. Yeah. Like that, the tick of Chicago one was just awesome. Cause I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh, Chap is going to turn on. Chap is going to turn on. I'm like, all right, maybe not. Wait, 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 no, no. Okay. All right. No, like they haven't done it yet. So like, Oh damn it. He did it. Okay. It's just like, you know, you know, sometimes you know, what's coming. And like, I, I kind of got spoiled by this one. But still, I was like nervous when it was happening. Cause I'm like, when is it going to happen? What the hell? He's like doing the air guitar. Like, I know this happened. I know that Jay White comes out, but when? Like, they can't keep going on this long and he's doing another encore. And I'm like, what the? And then, you know, yeah, I, th- I thought it was masterful how they did it. They if really I had, if it. I had watched live, they would have got me. I would have said, oh, they're not doing it at Power Struggle. You might have turned it off. Saying. Yeah. You might be on Twitter and going, what the fuck? What? Hold yeah. on. <laughs> like, but obviously, I knew that they had done the reveal because I, you know, I, I stayed largely unspoiled for the show. But I, you know, I knew that Jay White had been revealed, so I knew he was coming out eventually. I'll be honest; I bounced out of most uh, Tanahashi air guitar uh, concerts as well, so I yeah, probably, I, mean, I probably, probably would be out of there too. That. You know, uh, but Jay White comes out, he makes the challenge, but he not only makes the challenge and stands nose to nose with him, but he also laid Tanahashi out and he established his finish, which I think was important. And when they did that, I said I I had two thoughts. I said, okay, number one, they're establishing him right off the bat as a major threat to Tanahashi, and he's going to win that fucking match on the fourth. But they established his finish, and this also means he ain't working World Tag League. Working World Tag League, they have a whole tour to establish it. They got it out of the way right then and there. And, And that's exactly the way it played out. The other thing that I noticed was how much bigger than Tanahashi he was. I did not realize how tall he was. Now, Tanahashi's not a giant, okay? I think he's like 5'10 or something. But White was several inches taller than Tanahashi, and there is no question that he's not going to have any trouble fitting in as a heavyweight on this roster. I mean, he's got the height. Um, you know, I, as it's kind of tricky sometimes with the young Lions to judge how big they are, right? Because they're almost always against each other. They're all wearing the black tights. But uh, I did not realize, I, you know, if, if, if you would have asked me before the show, you know, I would have said he's about the same height as Tanahashi. No, he was noticeably taller. Yeah, I noticed that uh, when he did, uh, he was at Global Wars and he was next to uh, Jonathan Gresham, who Jonathan Gresham's like ungodly oh, like short or whatever. Three. 
Yeah. yeah, and then seeing those two dudes, it was like it looked like Andre in like a battle royal or something yeah. like that. It was just like insane how big and 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 I could tell too the the bulk as well. And that's when that's when I really was like, all right, look, you know, I, I obviously I you know we all had an inkling that he was going to be you know switchblade or whatever. But when I saw the bulk that he had added and that he had added so much extra muscle, it was like, all right, that dude's a heavyweight, which is interesting because a lot of people tagged him as being a potential uh, 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 junior. But we, I think you and I have always had steadfast that even from when he was coming up as a young line or whatever, that this dude was going to be a heavyweight. We knew that they saw something in him and we saw in the summer during the G1 specials when he got those pinfalls, we knew that there was, that they don't, that was not just for (laughs) show. That wasn't just by accident. They decided, ah, yeah, let's have Jay White get those pinfalls. It was, it was meant to sort of send a message. And and you could see by the way, he was getting big, the way he was being pushed, the way that he was getting wins. And and even back to his young line days, this was a guy they saw a ton of potential in. And this was a great moment. I mean, this is how you debut somebody right there. I mean, this is a guy in the main event and there you go. Yep. Not just a guy, Hiroshi Tanahashi is who he laid out. Hiroshi Tanahashi is who he's going to beat, uh, you know, in the semi-main event or third from the top or whatever it is. It's going to be the semi-main event. Uh, well, yeah, I think it will be the semi. That's another good question. Do you think that'll go? Do you, do you think this will go on after Omega Jericho? Because I think it will. Uh, I think so too, because I think that's how they sort of structure their shows. Yeah, that's how they, I mean, they don't structure their shows necessarily on what's the biggest attraction in a lot of ways. I mean, sort of they do, but they also the hierarchy of the titles means a lot more. And, than and, and, and I also you know. think because Jay is winning, I think they're going to want him to win in that semi-main event spot. They're not going to want to downplay it at all. I'm, I'm telling you, the Rocket Pack in this guy. I mean, I know oh, you agree yeah. with me on that. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, he could win the match. I think he's going to win the match. Now, is it going to work? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I think it will work, but if he goes out there and lays an egg, you know, that's not impossible. Uh, He is a young guy. This is a huge, huge match. It's going to be one of the biggest matches of the year in all of pro wrestling, semi-main event of Wrestle Kingdom. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that. How many matches in pro wrestling are going to be bigger than that this year? WrestleMania main event, maybe one or two other matches at WrestleMania. The main event here, the G1 final, is one of the top 10 biggest matches in wrestling, right? Semi-main event of Wrestle Kingdom. It's it's just nuts. It's too funny, you know, and, and, and right. this is how you so, do it. This is how you throw somebody in the fire and say, "Look, deliver. Let's go." Yeah. So I mean, you know, he's going to get every opportunity, and uh, you know, the the one thing I think people are making way too big a deal of, and I really haven't heard your your feelings on this. Uh, so I'm interested in what you have to say. I'll give my opinion first. People are making way too big a deal of his gimmick and his look. I mean, it doesn't fucking matter. I mean, I see a lot. Most people are down on the gimmick. They're down on his look, and my whole thing is. I'm indifferent on it. I don't think he looked like a geek. I don't think he really popped and looked like a megastar either. I think he he looked. I'm indifferent. I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't have strong feelings as to how uh, he looked when he walked down and, and he got in the ring. Most people think he looked like an absolute geek. They think it's a try hard gimmick. I've heard it. Uh, people say that it's a knockoff uh, cleaner. Uh, yeah, Omega I got a little bit. Of that. I got a little bit of that. Um, my whole thing is. I think people are making way too much of it. It doesn't fucking matter. If this guy delivers in the ring at Wrestle Kingdom, has a great match, beats Tanahashi, looks good in doing so, no one's going to fucking care what his leather jacket looked like. I think this is the most overblown thing in wrestling this week because there's so much talk being devoted to this guy's look. And I I genuinely don't think it fucking matters at all. And and I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to let you go here and and give your take on it because I'm going to tell you something. Evil is still running around with a plastic sickle and goofy lights coming out of his fingers. And he looks like the worst dressed guy at your Halloween party you were at two weeks ago. But you know what? It doesn't fucking matter anymore because he's, he's been built up as a credible killer 
who is now a credible semi-main event wrestler in that company, and nobody fucking cares that he looks like he's wearing a $20 Halloween outfit anymore. It doesn't matter what Jay White looks like. It doesn't make a fucking difference. All that's going to matter is that he delivers in that ring. And I believe very strongly in that first impressions matter a lot. And and to me, the first impression isn't that he's wearing a jacket. The first impression to me isn't that he has, you know, jet black hair or he's carrying around a switchblade or whatever. My first impression is that he came out there and he laid out Tanahashi and got an icy title match. You know what I mean? Like, that's the first impression. That's what you look at. And we, you know, I always bring this up as well. Go look at Okada. Go look at Okada during that Yoshihashi match where he, he does the worst fucking looking Rainmaker ever. His hair looks ridiculous. His ring gear looks like shit. And you can even go back to when he beats Tanahashi for the title. He still has no idea what he's doing with his hair. He's got like purple streaks in it. It looks like garbage. His ring gear still looks kind of silly or whatever. But little by little, he sort of adapted and, and, and changed. Those sort of things change. Those sort of things will, at, over time, be refined and look better. Or they don't. And like you said, it's like evil. Who gives a shit? Because he comes out with a switchblade, he throws that switchblade away, and then he has a great match, and no one's going to care that he walked out with a switchblade and it looked like it looked stupid or that he wore a leather jacket to the ring. He goes out there and delivers. The first impression is, is, is yeah, you don't want to look like absolute total shit or whatever, which I, I don't think he does, but if you think that he does, whatever. But the bigger part of the first impression is that he went out there in a big moment, challenged Tanahashi, laid him out. And, and that is the moment that's going to stick with you. And now his first big match is going to be at Wrestle Kingdom or whatever. And if he lays an egg, then okay. And then there's so, but to me, the ring gear doesn't matter whatsoever. We've seen it time and time again where it, it does not affect somebody on that same level where all that matters is how they're, they're presented overall. You, how the characters my, my whole thing is you could overcome it. Evil still looks like a geek. Yeah. But, he, but he's, he, they've gotten him over to be a credible threat. He's the guy's a killer. He's the LIJ killer. He still comes out with his goofy cape and his stupid, you know, Halloween plastic weapon and his uh, lights coming out of his fingers. He's still, he's still, but it, no one, no one talks about that anymore because the guy went out there and killed it in the G1. He went out there and killed it against Okada twice. He went out there and killed it against Omega, even though he was knocked out by the end of the match. He proved himself. If Jay White goes out there and has a big match against Tanahashi and wins and, and gets over bell to bell. No one is going to be talking about his right, leather exactly. jacket name. It's no. just not going to matter. It's just, it's, I think it is so overplayed. I think it's ridiculous. I also don't think it's that bad of a look either. But <laughs> I don't. Either. That's the thing yeah. too. You know, maybe that's part of it because I am totally indifferent on it. I don't think it's any kind of great gimmick. I don't think it's some kind of super money gimmick. I don't think it's he looks like a superstar. But I don't think he he looked like a geek either. I think he just looked like what I thought that gimmick was going to look like, no matter who it uh, turned out to be. So yeah, Tanahashi, Jay White. Uh, I think it'll be the semi main event. I think White will win. I think White should win. I think it'd be a mistake if he loses, a big mistake if he loses. This is Tanahashi's role now. Tanahashi's role should be to put people over, to get the new stars over. And this is a gutsy fucking, this is classic Gato. This guy, say whatever you want about him. You can rip the tag team booking. We do it every goddamn week. But this guy's got a large set of balls when it comes to pushing main eventers. He's got no fucking fear. He throws you into the and, fire, and that's cool. I like that. I love that idea of just like, hey, here you go. Here's your, not little baby steps, not little, you know, no. slowly walking in the pool. He just fucking dives right in the deep end and goes, let's see, let's see if it's, you can swim. It's your time. Can you, you swim? Swim, you're, go. You're, you're back from Ring of Honor. It's your time. You right. are back from TNA. Uh, we had this plan for you. It's your time. You're going to sink or swim. You're a junior doing chainsaws to Kushida's head. Doesn't matter. You're taking out Nakamura. You're taking out AJ Styles. And now it's your time, Kenny Omega. It's just, it's your time. And he believes in people and he, and he pushes them the right way. These guys get mega pushes out of the gate. That's why I think White's going to win. Yeah. It'd go against the Gato formula 
for White to lose that match. When Gato decides you're going to be a star, he's going to make you a fucking star. He's going to give you, or at least give you every opportunity by giving you wins and giving you key wins and establishing dominance early. Yeah, I think I think aligning him with Tanahashi shows you right there that 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 it's not just a guy who's going to go out there and lose Tanahashi and then just sort of kind of waddle away and, and whatever. If you're putting him up against that guy, like because there was ways to debut Jay White that didn't have to be taking out Tanahashi and challenging him Wrestle Kingdom. You know what I mean? Like, he could have yeah. just jumped into the World Tag League and then it'd be like, all right, well maybe it's going to be a slow build for him. But they this is right into the fire, man. This is against one of the all time greats. You know, in the seven main event, like you said, what a top ten match of the entire year, and you're already putting him in there. So any idea that like this guy isn't going to go 100% with Jay White is nuts because he obviously is. He already has gone 100%. I mean, he's gone as far as you could possibly go with anybody short of having a main event WrestleMania on his debut or main event Wrestle Kingdom on his debut. I mean, this is like the the second. The only bigger thing he could have done was laid out Okada instead. Right. (laughs) That's what I mean. Or like, yeah, he did. It's, it's, you know, they have every intention of Jay White being any player in 2018. So we'll see if it happens. Um, I'm not saying it's a lock. Um, you know, oh, it, it's, it's a lock, Lee. I'm not going to work at all. Do, you know, do I think it'll work? Yes. I think Jay White's immensely talented. I thought it was very obvious that he was immensely talented from, from really his first match in the company. I was like, wow, this guy's really fucking good, you know? And, um, but, but, but we'll see. You know, I, I, you know, it's, uh, it's something we'll talk about a lot in the coming weeks. Now, as for Abushi, you know, we were trying to make the, the pieces fit into place in terms of the Wrestle Kingdom card the last couple weeks on this show. And I think what really threw everything for a loop and why a lot of the pieces didn't seem to fit is because we didn't know about the Jericho thing. I think the Jericho thing sort of threw everything off kilter and changed a lot of the matchups here. In fact, we kind of know that it changed one matchup for a fact. I mean, it, 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 we know that it changed uh, the plans for Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega. Ibushi ends up paired with Cody. Um, I mean, what do you think about this? I think that if if they don't do a Bushi Cody, which I'm not thrilled with, obviously, I'm not thrilled with anybody versus Cody. Uh, hey, how about this? I teased Cody Makabe last week, and you were like, "Oh, please, God, no!" I bet you wish you were getting Cody Makabe. Now. Yeah, I'll be honest. I'd probably rather rather watch. Yeah, I mean, the problem is like, yes, it's a singles match, and yes, it's Kota Bushi, so I'm excited on that respect, but. it's Cody. <laughs> it's like, you know, oh man. Yeah. You know what's, interesting about Cody it, Makabe, but. what's interesting about it is can Abushi get a great match out of Cody? Because yeah, Cody, and that'll be the interesting part is, is okay, look, here you got a blank slate here. Let's see what Cody can do here. He's yet to have a great match on this on this run. We've praised him for his business acumen and all of those sorts of things. There are none. He's got maybe, maybe the crowd can make like few noises when he wrestles or comes out that'd be fun too you know i was gonna bring that up when we get to his match maybe oh you know what let's save it for that okay because that was so, so, that was a historically quiet crowd when, when we'll talk about it but yeah so the jericho thing threw the whole card off because uh from what we understand it was going to be kota abushi kenny omega uh the jericho thing popped up in august those reports are accurate according to our sources and then from there, it was uh, they figured, look, we got to do the Jericho thing now. We could always do the Abushi Omega thing at a later date. You know what I mean? It's like we have that one in our back pocket, but we can only do the Jericho thing now. So you know, right, to right. Me, and, and from a business standpoint, oh, go ahead. Sorry, then I'll, then I'll, I'll no. I, all I was going to say was, to me, that's the right decision. I mean, you, you, if you have a chance yeah. to do this Jericho thing for the reasons that you're about to tell everybody. You have to do it because then you could do Omega Abushi at a, at a later date. We were actually given a potential date for that, which 
I think a lot of people would be very happy if, if, if it, you know, you know, if it occurred at that point in time, but go ahead. Right. Yeah. I think we talk about the, the, the Omega Bushi one, and that's a story that a lot of us want to see. It's a story. A lot of us have been clamoring to see for a long time. And, and that's good. They, that's sort of, again, leverage for new Japan where they know that this is a match that people will wait for. It's not like it had to happen in this exact moment. And if you have Jericho fall into your lap, when you're, you know, talking about how big global expansion is going to be and expanding to the U S and, and running shows in the U S and you have Chris Jericho fall into your lap and you can put him against, you know, uh, a Kenny Omega in, in a huge moment at, at your biggest show of the year. And, and, you know, Jericho sort of teased that there's going to be different ways for people to watch the show. Like this is a transcendent. This, this is you absolutely a hundred percent go with Jericho every single time when it, from just a strict business sense, you know, we'll talk about the wrestling here in a little bit, but when you talk from a straight business sense, you have a Bushi and, and Omega, which is a great story for people that are real hardcore into it. But is that really adding, you, you know, is, is your casual fan going to go, oh my God, you know, what a great story that's going to be. You and I are going to love it. A lot of people that listen to this show are going to love it. But my friends that were texting me all goddamn weekend about, oh my God, what is going on with Chris Jericho? How can I watch Wrestle Kingdom or what, what's going on? Or when's the show? Like they don't give a shit if, if Omega and Ibushi are facing each other. I can tell them until I'm blue in the face that, oh my God, this story has been great. And they've been building up for years and years and years. They're not going to watch that show. Jericho says he's coming on there and the internet exploded. My phone fucking exploded. I had friends out of nowhere asking me. And I know I'm not the only person. I talked to other people as well. They had the same thing where that's the one that triggers those casual fans. And that is exactly what New Japan wants to do right now is get those people possibly disenfranchised with WWE or they like WWE too. They don't necessarily have to immediately hate WWE, but they can be looking for other options. They're saying, hey, I know Chris Jericho. That's kind of cool. I've heard a lot about this New Japan thing. I've heard a lot about Kenny Omega. Cool. This is a pretty big moment because that thing was everywhere. That video was everywhere. That story was everywhere. And that's exactly what New Japan wanted. And this is the biggest show of the year that's going to be available in English commentary. Jericho's hinting it's going to be available in ways other than New Japan world. You yep. absolutely 100% of the time, if Jericho says, I'm in and here's what I want to do, you 100% go with Jericho every single time on a business if, sense. If, if you don't think presence against Kenny Omega, which is the perfect opponent, by the way. There's no other opponent I would have put him with. Oh, God. No, it's, it's ideal. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you don't think Chris Jericho is going to produce uh, New Japan World subscriptions and and if there is another way to buy the show, produce buys in that manner, you're nuts. You're not. You don't have your finger on the pulse. This was a uh, business move that they had to make. They just had to do it. Um, and, and, and I don't begrudge them at all for putting the Omega Bushi, um, match on hold when you have a chance to do this Jericho match. What it's going to do is because Abushi is now working with Cody and Jericho's 47 years old. And look, I have no doubts that Kenny Omega is going to go out there and have, have an excellent match at Wrestle Kingdom, but there's things that Chris Jericho just isn't going to be able to do. Okay. So from that perspective, you this isn't the, this isn't even close to the best possible, wrestling lineup they could have put forth at Wrestle Kingdom, but what we have here is a very interesting lineup. Right. This is a business forward thinking show more than anything. Yes. This is this yeah. is a show that's not necessarily for this moment. We've talked about how Wrestle Kingdoms in a lot of years has been like the culmination. Here's the the last stand of our great year that we had or whatever. Oh, here's a congratulations to the year 2016 in New Japan. Here's a great show with a lot of great wrestling or whatever. This is a show that's saying, hey, we are we're gonna build a new guy we're going to expand in America. We're going to expand our reach. We're, more people are going to watch New Japan World than ever before. Like this is a this is a long term build show more than any other WrestleMania. This was they were handed something unexpected with Jericho and they had to take it. Yeah, because until August that wasn't the plan. The plan was Omega Ibushi, you know, and and that's from a very solid source in the company. So that was the plan. Uh, no matter what anybody else will tell you, that was the plan. Tr- trust me. Okay, so what you what, but the the Jericho thing, you know, threw him for a little, but you had to take that. So, um, you know, I, I'm kind. It, it, it's 
I'm curious, you know, how hard is Jericho going to work? We know Omega's going to work hard, you know, and uh, it, it's just, it, it, to me, it's a fascinating match. It's yeah, a- I think Jericho's going to bust his ass. I mean, there was a lot of people that were I saying, just- oh, well, then he was against this guy and he was against it. And you're all bringing up WWE examples. Chris Jericho is, is, is a very smart wrestler. He knows, and it was proven in his last run, that he can hold a clipboard and make silly jokes and get over as much as he can by being a great in-ring worker. We talked about this. Kenny Omega, or where the difference of Kenny Omega in Japan versus Kenny Omega at Global Wars, and obviously we, we I was proven completely wrong because he had a fucking incredible match with Beretta. But like you know, guys understand where they're working, and guys understand the standards of different places that they work. Some guys don't, Cody. That maybe you know that's not like that. You could just go out there and have you know a, a solid ROH TV match in front of Japanese fans, but then they're not going to make any fucking noise. They're not going to Co- Cody. Cody, but here's the thing: Cody just isn't good. No, right, exactly. Cody doesn't have it, but the thing, Jericho the thing has Jericho, it. Oh, go ahead, and, yeah. And, and Jericho knows what he's getting into here. Don't think Jericho doesn't understand what, what That's Kenny what I'm trying to say. People act like he's a fucking idiot and has no clue that Kenny Omega's good, that New Japan has a high working standard. He knows that, and he's well aware of that. He was well aware that, that WWE did not have as high of a standard. And, and he yeah. knows he's getting in there with, with a guy who prides himself on popping. Dave right, Wilson. exactly. He's not he idiot. understands that that's the guy's gimmick. So, look, there's physical limitations here. There's things that he's not going to be able to do, but don't think that Omega doesn't know that. Okay? You're dealing with, like you said, Chris Jericho is a brilliant pro wrestler. Always has been. He knows how to reinvent himself, uh, you know, which he's doing again here. And Kenny Omega, who's a more cerebral, brilliant pro wrestler than that guy? You're dealing with two highly intelligent pro wrestlers who are going to – I have no doubt that they're going to figure out a plan. Oh, dude, they're doing it right now. I mean, you don't think that these yeah. guys are going to show up the day of the show? All right, what do you want to do, pal? Like, yeah. what are we doing? I mean, they're, they're, they're exchanging texts right now. Okay, here we go. There's a notepad somewhere, you know, whether it's in Japan or, or, or Calgary, that's writing down all this shit right now. I mean, they, they, they've been Wrestle thinking Kingdom. about this for months. Yeah. You don't think Kenny Omega, in his mind, <laughs> thinks he's going to go out there with Jericho and have a better match than Okada and Naito? Because I guarantee you he thinks he's going to. Will he? Probably not. But I guarantee you he thinks he's going to, and I guarantee you that's his goal. And don't think Chris Jericho doesn't want to go out there and do the same. Yeah, Jericho's not going to go out there and go, all right, yeah, I can't do this, I can't do that, whatever. Just, you know, let's get in and out of here, and we'll, we'll call it a day. You know, yeah. What, it's, I am, Jericho, yeah. <laughs> I am way more confident in that match being great than Abushi Rhodes because I just – Yeah, the thing – I don't know that Abushi's going to be excited about wrestling Cody Rhodes fifth from the top. You? Of the <laughs> you? I, I wouldn't. I think they're going to get about 11 minutes, and I don't think Cody Rhodes can hang at that level to begin with. I mean, I'm curious to see if Abushi can drag him to something awesome. I just don't have much confidence that they're going to get there. And I'm one thing too, that's, Kenny that's, Omega. That's, Why wouldn't you be confident in Kenny Omega? I, yeah, it's it's w- one thing that's cool too about this is that we talked about the Omega and Ibushi and how you know in, in some ways it's disappointing that's not happening at Wrestle Kingdom. But to me, if it can be the main event of another show, if it can be the focal point of a show, then those dudes can have a forty-five minute epic. You know what I mean? Like okay, take okay, it out of sixty minutes. Exactly. Epic. Exactly. They'll get time. Let, let's cut the shit, Rich. We were told where it it, it could be happening because it's not happening here. Do you think? That people will be excited if that ends up being the case. Yes, they'll be ecstatic. <laughs> that, 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 that's the case. Yeah. If you want Omega Bush, the ifs, trust me. Okay, it's far now. It's not set in stone because we asked somebody else in the company and they weren't as committal. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's fair. The other source in the company wasn't as committal, uh, but that's a source that plays it very close to the vest with us and all those sorts of things. And and it's not like it's locked in stone, but based on the plan that we heard, the contingency plan, now that Jericho's in the mix, 
believe me, you guys aren't going to have to wait very long. I, I do. You th- but let me put it to you this way. Do you think people will see that match in 2018? I do. I do too. Yeah. I do too. And it's so, going to be a big, it's going to be a huge, and, and that's the thing, like, you know, being on, the, uh, you know, second from the top or third from the top on Wrestle Kingdom or being the focal point of a show and, and, and really built up a little bit better as well. Cause I, I agree. There were some people that were like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know. This is, you know, this match hasn't really been built up very well. I mean, th- they're idiots cause it's been built up very well for years, but in this exact moment, it hasn't been built up well because they're not doing it. They cause they're not doing it. it. Right. So now we know why we're like, oh, come on, do it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And it's like, we're not doing it. Idiots like chill out. We're, when we do it, you're going to know. And that's going to be a cooler moment when you know that it's set the stage is set and they're going to get going and that it's going to be the focal point of a show and that those dudes can go out there and the the focus of that entire show or the focus or whatever is going to be all right you guys tell your story here and those two dudes are going to absolutely kill it when they do whereas this is like you know i i don't want them to be restricted by time i don't want them to not be the only thing that we care about i think that's a match and that's a story and that's a feud that deserves to be the the, the focal point of a show and and i hope that that is what happens eventually we what we've kind of been told is that yeah there's a very strong possibility that it will when it does happen be the focal point of a show or whatever which is great i think that's absolutely the way to do it here and, and again like you said when, when jericho falls in your lap you have to do it 100 percent of the time you have to do you it. have to do it that because that that's going to make a business difference in, in in the west yeah and you know this show you know kadani his goal is 30,000 tickets. The tickets are well ahead of pace from last year when I think they drew 26,000. Uh, Okada Naito is a super hot match, and I, and I guess they figure that in combination with Tanahashi in the semi-main event. You still have Omega and Ibushi on the show. You know, they feel like they're going to be able to sell 30,000 tickets uh, plus, um, you know, without the Ibushi. And, 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 and look, the New Japan USA thing is a real thing. You see that they're coming back in March. Uh, that's not going to stop. They're going to keep expanding. They're going to keep taking baby steps in that direction. And Chris Jericho, without question, is going to be a business difference maker in the West. I don't know necessarily that he's going to sell tickets to the Tokyo Dome. I don't know that because, I mean, come on. That was a long time ago when he wrestled. No, nah, he's not selling. He's not selling okay. any new tickets. I, I, yeah, He'll sell I mean, a few, but no, this is, this is a Western move. This, this is, is a, a Western This is American move. fans. This is American fans stand up and pay attention to us. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 and I mean, it's a no-brainer. They had to do it. So Omega Beretta, I fucking loved this match. I thought, oh, it, was so just, <laughs> I thought it was just as good as the main event. Um, I went four and a half on this as well. And here's the thing. I thought this was a rare Kenny Omega match where the other guy was the star. We talked about it last week, whether, you know, what kind of did Beretta understand the gravity of this match? What kind of effort was he going to put in? All those sorts of things. I thought that he would get it. I thought he'd go out there and, 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 and have his uh, definitive performance uh, of the year. And, and he did. I mean, he was just, and it was all the things that he's been excelling in all year. Wild, insane bumps where you're like, what the fuck is this guy thinking? Uh, great selling. And, and, and just, this was a vintage 2017 Beretta performance. He knocked it out of the park. Kenny was Kenny. And I, you know, I, I may have liked this match a little bit better than the main event. And I thought the main event was incredible. What did you think of this match? Yeah, I love it too. I mean, Trent played an incredible underdog the entire time. I mean, it was obvious that, you know, he, he was just getting destroyed by Omega and the crowd. I thought one of the, the things that kind of hurt a little bit, I don't know. And, and I'm curious on your thoughts. So I don't know if the crowd ever bought that Trent had any chance of winning this match. I think they were, they're rooting for him to, you know, survive and more so than thinking that at any point he was going to win. When he hit that dude buster, they, maybe I a little they, bit, but yes, I was just going to say, I think, I think some people bought the dude buster spot. Yeah. I think that at that point they did like the first part of that, they were like, ah, whatever, this guy's just kind of toying around with him and, and he's going to go down eventually. But then when he hit that dude buster, I think it was like, oh, well, maybe. Okay. Okay. No, no, no. But and you know, the- and you know what it made me think of and I'm going to, but I just want to get this in very quickly. 
Remember about a year ago when I thought, remember every week I was coming on this show and I was going, Rich, this is fucking weird. Why is Trent scoring all the falls for a Pongi <laughs> right, Vice? Right, right. Why is every match ending with the dude buster? It's not the way they do things. He's the, he's, he's the junior member of the team. Romero's the guy who's been there for years. This is not how they do it. What the fuck is going on? Now it makes sense. They've been establishing that fucking dude buster for that spot for a year. That, that, that going all the way back to when Rocky stopped scoring the falls and Trent started scoring the falls because they knew they were going to move this guy up. This just goes to show how long term they plan these things. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. a light bulb booking. It's like the light bulb went on for me. It's like holy shit! This is why he was beating all of those teams with the dude buster all that time, and we couldn't figure it out. It's because this was in the cards all along. It's just incredible long term booking. This is the kind of shit. It's like this is why you have to pay attention to everything in this company, right? And why in our book we have the falls. Like, look at the falls. That's the reason yes. we have people painstakingly count the falls, and we record it into our book because they are very important. And this is why you get into it with this company. Right, right. This is why you get excited. It's stuff like this that gets you into it that you don't get from WWE. And I wish they gave it to you, but they don't. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's just incredible. But anyway, yeah, I did think they bought that spot. And they probably bought it because they've seen them beat guys with it for the last yeah, year. right. And what, what happened, too, was really cool. And I think this is a great, a great job by Omega, too, to give a little bit to, to, to Trent and give him a little bit of, of love as well, is that you had the, the closing stretches where Kenny just hit like a fucking hit, like four suplexes, I think, or three or four suplexes, uh, a power bomb that hit him with like three or four V-triggers as well. And you're thinking, all right, well, that, that's the flurry. He's done. Well, Bre- you know, Trent kicks out or whatever. Then he hits the dude buster. And I thought that was a really cool moment that it was like, that's his last gasp was that dude buster. Omega kicks out of it. And then it's like, ah, shit. Well, that's it. Like he, he couldn't finish off with the dude buster. He survived that flurry. Well, now he's done. And that's exactly what happened as well. You know, Beretta, I think got one more pinfall as well. And then Omega just said, all right, fuck off. And then hit the V trigger one wing angel and put him away or whatever. But I thought that one little moment, letting him kick out of that flurry and then hit his finisher, I thought was a good thing. And it's one of those things that we talk about where you almost get a little bit more by losing. It doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily mean that that finish doesn't matter or that finish isn't important or whatever. It's that when he hit the finish after being just destroyed for a lot of the match is that you could buy that, okay, look, he, you know, he just kind of lucked into this finish and it almost won it for him, but it didn't. But maybe if he hits that thing again, it's going to win. And then what they're going to do is they're going to establish he's going to beat guys with that for a while, where again, that yeah. sort of builds it up again, where it's like, all right, look, like Omega kicked out at that, that one time, but you know, that, that was because Trent was, you know, had his ass kicked the entire match and Omega was on top of his game or whatever. But man, if he hits that again, because he almost got it. Like, so maybe if he just does it one more time, he could actually win this or whatever. And that's one of the good things that they're going to do about that is, you know, maybe one time he hits it twice to Omega and that's when he pins it. You know what I mean? Like, hypothetically, if, if Trent ever did it. So it's cool. They, they had that little nugget there. But I thought Omega was cool in letting Trent have that one little moment where he kicks out of that V-trigger and, and then hits his finisher. And then ultimately, it doesn't matter. And ultimately, it's not what wins. But it's that little nugget that that people can kind of leave with a little bit of like, man, Trent didn't, you know, Trent wasn't going to win there. Man, he almost did. Like, that was really close. And now maybe the next time he gets him, He'll be a little more fresh, and the dude buster will mean a little bit more the next time. And, so. and another key is, can he put him over after the match? Yeah. He didn't blow him off like he did Yoshihashi or some of these other guys. He put him over strong after the match. And it's it, we talk about they need to replenish the bench, and, and, and it really is coming from unexpected places. I think someone like Evil, we saw it coming, maybe some of the other guys that they've elevated. But who the hell saw this coming with Beretta? You know what I mean? But they've they're establishing him as one of those next level guys, one of those guys on the bench. And then who knows, who knows in a year or two years, maybe this guy is main event. Who knows? But it, this is it constantly uh, building guys up, constantly moving guys up, 
constantly keeping the, 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 the keeping everything moving and, and, uh, and, and building people up on your undercard. So good things happening with Trent, uh, Marty Skrull. I didn't expect this wins the junior title from Will Ospreay. I've got a lot to unpack here with the booking. I know we're going to rant a little bit about that before I'd like to talk about the match a little bit. I thought it was a great match. I thought it was a, a typical Skrull Ospreay great match. Just a notch below the other two matches, in fact. Um, especially if you have been invested in the Skrull Ospreay story, a uh, multi-promotional story that they like to tell, where Skrull always seems to outsmart uh, Will at the in the end. And that's what happened again here. I think this is five straight wins now, right? Isn't that what it is? Five straight wins for Marty over Will including best of the super juniors. And they actually played off of the finish at best of the super juniors where will finally, you know, it's, it's Marty tried the same finish that he beat him with in may. Will had it scouted, but then Marty still managed to lock on, uh, uh, the chicken wing anyway, and beat him. It was just, it's just, so again, Osprey again, showing great match to match psychology, which he never gets enough credit for. This is, this is a guy who you could argue more than anybody else in wrestling. Uh, with the exception of possibly Kenny Omega, uh, really takes advantage of match-to-match psychology when he wrestles against the same opponent. And we saw it again here. Marty has his number. No matter where they wrestle, whether it's New Japan, whether it's in Europe, Marty just has this guy's number, and he wins the title from him here. I thought it was a great match. I thought uh, they you know, they did a lot of their key stuff that you see in, in all their matches, but I thought the finish is what really made it stood out because they played off of the finish from Super Juniors. Yeah, I really like the match as well. Uh, the, the booking, I, it's one of those weird ones where like the match stuff was great and, and I enjoyed it. And even the finish, which caught me by complete surprise, yes. it, it didn't necessarily hurt me. It was just kind of like, ah, and I thought one of the cool things too is, and, and people that watched it live or, or, or you know, watch it on replay will notice that, that you know, they count three and the crowd doesn't react and the crowd's just kind of sitting right. there and they're like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think he won. Like I know that red shoes is pointing at him, but I don't think he won. And then they like, they ring the bell and they play his music and then they just go, there's like a gasp. You just hear like people go, Oh my God. And then you know, yeah. I thought Nobody it was awesome. Where people like, Nobody expected they're it. waiting and they're like, no, something, something. No, Osprey kicked out. There's no way. And then they had Osprey, to like, he, he caught him in the chicken wing in May. That, oh, right, that right, right. Spring deal already. And then Osprey uh, countered it this time. But then uh, Marty, you know, rolled him up and got the three count. And I don't think anyone was expecting it. No, not so, at all. And the uh, crowd didn't believe it at the moment, too. So I, I thought that was kind of cool. And, like, yeah, it caught me by surprise, but it was a good surprise. And then the, the, the it's weird because I want to rate that match by itself. But then, like, the, the what happened afterwards and the Wrestle Kingdom Challenge, like, that was left in my mind. And then, when I, you know, I watched the match and I was like, oh, I enjoyed that a lot. And then that booking, you know, we'll talk about it here in a sec. And then when I had to, like, think about it, I'm like, God damn it. Like, I, and I came away with just a, a very negative thought of this entire thing. And I shouldn't have because I love the match and I love the finish. And I, I like a lot of it. But I don't know. It's one of those weird situations where something that didn't have anything to do with it. But the post-match really just, I don't know, it just dragged the entire thing down. Well, well, here's the thing. Will's gripe is his shoulder was up. So that's the storyline there where um, I, I don't know if they emphasize it enough in the production, but in all the post-match interviews and at the press conference the next day, Will is complaining that his shoulder was up and Marty isn't denying it. Marty is playing the villain. He doesn't give a shit that his shoulder was up. All he knows is he's got the title. Yeah, well, unfortunately, they showed a replay and Osprey's shoulder was definitely not up because Callis and Kelly were like, oh, I think he got his shoulder up and they show a replay. It's like, oh, no, never mind. I guess he didn't. And then Osprey's like, my shoulder, my shoulder. And it's like, oh, boy. So the idea was his shoulder was supposed to be up, but he didn't get it up, I guess. Um, which I guess you can use that. You can use that to ding the match if you'd like. Uh, And then, of course, as expected, Kushida comes out and then uh, Hiromu Ambrose comes out with his uh, with his helmet. (laughs) 
and his oven mitts and uh but the crowd was uproariously laughing which is exactly what you want out of the loose cannon oh absolutely you know? yes <laughs> that's what you want out of a potential star you want people laughing at him right um so for the people that are telling me that Hiromu's over i don't disagree i just think he's over in the wrong ways right because the crowd's bursting laughing at him and if that's how you want if that's how you want to utilize Hiromu knock yourself out because he's very funny he's a very like you know Absolutely. the things he does the mannerisms are similar to Dean Ambrose a very funny guy like yeah yep. you can do that that's not what I would do with him I would do a little more I would him, push right? him as a serious uh money drawing star but if that's they're, how you want and they're doing a great job of pushing him as a comedy act so correct they're pushing him yeah. as a rodeo clown he's correct. a rodeo clown he is Dean Ambrose he is Dean Ambrose Post window where they had a chance uh, to make a star. The mustard squirting one, the one with the hot dog truck. That is exactly (laughs) what he is. And listen, mustard squirting Dean Ambrose gets plenty of ha-has from the crowd too. And Dean Ambrose is uh, is a star, but he's the wrong kind of star. And and look, if that's what you want uh, Hiromu to be, uh, great. I had higher expectations for him. I thought the guy could be a star. And that's not the path he's going to be on if he's doing this Hiromu Ambrose uh, 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 routine, which is what he's doing. And it's a shame because I really think they blew it. Uh, they seem to have downplayed Daryl, which I think is good. Uh, but um, unless they were selling the shit out of those things, I have no idea. Um, uh, you know, if they're selling the shit out of those stupid stuffed animals, then fucking keep doing it because obviously they're positioning this guy as nothing more than a mid Carter anyway. So fuck it. I mean, if you've given up on him as a star, then just fucking go all the way with it. You know what I mean? Uh, just let him be Eugene then. Just fucking do whatever do, do whatever you want with him. Uh, as long as he goes out there and 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 breaks his back in these matches and and does all this wild crazy shit to entertain me, then you know what? If you don't want this guy to be a star, fine. As long as he still delivers in the ring. And as much as I hate the four-way, as much as I hate the Hiromu direction where he's now a DDT comedy wrestler, uh, here's the thing, Rich. The booking stinks, but we know this match is going to kill it at the Dome. You know what I mean? It's oh, going to yeah, be a great, great match. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It was Willow Spray defending the title against a more serious Hiromu Takahashi uh, one-on-one. But, you know, we're going to get the four-way, and I think it'll be great. Um, I'm just disappointed, but I said last week I would split the difference. If they gave us one one-on-one match in one of the junior title matches, we, I said I would sign up for it. And at, at least they did that. And I guess we'll get to that in a minute. Do you want to bury that four way some more? Or do you want to move on? I uh, know. You know what? I've, I've kind of come to terms with it a little bit where it's just like, yeah, I don't, I don't love it, but I know that the match is going to be great and, and whatever. And, and actually I actually, I got a really great laugh as well when, um, uh, Kushida came out and was like, I want to challenge you, motherfucker. <laughs> and then Will Ospreay, what did he say exactly? Like, get back in oh, your fucking DeLorean, you motherfucker. Yes. Like, I was like, holy shit. He said, he's <laughs> here. Let's go. Why don't you get in your DeLorean and get in the back of the fucking line? I mean, that was just a tremendous line. By and then I think he said motherfucker after that, too. I think he said, you fucking line, motherfucker. And I was you like, holy God. Like, fucking DeLorean and get in the back of the fucking line, motherfucker. Yeah. And then, like, he, and then he was complaining about his shoulder up. Then he was complaining about Hiromu. The good thing is Osprey's interactions with Hiromu, despite the fact that they're ruining Hiromu, have been excellent. Yeah, I think have, he's yeah. doing the best he can with that, and you know he's he's confused by Hiromu. He doesn't understand why this guy is 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 uh, is nuts and all those sorts of things. But uh, hey, look, if you need any proof of, of Hiromu slowly slipping down the card, last year he was in the third from the top match on this show, and he was featured on the poster and all those things in one of the the four matches that, and now he's in a four way in the middle of the card. So I mean, you can defend it. Listen. You guys that like Hiromu, you can defend it all you want, but this guy's slipping down the card. I mean, I like him too, but he's slipping down the card. Um, Minoru Suzuki defeats Toru Yano oh God. in a bull rope <laughs> death match. I don't care. Now, I got to tell you, I didn't mind this match. I, didn't, right. I, I thought it was just a match. I thought it was two and a half stars. I thought it was going to be horrendous. I thought I was going to hate my life. 
It held my attention. I never hated it. To me, that's a win because I thought it was going to be a hell of a lot worse than that. Do you have any thoughts about this? Yeah, it wasn't as horrendous as I thought, but like the interference happened. I just didn't care. And I was just ready for it to be over. And I was so fucking glad. God, I was so glad when Suzuki finally won. I was like, I really hope we never, ever, ever see this again. So, Well, I think you're going to get another gimmick match because that seems to be his gimmick now is that he has gimmick matches for the Never title. I think you're going to get one at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Um, I was just happy. I wanted Suzuki to win. I'd rather see a Suzuki singles match at the Dome than a Yanu singles match. So I'm happy about that. The question now is, is it looks like it's probably going to be Hiroki Goto. Um, the idea of a Hiroki Goto Minoru Suzuki match, I like that. But the problem is we don't know what the fucking stipulation is going to be. And that can make all the difference. It's not official yet. Both guys are in tag league. We'll have to see how it plays out. But luckily, the Suzuki Yano stuff is in the rear view. We had Chaos versus LIJ in a 10-man tag. It's exactly like we thought it would be. A, 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 an excellent 10-man tag match. That you just yeah, it was really good. It was really good. That's like yeah. that's why I hate that every time we come and we preview these, we're like, ah, garbage. Yeah, I hate these. We're like, we don't hate them. Like they're great matches. I just don't want to see them anymore. And I was, it was done, and I was like, God damn it, guys, stop doing good. Like, just have a bad match. Just suck, and so I can really get mad about this, or just really get. But it's like, ah, damn, that was really good. All right. Yeah, but yeah, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, we've seen it what forty-seven times. Exactly. Let's combine the Rapongi 3K defeating Super 69 to win the uh, uh, junior tag tournament with the Young Bucks defeating Dragon Lee and Teton. Obviously, these are closely tied. Um, example of good booking, right? This yeah. is oh, yeah. you know, Rapongi 3K. Again, if Gato wants to push you, Gato is going to fucking push you, okay? And this is perfect. They come in, they win the titles, they steamroll through three matches in the tournament and win the tournament. This is exactly what you need to do to establish this team as the aces of the division. It's perfect. And then you have the returning Young Bucks defeating Dragon Lee and Teton and coming out for the challenge. So now Rapongi 3K has to beat, the, what is it, the four-time champions, five-time champions? How many times have they had those stupid oh, titles? Oh, jeez. Let me see how many times uh, the Bucks have. I think, I, think four, I think it's four times. I but it's five. Let me, let me see exactly. Let's, let's find okay. out here. So we're going to have Rapongi 3K versus the Bucks at the Dome. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be an excellent match. It's the Bucks. It's the Bucks. Six. Six, six times. Six times. There you go. <laughs> so we both undershot that one. But uh, and, and listen – I, I think Rapongi 3K should win that match. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, you know, just fuck it, you know, and, and, and just, just continue their dominance. This, people, this is a push. <laughs> this is a push. Okay? This is what a push looks like. So, yeah, I do think they should beat the Young Bucks. But, uh, and look, and here's the thing. They've had matches in Ring of Honor, and the Young Bucks have been playing off of that fact. They keep calling these guys young boys. They keep saying that, uh, you know, they're the real aces of the division. They've had the titles a million times, all these sorts of things. So uh, even with the way it's being built, I think it's even more reason that Rapongi 3K should win. As far as the Rapongi 3K Super 69 match, I thought this was a, you know, a, 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 a really good uh, you know, three-and-a-half-star level match. I thought everybody delivered. I thought uh, ACH tearing off the rib tape was a, you know, was a moment that got me excited there when he was on the top rope. He got all fired up. And uh, I thought the right team won. So very enjoyable match on what was, like we said before, I felt a very enjoyable first half of the show because I thought Young Bucks versus Dragon Lee and Teton was as good of a seven-minute junior tag match as you were going to get to. So, yeah, uh, I fucking love that match. I saw a lot of people that were like down on it and called it sloppy. I thought it was like the least sloppy. Like, like they were like perfect. And the stuff that those guys were doing, like – 
I almost like obviously I, I like the Rapongi, you know, Super Six Nine a little bit better, but oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that wasn't that far off. Like that was a really good seven minute match. I mean, those dudes are just balls to the wall the entire time. And what, what those guys can do, and the Bucks are so good at being a team. You know what I mean? Like just the just yeah. being in the right spot, knowing when to hit the right move, knowing when to do like tag work, knowing when to sort of like they're just perfect at it. And Dragon Lee and Teton were great, great too. But yeah, the, the Rapongi uh, Super Six Nine, exact same thoughts that you had. Um, I, I was a little. I mean, I, I you could tell ACH was obviously a little hurt. Um, and it was obviously not at 100%. I think you're going to see way better matches from that team once they're together. But I thought Rapongi got it together a little bit at the end of the match. I thought their control period was pretty terrible. Like they, And they're, they're going to get better at that for a while. They've never really worked as, as, in that sort of style. But they were they had to work as kind of like the dastardly heels working over the baby faces for a while. And they weren't quite comfortable in that quite yet. But then the last you know five minutes of the match happened, and you didn't care about that anymore, and you didn't really care, you know, how boring or how sort of mundane that that period was because they they really killed it at the end and i thought everybody really acclimated themselves well and i was i loved the booking like it was what we said was the right call and i was so glad they did that they didn't you know get weary about it and go ah why don't we put you know whatever they were just like no these are our guys and we're gonna have them run the table and like i said i'd have them beat the young bucks too why not like this is your team and you're gonna run with them right now go with them I mean, go nuts so i would absolutely have them go and 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 win as well so no i liked i liked both those matches i thought it was really good showing for 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 the entire junior tag division and 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 we've said that too that the, the Rapongi 3K has given him a shot in the arm, and adding ACH to that Taguchi team has really helped him out as well. I mean, yeah, losing Ricochet hurts, but but ACH is is more than capable of filling it. Can I put a, a narrative to bed that I don't think is true that a lot yeah, of people go ahead. talk about? This idea that the Japan, the New Japan fans don't care about the Young Bucks. I don't know what matches people are watching, but those fans, without question, react to the Young Bucks. Um, I, I I don't understand this this thing. There's this thing that that, that that people seem to think that the the Japanese crowds don't care about the Young Bucks, and I think being associated with Omega has helped because I think there was a period of time where the where the Bucks didn't get uh, reactions, but I thought that was years ago. I think in recent years they haven't had trouble getting reactions at all. I think the Japanese fans get a kick out of their act. I hear fans laughing at them. Um, I hear fans uh, uh, getting into uh, um, the closing stretches of their matches. So I don't know where that's come from. Maybe it's just an old narrative that hasn't died. And I do think the Omega Association has helped. But uh, in this match, too, I mean, you know, this was the opener against two CMLL guys and fans were into this. So I, 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 I don't agree with that, that the fans don't react to the Young Bucks. Joe, here's and, a quick aside. This is this just came. I, I'm looking on Twitter right now. This came up. I, I really shouldn't go on Twitter yeah. during the show, but this is pretty fun. So you talked about earlier that we we retweeted something from Dave Meltzer. Or we we quote tweeted something from Dave Meltzer back in May, yes. where we talked about that the the best drawing house show program over the year. The exact the exact tweet is that's not a constant at all. The WWE's best drawing house show program one year was Owens versus Zayn or whatever. So we retweeted right. quote tweeted that earlier. Well, out of absolutely fucking nowhere, and I looked in all the replies of of, of who was that Dave Meltzer. I don't know. Maybe some other random people were were, were retweeting it and talking about it, but but we kind of dug that out of nowhere, right? Like you would assume for your assumption, we kind of dug that tweet out of nowhere to sort of back up an argument we had earlier, right? Yeah, I was just looking for it because I remembered Meltzer saying something about that and I found it. So I, yeah. Well, at Rusev B-U-L, so Rusev Bull quote tweeted that and said, LOL. Now he doesn't follow us. Presumably. Wait, the the actual Rusev. That Dave Meltzer tweet. Yes, that Rusev replied to that Dave Meltzer tweet Yes. With LOL. Oh, reply to the Meltzer tweet. Got you. Which is, is weird because that tweet, you know, is from May and 
So right, we, right, right. We're talking and the about only that. reason it would have been, it, yeah, is because I put it out there. Correct. Right, which is weird. And then so Dave replies to him, stats are your friends. Some people actually run the real numbers. So I don't know if Dave actually knew that that was the real Rusev. Like, he's, like, because he's replying to him like a normal, like, Montreal screw job. Yeah, like, WWE yeah. Mark guy. Like, ah, stats are your friend. Read, learn how to read, asshole. Like, yeah. like how he usually does, but it's the Rusev. So, so. so the real Rusev. Yes. Okay, so. So us putting that out there to support the, the obviously it made the rounds people were uh, um, retweeting it out or burying us to reply and somehow it got to Rusev applies to LOL and now interesting strange yeah and, and the problem too is I think when you I'm looking at you and, and the quote retweet that we did where you quoted Dave and, and sort of said here this is the thing that I was looking for that didn't get a lot of traction either so I don't know how the hell like it's very very strange that's a weird day going on it here. just got around to Rusev somehow I mean it made the rounds I mean look huh. we're a big deal rich so when people say that nobody listens I, that, I'm just saying because we had a lot of Twitter things like ah nobody listens to you guys ah, nobody cares what you guys say hey Rusev Bull knows what we're saying Rusev Bull cares what we're saying well so. maybe Rusev Bull should listen because I laid out the facts in the beginning of the show I mean yeah. what do you want me to say in 2016 <laughs> That, I, I don't, you know, it's, now Dave's it's, like, bro, it like it's the numbers, bro. Like, what do you want me to do? So, I mean, I looked it up. I mean, but the thing is, Dave's tweet is wrong because Dave said that the Zane Owens feud was number one. It wasn't. It was Zane Rollins. Zane Owens was number two. So technically, Rusev's right, but he doesn't realize he's right. The point is, the point is, though, Zane and Owens was uh, the Zane Owens, um, you know, house show matches outdrew anything Roman Reigns did that year. That's a fact. It's a fact. It's indisputable. It's numbers. And Zayn was in the top two house show feuds of 2016. Those are facts. So Rusev could laugh along with all the Flower Crown Universe fans that are getting on our case because they're all wrong. We come armed with facts. So anyway, um, jumping on the bandwagon too, uh, getting on. But hey, again, it's like I said in the beginning of the show. If you come armed with research and you come armed with facts, do not back down. From your takes. There's no reason to back down if you are armed with the facts. And we are armed with the facts. So I'm not going to back down. Um, uh, tag matches. The Harai Kawato, Juice Robinson, Jushin Liger, and Kushida, along with Tiger Mask, defeat the uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and the four Suzuki Gun Juniors. This is a five minute match. I think the big surprise here is Harai Kawato did not take the fall. In fact, his team won. Uh, but otherwise, it was a. Uh, you know, it was a five-minute match with a lot of action, which was otherwise very, uh, I don't know, uh, not much else going on, right? I mean, there was no angles to yeah, come out yeah, of this or anything like of... that. So, and, uh, Ten Koji and Togi Makabe defeat Chase Owens, Cody, and Yujiro. Uh, we are not getting Cody versus Makabe. We are getting Cody versus Kota Ibushi. But that explains Cody's presence on the show so he can do the post-show uh, angle with Kota Ibushi in the back. And this was a uh, eight minute match. Uh, good action. Better than I thought it was going to be. I'm with you. I thought the undercard of this show was very good and held my attention all the way through. Even the matches that I didn't expect to be anything special. I thought everything was good. Yeah. I didn't think anything on the, I didn't think anything on this show was bad because I didn't even think that the bull rope match was bad. I thought it was just an average match. Yeah, it's fine. It wasn't like offensively terrible. And that's all we really wanted out of that match is don't be, don't make me want to rip my eyes out. And, and it wasn't so, uh, kudos to them on that. We also got uh, a little bit about the World Tag League as well. I know we're kind of we, we did a lot here on New Japan. We got we definitely have to get the Dragon Gate, so I want to get to that. We don't want to talk about Bound of Glory too or, or Bound for Glory, but uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about the World Tag League starting off November 18th. So we got all the names, we got all the the, the placements, all the the matchups, all this sort of stuff going on. Looks like a pretty interesting tournament. Well, I know because we have a little bit to talk about 
uh, this one as well. So I'll run down the, the, the combatants right now, and then we'll sort of talk about our thoughts on uh, this entire show. So you have um, in the A block. So again, this starts November 18th and runs through December 11th. Uh, a block, yeah, Balak Fale and Chase Owens. Evil and Sonata, Hangman Page and Yujiro Takahashi, uh, Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi, uh, Tenkoji, Juice Robinson and Sammy Callahan. So Sammy Callahan coming in, as, as many people suspected. Uh, Minabu Nakanishi and Yuji Nagata, and then Minoru Suzuki versus Azu- or, and Azuka. Uh, so that's your A block there. So then I'll go through the B block, then we kind of react to the blocks, and then talk a little bit about the tournament. So, so B block, very odd here. You got Beretta and Chucky e. T. So Chuck Taylor... Uh, being advertised as Chucky e. T in, in New Japan, coming in uh, for his debut. Very interesting there. We'll talk about him in a little bit. David Boyce Jr. and Lance Archer, of course, KES. Uh, David Finley and Kitamura, which I'm, I'm all in on that team. They're going to get zero points, but I'm pretty excited to see that. Uh, Hanson and Ray Rowe. Uh, Hanari and Togi Makabe. So Hanari coming back from his injury. He's been out for, God, what's well, been like six or seven months now at this point, or maybe even longer than that for Hanari. Uh, Jeff Cobb and Michael Elgin. So Jeff Cobb coming in, as many people suspected as well. Not with Matt Riddle, though. He is teaming with uh, Michael Elgin. Uh, Tamatonga and Tanga Loa. So you got the Girls of Destiny. And then last but not least, you got Tomohiro Ishii and Toro Yano in your B block. So Joe, what do you make of the two blocks before we kind of get into uh, some of the names and some of the lack of names in this World Tag League? We did a roundtable preview on the site. And I think... um, by removing the wrestlers who are already involved in Wrestle Kingdom matches, it makes for a much more interesting tournament because you have less of Megastar teaming with Jobber and then Jobber taking all the falls. And you also have a wide open field and teams that could win. Usually it's we know who's going to win or maybe there's one or two teams that can win. Now there's legitimately six or seven teams that can win the tournament. It's more wide open. So I think it was smart to remove the big stars from the tournament. It gives them a bit of a breather too. They don't have to work quite as hard. Tanahashi's not on the tour at all. And uh, we've got some new faces here. We've got some new teams. And um, I, I think it was a smart move. Yeah, I like it a lot too. And and we mentioned it in our preview again, that's at voiceswrestling.com, uh, that one of the cool things about it is that now there's a little bit more uniqueness in terms of the teams. Because prior years, we've seen like Tanahashi with Captain Japan or, you know, Okada with with whoever, or Okada with the Gator or whoever it would be, and or Okada and Yoshiha. And you, then it didn't matter because you knew that those stars aren't going to take the falls, that every match with those two, if they lose, it's just going to be the, the the lower guy in the totem pole. Of course, Captain Japan is going to take every fall. Tanahashi's going to get six points and not care because his teammate sucks or whatever. And it's there's no need for those guys too. They 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 didn't need to be in the tournament. It made no sense for them to be in the tournament. They don't like what would happen if Okada and Yoshihashi won? Like what the hell would he do? He'd be like, I don't want to. I'm not gonna do a tag match. I'm in the main event. Like what the fuck? So it, it kind of ruined that aspect as well because you knew those guys were just gonna be in the middle of the pack and there wouldn't be anything really fun there. Like maybe the one little hint towards if they're against the Wrestle Kingdom opponent would be kind of fun. But there's no need for those main eventers in here. So now you have a tournament full of all guys that are young and hungry, and that's what I think is really cool that that all these guys are sort of vying for the spot on this card. They don't have a spot right now. There, there's nothing these guys are doing that 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 precludes them from busting their ass and and really trying to win this world tag league. And I think you got a lot of new talent that came in as well. You got a guy like a Chuck Taylor who's gonna bust his ass. You got a guy, Hanare, who's coming back. He's going to want to show off. You have Jeff Cobb, who we said is really auditioning for a job. Same with Sammy Callahan. These are guys that want to get jobs, so it's cool that like you're replacing an Okada who, who you know, to, you know, whatever. He's not going to go out there and bust his ass in a World Tag League when he's got a, rest, a big-time Wrestle Kingdom match coming up a little bit. And now you replace him with a guy like a Sammy Callahan or a Jeff 
Cobb or Chucky e. T or, or, or Hanari or those sort of guys that are going to bust their ass because they want to get a job. And I think that's going to make for just a much more interesting, better World Tag League. So I'm all on board with this. I don't care that the stars aren't there. I don't care that Naito's not there. I don't care that Tanahashi or Okada aren't there. I'm way looking more, more forward to this World Tag League than I have for any of the World Tag Leagues in years. And I kinda, I'm kind of i pissed because the best part about World Tag League is I could catch up on the book and I could really get a lot of work done on the book during the World Tag League because I wasn't watching it. Now I kind of got to watch this World Tag League, right? Like, like, I'm not missing Chucky e. T versus Jeff Cobb and Michael Elgin. I'm not missing Chucky e. T versus Kitamura. Like, Chuck Taylor and Kitamura are going to be in the ring with each other. How can you not watch that? You have to watch that. So what's interesting here is our uh, our, our friend on uh, Twitter, Evan Deadly Sins, it's at Evan Deadly Sins W, uh, had a really cool breakdown here of, of, of guys that were, you know, came and went in, in the World Tag League. So here's, here's the guys that we lost this year. So these are guys that are no longer in it versus who were in there last year. Uh, you got Okada, Tanahashi, Naito, Omega, Rush, uh, Billy Gunn, Yoshitatsu, Leland Race, Brian Breaker. Remember that? That was that was a thing. Uh, Bone Soldier, Hanma, and Shibata. Of course, Hanma and Shibata, unfortunately, because of injuries. But uh, some of the other guys, you know, Race and Breaker, not not that unfortunate. They're not there. And what we gained is Michael Elgin, Jeff Cobb, Beretta, Chucky e. T, Sammy Callahan, Minoru Suzuki, Azuka, Archer, Dave Boy Smith, Yano, Kitsamura, and Finley. So it's a dramatically different World Tag League lineup than we had prior years. Uh, a lot of different names in there. And it, to me, you know, side-by-side comparison, yeah, of course you have your big stars. You have your, your Okada, your Tanahashi, your Naitos, your Omegas. Those guys are gone. But if you, you know, kind of slice those guys off and look at the bottom tier of the guys we lost, a rush who never put any effort in World Tag. We never put any effort in any New Japan show that he's really on. Billy Gunn, which, I mean, that was that was a thing that everybody kind of laughed at. But wasn't much Yoshitatsu who just can't really go all that well. Wheel and Race, Brian Breaker, they sucked. Bone Soldier sucked. And then, of course, Hanma and Shibata, you know, I hate to see them go. They're, they're due to injury. But you get a lot of really fun talent. And, yeah, it, it's very Gaijin-heavy here in terms of the Elgin you know, coming in. He's obviously been in New Japan. But a, a guy like a Cobb and a guy like a Chucky e. T and a guy like Sam McCallan. But still, I think those guys are, are – are, I really cannot stress enough the young and hungry aspect of that, where you got guys now that are are going to want to go out there and bust their ass and impress so they can get a job. I mean, all these guys want a job with, with New Japan. I mean, that'd be the absolute – if Jeff Cobb could get a, a, a contract similar to what – you know, even like a Ricochet or even what the Bucks have, he would take that in a minute. Chucky e. T would do the same exact thing as well. Sammy Callen as well, all three of those guys. So I think that's going to make for a dramatically more fun and dramatically more impressive World Tag League. And then you add the booking aspect that we mentioned as well, where you got a lot of teams that can win this and a lot of openings that can do it. So I'm all in on this World Tag League. I, I love it this year. All right, we're back here on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. We had a weird uh, disconnect. Usually we can use our editing magic to, to avoid those, but this one was pretty bad. So uh, anyway, we're back now. So Joe, you are back with a living. So hi, how are you? Just kidding, Rich. I am still here. <laughs> oh, I was like, come on. I was. You have no idea. You, you get my blood. You don't, don't do that. My blood pressure is is that that those five seconds of you not saying anything got me got me all whipped up. But let's. Uh, that was enough about World Tag League. Uh, you want to get into our next uh, topic here? Are we doing uh, it, it, Dragon Gate's happening, right? It has to happen this week. Yeah, we're doing Dragon Gate right now. Good. Yeah, let's do it. Gate of Destiny. So, Joe, uh, you watched the entire show. Uh, I watched the uh, majority of the show as well, so we're going to uh, kind of break it down here. This, I think, is probably the best idea to do it, kind of what we do uh, with Big New Japan shows, too. We do the, uh, the main events and then kind of work our way uh, down. Are you okay with that? You cool? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. So we got the Open the Dream Gate Championship match. We got uh, Mochizuki versus Susumu. I'm gonna, I'm, I promise at one point I'm going to call him Jimmy Susumu, and people are going to get upset. I know he's not a Jimmy anymore, but as far as I – like in my Dragon Gate watching, he's been like a Jimmy the entire time. So it's going to be very hard to call him anything other than Jimmy Susumu. So if I do, that I, I'll call him Susumu. I will try my best, but I may slip up a little bit. But, uh, Joe, what do you think of this main event? So you have Mochizuki defeating uh, um, Susumu in about 23 minutes, so not – 
we'll get to that here in a little bit because I think the match time is, is pretty important. But I saw on Twitter that you weren't you love both these guys, you, you you love the idea of this match, but it just it didn't deliver for you. What were your thoughts uh, on this main event? Okay, so people are beating me up here, but that's not what I said. I just said I didn't love the match. I thought it was a very good match. Why did you hate this match so much, Joe? Tell me yes. in, in ten words. Yes. Why did you despise this match more than anything you've ever seen before? Yeah, it's uh. A lot of people were calling it a match of the year contender, one of the best matches of the year. Perhaps it was, uh, you know, raised expectations. I really liked it, but I didn't see it anywhere close to match of the year level or anything like that. But it was it was a really good match. You know, um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed both guys. It just didn't hit those peaks that I was uh, that I was waiting for and expecting it to hit. So that's all. But I really liked the match. I, you know, I'm not going to should I put a star rating out there? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, do it. Three and three quarters. You monster. You son of a bitch. No, uh, I was about four and a, a quarter with this one. I really enjoyed it. And the reason I really enjoyed it as well is because, and I mentioned the match time and I wanted to kind of come back to that because I thought the fact that it was over in 23 minutes and four, you know, 23 minutes, 40 seconds or whatever, to me, and one of my biggest complaints with, with, with Dreamgate matches, particularly with like the most recent, like the, the Yamato reign, where it's like these guys feel they have to have, you know, a 40 minute match, a 35 minute match or whatever. So you get this meandering long, like 15 minute, like nothing really happening sort of part of every one of these Dreamgate matches. And it's not just Yamato. I, I I don't want to call him out. It's been throughout the history of this title, really. It's been whenever it's a big-time Dreamgate main event, they kind of just go on and they have a big, long match or whatever. And sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's an epic match as a result of it being that long and as a result of it being built up that way. But this match felt different to me. And I enjoyed that it wasn't necessarily the same epic. From the beginning, it was like Susumu had no business in there with Mochizuki. And everything that he did was like, he's you know he's he's able to get a little bit of an advantage because he might be a little smarter in this moment. He might, he's getting a little bit of advantage because he's working over Mochizuki's, you know, knees. He might gain a little bit of an advantage, but when it's all said and done, you kind of knew that Mochizuki was just waiting to put this guy away and wanted to do it in, the, in, in maybe not necessarily the easiest way possible, but do it in the, the cleanest way possible. So he kind of let this guy have some fun with him for a while and then decided, all right, you're done and, and put him away a little bit. So I think Sumo had a few moments where it looked like he was really going to kind of get something going there and the crowd obviously no matter what Susumu does they're gonna be all in on him because he's one of their, their favorite guys or whatever but I, I love the idea that it was just like Mochizuki was just like nah look you like buddy you tried you gave me your best shot but you know you're not in my class and that's sort of what the style of the match was and I kind of liked that it was a departure from the normal epic Dreamgate matches that we see a lot so I really liked it I thought Mochizuki looked fucking incredible in this match and, and that dude does not get enough credit for how good he is and the amount of bumps he can take and how athletic he is too like this is a match where I, I I really noticed that, like, that, this dude can do some crazy stuff at his age. Like, he shouldn't be able to do this. You know, people always say that you work as, you know, work a high-flying style. You work a very, you, you know, aggressive style. You shouldn't be able to last as long as you do. This dude looks like he's, you know, 28 years old. And he's, what, 40? What, what, how old is he? 40 or 40? Mochizuki? Yeah, or is he older than that? He's a little bit older. Yeah, he's like forty six. Yeah, we're saying forty seven. He might forty seven. Be really? He's forty seven. Fuck, I, I I had him pegged at like forty one, forty two. Jeez, well I'll that's even more impressive. Get, I'll yeah. have the producer get on. Yeah, that's that's also me. But so, <laughs> so let me look that up real quick. But yeah, so if that's it, then that's that's even more of a testament. I didn't know he was that old. So I mean, dude, the guy moves around forty seven years old. My God, nineteen seventy. Dude, you watch this match and he looks like he's 32 tops. You know what I mean? Like the way he moves around the ring, the way he just just the different stuff he does, the just different moves. I mean, that this is all about, you know, the, the kicks and the jump kicks and him going off the top rope. And like the stuff that he does at 47 is ridiculous. But no, I, I like this match because it was a departure from the normal Dream Gate matches. And I thought it was cool to see Susumu get like a few little breaths of air in there. But at the end of the day, it was Mochizuki just saying, look, buddy, I'm, I'm better than you. And and you know that. And we all know that. And the whole crowd knows it. That you gave me your best shot, but you know, you're not me. And that, that was, I, I kind of like that story. It was kind cool i love the finish the definitive kick to the head put him yeah. out uh beat him clean in the center 
and we'll see what happens as we head into final gate. I think as we uh, move through the card, there's some theories that are bouncing around in terms of who uh, Mochizuki will not only face, but potentially lose to at final gate. Um, you know, I enjoyed the match. It just didn't hit those highs that it hit for other people. Mochizuki is a freak of nature at 47 years old. He's an incredible wrestler. Susumu uh, Yokozuka, no longer Jimmy Susumu Rich. Um, with the Jimmy's disbanding. It's going to take a while. It's going like, cause that's, I mean, they've been so around for so long that pretty much I realized that my entire like hardcore dragon gate watching, he's been Jimmy Susumo the entire time. We're so much like, I yeah. forgot that Jimmy is just like the Jimmy part of his name. Like I just kind of, for whatever reason, always thought that his name was just Jimmy Susumo. And that was, and like, I, cause he seemed like the definitive Jimmy to me. So like the name just seemed to work. So it's going to take forever. And I'm definitely going to screw it up a few times. So. Well, I remember when the Jimmy's first came to be, I had a hard time with, their names in the opposite direction. I had a hard time adjusting to Jimmy Susumu and, and you know, you know what I mean? And, and, and then I you get used to that after five years or whatever it is. And now you got to get used to going back to Susumu Yokosuka. You know, it's like, it's, it's uh, because they were, like you said, they were the Jimmy's for so long. They announced uh 5,500 for Osaka for this show. So is this dragon gate being honest or uh, now from what I saw, <laughs> There were people in the upper deck. It didn't look like it was empty or anything like that. So I don't think it's a case of there just wasn't anybody there and they're inflating like 3,000 to 5,500. Um, it looked like the normal Osaka crowd for them. Um, you know, It's not like I was looking real hard for it. And they do have the house lights down for most of the show, like you noted earlier. But I didn't see a ton of open seats um, You know, in the upper deck area, obviously the lower uh, bowl well, looked fill, filled at every every chance that I got to look. So um, I don't know. Normally they announce more for this building, though, is all I'm saying. So 5,500 seems like a more uh, reasonable number than they usually throw out there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I like the match. I just I just didn't love it. I don't know. I yeah, guess I'll fine. be the heel. You I don't know. Bastard three and three quarter, you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the rest of this uh, show here. You got to open the Triangle Gate three-way uh, championship match. You had Shingo, uh, Yoshida, and then El Lindemann versus Yamato, BB Hole, KZ, and then Naroki Doi, Yoshino, and Kotako. Uh, the finish of this was, um, was, it was Yamato getting the win, right? What I'm did talking. you call Kotoka just now? What did I call him? Kotoka. You said Kotako? No, no, no. I said Kotoka. Did I call him Kotako? Well, if you said Kotoka, I think you said Kotako or something. Did I? I think I better read the names for us. <laughs> Go ahead. That's fine. But uh, horrendous with these names. Yeah, BB Hole uh, could get the win, right? Tribe Vanguard yeah. wins the, uh, I think Yamato scored the fall. Oh, Yamato, yeah, Hulk got the first one then, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Yamato, Hulk, yeah, yeah. Hulk, Hulk eliminated Kotoko. Yeah, yeah. Hulk eliminated Kotako. Kotako, and, yeah. Uh, Yamato pinned Shingo to win the uh, the titles for Tribe Vanguard, which I hate. I cannot stand Tribe Vanguard. So I think bad. it's a, <laughs> I think it's a so terrible bad. unit. I don't, I don't like them. I, I think it's a shit unit. Um. I, I really wanted them to break up and not the Jimmys. I get why they, they went with the Jimmys instead. Um, here's the thing that I want to talk about with this. One of our uh, Twitter followers, I think it's uh, – he's a very good Dragon Gate fan, and he always has good thoughts. I think it's uh, Angry316. I don't know if I'm getting it right. Um, you, you'll, you'd you know him if you saw him on, on the – Angry216. On I thought it was right. Angry216. Angry216. Andrew. Andrew. Yeah, Stone Cold 316. Uh, you know, Andrew. Uh, Angry216 is what it is. Anyway. He made a good point, okay? When you really take a look at it from a Berserk point of view and from a uh, T-Hawk point of view, T-Hawk breaks up the Jimmies by scoring the fall against Susumu, right? 
right. Shingo Shingo takes the the fall here to lose the uh, the, the Triangle Gate titles to Tribe Vanguard. Um, T Hawk scores a fall on this show in the prelims. He scores a key fall at Corican recently as well. They're pushing T Hawk again, and they're really yeah. trying <laughs> very hard with T Hawk, and they really want T Hawk to usurp Shingo as the lead heel in this promotion. And it looks like there's a strong possibility it could be leading to T-Hawk, Masaki Mochizuki at final gate. It's a potential direction. And they very well could pull the trigger again. This time on a, a, a look, they tried to do this once with T-Hawk as a baby face and it didn't work because he's dry as sand. I think he's a terrible baby face. Um, we've talked about it before. He's young. He's got good size. He's got a good look. He's a good-looking guy. He can work a little bit. But to me, he's missing that intangible, that thing that you can't really put a finger on or teach. And I just personally don't think T-Hawk is ever going to happen. Uh, it certainly didn't happen as a baby face, and it's not how, happening. How are we still as a having this? How are we still having this thing? We've had for like but, but look at those three years now. Rich, look at the, <laughs> Jesus. But look, at the, but look at those booking patterns recently. I know. I know. It makes a lot of sense. But I really think, you know, if they're, if they're insistent on doing this with T-Hawk, they've got to get him away from Shingo because I think Shingo just outclasses him in every way. He's such a better worker. He's so much more charismatic. He's such a better heel. T-Hawk is like a dollar store Shingo. So if he's constantly aligned with Shingo, if he's constantly um, paired with Shingo, you're constantly reminded that Shingo is just a, just so much better than this guy in every way, you right, know, every conceivable way. <laughs> Shingo and, is and, better at everything, and, and and he has to be a heel because he's big. He can't really be a babyface in this company because he's bigger than everybody. The psychology just doesn't work, you know. He's known for his punishing chops and he's huge, you know. That doesn't work as a baby. How can he draw sympathy, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a company full of juniors? You know, I think to some extent that's Shingo's problem as a baby face too. Because he's so much bigger and 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 just, you know, tougher than this, this perception of toughness and all those sorts of things. But he just T Hawk, there's just something missing there. I'm not a fan. I know you're not a fan, but my fear is that this speculation is correct and we may be headed to maybe they do some angle along the way where T Hawk turns on Shingo, but T Hawk remains the heel. Shingo goes babyface. T-Hawk has a little feud with Shingo, puts him in the rear view, and uh, heads into a match with Mochizuki. Do you think that's plausible? I know you don't think it's a good idea because I don't think. Yeah, it's a good no, idea. no, no. I don't think it's a good idea, but it. Yeah, I, I think it's plausible, and I think it's it's pretty likely. Unfortunately, that 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 is when you look at the booking patterns, it seems to be trending that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, it certainly does. Yeah, and, and a lot and a lot of people that we've heard that's more. Because there are a lot of people that you know obviously follow every single result and every single show of Dragon Gate, and they're kind of on the same wavelength too. Like, oh geez, I think T Hawk's gonna win this thing. Like, you know, we're 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 kind of we're we're following. We've been following a little bit more, obviously, in, in recent months. But yeah, it seems like all signs are pointing to that happening again, which seems just it's, it's just it's bizarre. I mean, so, they, they, so let me ask you they this: I want the T Hawk thing to work, and it's, it's okay. <laughs> we're, this is a promotion brimming with super young talent under the age of 25. And then even from the ages of 25 to 28, there's a bunch of guys like T-Hawk and Ben K and people like that who are still young, but there's a bunch of guys even super young, you know, 20, 21, 22 years old. And none of them seem to be ready. Do you see that as a problem? Because I think if they're still filling buildings like Osaka uh, and Kobe 
four or five times a year for their major shows with the older guys still on top, with some of the veterans still on top, then what's the rush? Do we really need to rush these these younger guys into these spots, or can we just let them organically weed themselves out, have the cream rise to the top? If a Ben K or a Yamamura or whoever else, uh, someone comes out of left field, maybe Aita catches fire. I think he's way too small personally. Uh, maybe uh, whoever you want to name, maybe an Ishida, someone just comes out of nowhere. Hyo Watanabe catches fire. Name your guy. Okay, uh, but but what's the what's the problem with letting these young guys just organically grow into the role and letting the cream rise to the top and letting someone emerge? Why the rush to try to force these young guys in? I understand the idea. Look, it's always you got to build new stars and I get that, but they have a great base of guys. They can't all fail, can they? Yeah, cause, I mean, we, we've talked about that lineup, and, and and there's a few guys that have sort of maybe lost a little bit of the shine that they've had for a while. Like I know, like a, a Watanabe and the Shun Skywalker, like well, Shun Skywalker being whatever the fuck they decided is well, that, that, that guy's that never going anywhere in that gimmick, I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, these are guys that so it. it I hate that we're saying because they're, they're they're no way. I mean, there's like they, they have a handful of dudes and all these guys. I mean, one of them or two of them are gonna, are going to emerge. But it's it's weird. Like I think I was a little bit more confident with them, you know, five months ago, four or five months ago. Whereas but now it's so young. I know, I know, I know. It's just like no, there, this is been... my point. Like, what is the rush? Everyone's like in this rush. Oh, these young guys, they got it. We got to get these old guys. What's well, the and, rush? Like, you don't need the old guys out of there because you have forty-seven year-old Mochizuki being your champion and fucking dominating, and you have you know like Shingo who's always there I, for I, I you. Get yeah, that, yeah, but, yeah, I get that. But if but if the, but if they're still if business is still good, then what's the problem? Well, yeah, no, I agree, and that's what I'm saying. You don't necessarily need this guy right now. You don't need this influx right now. It's always good to build that, but yeah, it'll happen when it happens. So my point is, I think they are building it. I think that just because they're not rocket packing anyone and they're sort of letting, you know, it happen naturally, except with the, you know, the T-Hawk, they keep trying. People are saying they're not trying. I mean, they've, they've clearly tried with, they tried with T-Hawk two years ago. That was 2015. And it looks like they might give that another go now, but some of these other guys, I mean, when you're talking about a, some of these guys being 21, 22 years old, I mean, what do we, what's the rush? I mean, if Mochizuki's still going strong at 47, Who's to say that your Yoshinos and your Doys and, 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 and your Hulks and, and your whoever, you know, these guys still have 10 years left then, right? Hypothetically. I mean, not everybody's going to be a machine like, like Mochizuki. But these other guys are right in their, their primes, really. They're mid to late 30s, which is like we say all the time. This is when wrestlers are at their prime. It's when wrestlers peak. I don't know. I just don't see – and I, I don't necessarily think it's, it's a widespread train of thought, but I don't think – that Dragon Gate is at this critical mass, this critical point where they got to get these young guys in those roles right now. I think they're fine. I think Dragon Gate's right. Like it's fine. not like in a year. It's not like in a year. All these guys are, are just kind of in the same spot they're going to be that we're talking about Dragon Gate. You know, about to shut their doors down or that. Like, oh my god, they just would have built a star because yeah, they could just bring up Yoshida. And they're a company too. They're a rare situation where they can so easily just light a guy on fire and that guy then because like a, a, the talented guys, maybe not the young guys because they still have a little bit of refining, but like you can just have Susumu be the guy and just light a fire under him and do some stuff. They can move guys up anywhere on this card as, as well. I mean, we, we look and, and you talk about the names there. You got Yamato, you got BB Hulk. I mean, obviously I, I don't want to see Hulk in that spot again, but I understand that, you know, you could put him in there. You got, you know, Shingo, as we mentioned, um, Doi, Yoshino, like all these guys can just immediately move up if you need them to become stars. You know what I mean? Like, and that's one of the benefits they have is that they've built a strong base and, and they've built a style with, with their booking where it doesn't need to be that a guy, oh, like 
if you all of a sudden start pushing Doi, it's not like, oh my God, that came out of nowhere or whatever. It's just like, okay, yeah, that's Dragon Gate. Like that makes sense that this now all of a sudden he's going on a roll and he's the guy for right now. So that's that's not an issue that, to do that. So I don't think they ever really ever need to rush because they're always kind of in a good situation. Because if, I, if I told you, if I told you, I have a crystal ball, Rich, and Big R Shimizu, I'm just gonna pick him. Oh, but, yeah, fuck Big R and Ben K are two other guys too that are big, just yeah. Big, big R Shimizu, I have a crystal ball. He's gonna become one of the biggest stars in Dragon Gate history in, in, in 2019. Would you tell me that that's too late and there'd be devastate, devastation that would occur before that? I don't think so. I think this company can sustain itself for three, four, five more years before the – in five years, some of these guys will be like 26 years old. Your L. Lindemans and people like that. I mean, I don't know. I just I, – I don't see this pressing need. L. Lindemann is 22 years old. These guys get their feet underneath them a little bit. Can we let these guys find themselves as both workers and as characters before? By the way, pst, I, I'd be I'd be all in on Ellen and turning on Shingo and being like the guy that they kind of light up for a little while. But that's you know me. What? You're not wrong. I because th- when he was a Bayface, it was awesome. Like him and, and him and Yusuke. So I, how cool would that be if he just all of a sudden? Goes, I think, you know and I think Lindemann's a great heel. Yeah. So it's like these guys are so young. I, I just I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not at this 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 panic point where. Oh, Dragon Gate doesn't move anybody up. Give them time. See, I, haven't, I haven't seen that point too much. I'll be honest. So maybe I'm just in different circles. I haven't seen a lot of people mention that as well. Or do you? Are no, you no, just sort of? I don't think it's, so. not, it's not. It's not widespread. Okay, but if you listen to Voice Gate, you get some of that. If uh, you know you, you, you dabble in Dragon Gate circles on Twitter, you get some of that. It's not like a widespread mm-hmm. thing, but but there's some of it out there, and you know, you know, we, we are doing a talk show here. We got to you know, have some talking points. So I figured I'd throw that at you. Do you fall in that camp? Yeah, no, no, no. I think I think they're in a definitely a good position. I think the, the other thing is, too, we're talking about these, like, super young dudes or whatever. But there are guys, like you mentioned, like a big R who's probably at a point where I don't know if I'd call him necessarily in that young group anymore. I think he's kind of graduated a little bit more. Uh, ben K as well. We saw, you know, they had a great match. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit as well. So you got those guys. You got Aita. But, again, he's tiny or whatever. But, like, El Lindemann is that guy I think that, that you can sort of. So, yeah, even if those, like, really, really young dudes that we're talking about don't do, like, I, I think you're just, there's an embarrassment of, of riches here. So they're, no. they're, That's my point there's so many big r's 25 ben k is 26 okay if it takes those guys three more years they're still in their 20s what are we doing here you know it's like i i think they're i think this company's fine as long as business sustains speaking of big r and ben k they lose to shima and dragon kid the most hated tag team in hardcore dragon gate circles i don't mind this tag team at all I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they've had some kind of legendary title run because they haven't. I've liked their matches well enough. Can I point to a match? Can I point to some classic match that we're going to be watching again in five years? I cannot. But I think their matches have been good enough. Um, I thought Ben K and Big Gar were going to win this match. I was obviously wrong. Um, But again, this was another good Shima and Dragon Kid title defense. Uh, Probably three and a quarter, three and a half, somewhere in that range. Uh, Big R keeps getting good reactions. He's got the awesome shot put slam oh, finish. God, that's that's over like crazy. That's my favorite move in wrestling. I love that so much. It looks so good on ben everybody K. too. He just he hits it well. It does. Yeah, they shoot it well. Those guys sell it well. Everybody just nails that move. Perfect. They shoot it from that angle yeah. in the opposite corner. It's you just think beautiful. He's like, you think you know? she was like forty five? I mean, Dragon Kid took that. Like, I think Dragon Kid took it in this match. Am I correct that he? trying to remember who took it but whoever took it like jumped so far in the air they looked like they're 40 feet in the air and big r just he he positions it perfectly they shoot it perfectly it's just it's money god i love that move so much 
Ben K has all the charisma in the world and a great look. The problem with Ben K, and I love this guy, and he's one of my favorite wrestlers in the world right now, I question whether he's ever going to be able to keep up in the ring on this roster. If Ben K was in any other promotion in the world, I'd feel stronger about him than I do here. He got started a little late. He's a little bit bigger than the rest of these guys. He's really going to have to find his niche and find his own working style and then integrate that into it. Look, He's never going to be a worker on the level of Susumu or Kajitora or, or, you know, these, he's going to like, right. look at, look at Mochizuki. He found his niche. He kicks people's chests in, right? He's a little bit different than everybody else on the roster. Ben K is going to have to find his Shingo. He's a power junior in a promotion where there's not a ton of power juniors. There's, you know, where there's a, where it's Masato Yoshino is running around and, you know, and, and Casey, uh, you, you have a power junior here and, and, and that's what sets big R apart too. Ben K is going to have to find a niche. What is he? He looks great. You know, he, he, he's, he's got a ton of charisma, but can he keep up at a main event level? I don't know. This is why I say we got to give these guys time. We got to give these guys time to find themselves. So um, what, what do you think of Ben K? He's been around a while now. He's not the hot new thing anymore. Are you still all in on the Ben K? Yeah, I, I still like it. I still think that he's going to find a niche a little bit. I, and, and it's like you said, it's going to be finding what he does. Because right now he seems like he's not quite sure where he should be, what he should do, what kind of style he should work or whatever. I see him as, as maybe, I don't know, the poor man Shingo in a way. Like Shingo's great. And that's the thing too. For a while there, Shingo got the rep as just being like this big guy that kind of did. And then he slowly but surely showed that he's just a guy that can really go and do a bunch of different stuff. I don't think he's that good. I don't think he's quite on that sort of level. But again, he's like you said, he's young and we, and we don't know. And, and the key with Dragon Gate, the key all the time with Dragon Gate is that these guys are always working with each other, and and it's chemistry. I mean, when you see Mochizuki and Susumu, and those dudes just know where the other guy is, know exactly what they're doing. I mean, all that that's just timing. That's just working with the same guys for so long or whatever. And Ben K will get that eventually. And that's the thing I think that's always tough with Dragon Gate is we judge these guys based off pure in ring style and in ring work or whatever. When it's so much about your chemistry with your opponent, the chemistry with your tag teams, and all that sort of sort of stuff in Dragon Gate, and that comes in time, and that might not come until he's thirty two. You know what I mean? Like that might not come in until he's in his late 20s or whatever, which is fine. But I think you see the building blocks and you see one thing that we've talked about too is, is the look and the charisma he's got. So now it's just going to be the in-ring has to catch up and yeah. and hopefully it does. I don't know if it ever is going it's, to, but it's going to be hard to say until he gains that chemistry. It's, and it's gains the hardest sort of, promotion in the world to keep up in the ring. Right. It, it just is. You know, it's because those guys are in such lockstep. I mean, when you watch yeah. like a, when you watch a, like doing do Yamato or Yamato and, and those dudes are just like they fucking know exactly where to be in the right spot. Every kick is is in the right spot. Every guy is it like it's 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 unbelievable when you watch peak Dragon Gate at its best. And then when you see these young guys and you see them being a little step slow, like okay, because you got to think. And like Dragon Gate's almost the real good Dragon Gate guys almost don't think. It's almost just second nature to do what they do and do it as well as they do. So it takes a little while to sort of break that down a little bit. So I don't know. I, I I'm hopeful and they have all the building blocks for it but yeah ben k is a guy that i'm definitely gonna keep my eyes but he's got you know two other three things all together it's just got it can he ever get to that working level that, that you need to be i don't know it's 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 they work at warp speed and it, it's so intricate it's, nuts. it's insane veterans, like, i don't go through an, i don't go through any dragon gate match without going how did they how do they even plan this out how are they even ready to like it's too perfect like how are you guys this perfect yeah, it, it's, and, it's, yeah and they, it's they never blow a spot it's the best roster <laughs> in the world and that's the, my only concern with ben k is if he's good enough athlete and if you can keep up with these guys or, or at least find a niche. Speaking of how the fuck did they do that? Ricochet and his, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Dragon Gate um, farewell against Ata. Um, I was surprised at the finish, honestly. I, 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 for whatever reason, I thought they'd have Ata beat them. I, I don't know what I was thinking, but um, 
there were some sequences in this match that were just, I mean, this was my favorite match on the show, even if it wasn't necessarily the best match. Um, there were some sequences here that just blew my fucking mind. Like when Ricochet missed the Benadriller, I ate the dove out of the way. And then I ate to gave him that. I don't even know what the fuck to call it, Rich. It was like a reverse sunset flip, both guys. And did you know the spot I'm talking about? I, I do. It's, I have no idea how to describe it. <laughs> I, 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 I'm it. sorry. I can't describe it. Yeah. It's it, it something I, it, it defied physics. I don't know how the fuck they did it. Um, it, it should have been the fucking finish. I mean, that would have been an incredible finish. But Ricochet wins the match. And I mean, that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. Um, but, you know, they gave them plenty of time. I think they gave them over 15 minutes. And, um, you know, there wasn't a ton of matches on this show. You know, if you don't count the dark match, it was, what, a seven-match show, um, counting the two openers, um, which were, you know, um, just just generic Dragon Gate, you know, six- and eight-man right, right. tags. Um, and, and, you know, so to me, um, this was a great way for Ricochet to leave the company. Um, I know in, in his comments on, uh, I think on Twitter, it was either on Twitter or, or maybe even in his promo, he said, you know, it, it's not, it's not goodbye. He thinks he'll be back at some point. He just doesn't know when, but uh, you know, he said goodbye to new Japan. He says goodbye to dragon gate. He's on his way to NXT and, uh, and we'll see what happens with his career from there. But uh, what'd you think of this? I really like, I, it. It. I mean, just super smooth. Like I, I thought like, maybe I was a little disappointed because I thought this would be like just this incredible, you know, all time great. And, and it was, and it was, it was, it was a very good match. And, and again, that's, that's a victim of his expectations. I thought, you know, Ricochet was going to go out there and, 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 and go nuts, but still in, in, in one respect, like halfway through the match, I'm like, man, he's doing more than I even thought he might do because I thought maybe, you know, maybe, maybe take it easy or it could go one or two ways of this match. I either thought it was going to be like Ricochet does everything he could possibly do. It blows it all out and has an incredible match in his last Dragon Gate one, or he just kind of plays it close to the chest and and kind of but it was sort of in the middle which which is fine because it worked out pretty well in that sense i mean there was a lot of cool stuff and and one thing too that ricochet has gained so much from when he left dragon because i think a lot of people that remember ricochet exclusively as a dragon guy is he was and, and i always loved him i always found a lot but he was just kind of flippy dude you know what i mean like that was basically all he was doing there and it was incredible and the stuff he was doing was just mind-blowing but little by little he sort of gained a lot more and then like this match saw you saw a lot of that you saw that really great you know fireman's carry into the kick to eight but then at the end of the day when he needed to use the flying to win he did you know he does the 450 Ada kicks out and he goes all right well i'll do the 630 then or he does i think a springboard 450 into the 630 or whatever and it was just like it's still shows you how great this guy is as a flyer and then Ata was just as good as well and these dudes were just jumping so far off out of the ring and, and it's just it's amazing what they can do and dragon it just those sort of things just look so much better in dragon it, it, either the way they shoot it the way the arena is set up or whatever but ricochet looks like he's jumping like 20 feet when he goes yeah. out of the ring or whatever he does like a, a tope and it's just like fuck he's just flying forever and they zoom out at the perfect time they just nailed it so now this is a great man i mean well, one of the one of the better Ricochet matches I've seen this entire year. I thought it was wow, really good and a great. No, I, I liked it a lot. I thought it was really, really good. And Ricochet, I mean, he's 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 had some good stuff this year, but I thought this was a great way to cap off the Dragon Gate run. I'm glad you brought up. I thought he did more flying than he's typically done in recent years. Really, I mean, this was he 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 pulled out all the stops here, and you're right, he did a lot of the stuff that he's kind of toned down. Like he'll do one or two of those spots per match now, but he really crammed everything into. This. No, you could tell he was definitely like, all right, this is that that was my legacy, and I'm going to go out, you know, yeah. with the way that people remember me. He played the, the the first part of the match seemed to be a little bit more of like kind of the classic, and then he just kind of was like, all right, let's go, <laughs> and then just kind of got nuts here. So I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was really good. It wasn't. It's weird because I almost thought it was going to be better. I, I don't know. I had this weird expectation with this match where I thought it was going to be just this incredible, mind blowing thing, and it was still very good, but not maybe on that mind blowing level. So it, it's weird where like you know I'd leave saying. 
that I loved it. It was one of my favorite Ricochet matches ever, but I was still somewhat, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of one of those weird things where you sort of come in with huge expectations, but. Kajitura successfully defends the Brave Gate against Genki Horaguchi. Breaking up the Jimmies, what it does is it gives you possibilities for more matches here as guys slowly settle into uh, whatever their next units are going to be. So they had a little mini mini feud here to set this one up. And I thought, look, I always love Kajitura. Um, I've, I've enjoyed this Brave Gate run. I think he's one of the most underrated wrestlers in the world when he gives a shit. His effort level depends on the level of his push. Um, I've stated that a million times right now is being pushed. So he tries hard. This is a good little match. And I thought it was a more definitive win than I thought we were going to get. Um, you know, he kind of put away uh, Horiguchi out of nowhere. It didn't go as long as I thought it was going to go. But these Kajitura matches, Brigade matches haven't gone long. Actually, no, they really haven't. I think about it. Um, but he's such a good worker. I mean, he's he's one of these guys. It's like, I think by now everybody recognizes how great Susumu is. And I think you can point to great Susumu matches over the years. I mean, people rave about the Susumu stuff, Dragon Gate UK, things like that. Kajator is a guy a little more low-key than Susumu. He's the guy where if you're not a Dragon Gate fan, you may not have even know who this guy is, but he's he's just he's just so low-key great when he's put in a position to be. I just love his style, and he's just so super smooth. And um, I thought he, he performed well here. I thought Horiguchi was good here. This is a good little match for the third match on the show. Yeah, he's one um, of those guys, uh, he's one of those guys where you really, like we said, where, where the chemistry that these guys have with the roster members really jumps off the page with this guy. Because the stuff yeah. he can do, how quickly he can do it, how quickly he can transition from one thing to another and, and do this and kind of move your arm here and, and drive you here and do this. Those, those sort of things are just like, and, and he's, He's not like the top, you know what I mean? Like he's not one of the top guys. He's just like roster, you know, in some ways, I, I think he's one of the better in-ring guys. He's a mid but, He's a mid Yeah, he's roster fodder for that, but he's fucking great. It's just like, it shows you how great that roster is. We have a guy like that where it's just like, yeah, here's just a guy. Here you go. And it's just like, that. that's just your guy in your roster. It's like, yeah. He's, but like the chemistry he has and what he's able to do in the ring and how well he works with everybody too. I mean, it, it, it's incredible. I and mean, this roster is just unbelievable at times. I thought his... Um... His match with uh, Yasuke Santa Maria at, I guess it was Dangerous Gate, over delivered. And I yeah, thought, yeah, right, right. The Flamita match was awesome. I think it was in July, Kobe, right? Kobe World. Um, the Flamita match. Am I, that, that's where that match was, right? The Flamita Fl- match. Yeah, I think you're right. It was Kobe wait. World. Yeah, it was Kobe World. Yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah. yeah, that was, I love that match. I think I like that match better than anybody did. I think I was the high man on that match. But uh, So I've liked his run. Um, I think he had a match with Yamamura that I haven't seen because that's when work was crazy. I think it was in the spring. Yeah, at um, Dead or Alive. That's the only match I haven't seen in the um, in his title run. Let me look it up real quick. Yeah, it was uh, Yamamura. I haven't seen that, so I can't speak on that one. But I really love the uh, Flamita match and the uh, Yusuke Santa Maria match. I thought over delivered, and I really like this match for what it was. You know, uh, third match on the show. Um, you know, and, and a good definitive win. I don't know where they're going. I, he can hold this title as long as he wants. I have no yeah, problem. I mean, with he's it. dominating, so yeah, go for it. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to chart a path of him losing right now because it seems like he's on such a dominant run, which is good. I like those. I, and then you know they'll catch him by surprise sometime, and some other random dude will just just get him on that night. So no, it's 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 fun. They do a good job of building that. Punch Tamanaga, T Hawk, and Konda. Konda, who's my least favorite guy on the roster. Yeah, um, oh, I, yeah. I, he does nothing for me. Worse uh, than Cyber Kong? You'd rather have Cyber Kong than? At least Cyber Kong has some personality, and I, 
I don't know. Conda just never did a yeah, thing. I forget Conda exists a lot of times until you, you know, do, right? You forget yeah, he exists. Yeah, like when he was in that Jimmy's match, I was like, oh yeah, Conda. Yeah, that's, that's, he's a thing. I, I don't even know. Was he in it? Was he one of the guys in it or did they leave him out? Kajator uh, was left out. Yeah, no, See, you don't even remember because he's Conda. Sure. No, he was there for sure, right? No, yeah, I think he's wearing the war paint and all that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So they faced uh, Don Fuji, Ryu Saito, another former Jimmy, and UT, three guys uh, meandering about, waiting to fall into a unit. And we'll see what happens with those guys. And the Berserk team wins. Here's my takeaway. You know, it is, of course, you know, T-Hawk scores the fall. We talked about that earlier. In a match like this, he's almost guaranteed the score to fall. What's up with Punch Tamanaga doing a Kenichiro Arai tribute gimmick here? <laughs> wearing the jumpsuit, right? I think he's like trying to be uh, my boy Kenichiro Arai, you know, and then that's he doesn't show up anymore in Dragon Gate, almost never. But I think Punch is kind of taking his role, so uh, that's something that stood out to me. And uh, you know, it's it's UT kind of just still floating around. They're waiting to to to, to, to reignite him and do something with him. Um, so not much more to say about this. There was nothing wrong with it. The one thing I will say. This and the eight-man opener, which was Kness, Mysterioso Jr., the Luchador, uh, Sachioko Boy, and Yosuke Santa Maria defeating Gamma, Kato Ashida, Mandai Ryu, okay, working as a babyface now, back from the injury. So that's a good story there. And Jason Lee. So what I wanted to say about these two matches was, and I think I alluded to this on Twitter, is, and Jason Lee, by the way, here's a guy, 25 years old, okay, Cruiserweight Classic, remember? Mm-hmm. In the first round, uh, Chinese staking. He got like three minutes with Rich Swan, and they chose Ho Ho One over this guy. <laughs> Is that not one of the more baffling roster decisions you've seen? I mean, what are they thinking? Have you seen the recent, like, so Ho Long, obviously, you know, he went away from WWE or whatever, went back to China. Have you seen, like, his recent tweets? He just, like, adds, like, famous wrestlers and is like, hey, would you be interested in wrestling in China? And, like, nobody ever... But here's, the th- but here's the thing. It's like... He's such a fucking geek. The thing about it is Ho Ho One asked to be released. Right. He'd still be there if he didn't ask to be released. And, and the only reason to begin with is because they were looking for Chinese wrestlers... How did they look at Ho Ho One and look at this guy and pick Ho Ho One over this dude? This dude's pretty good. He's not bad at all. Very good. Because I think uh, in the Corican he joined Maximum. He did. Yes. Yeah. The Corican. Yeah. So just uh, did you say Ata joined uh, Berserk? Did you? I did do that yet, or did I spoil that? Okay. Well, Ata turned on Dragon King and joined Berserk. So yeah, that on so the Ata's- same show. On the same show, and then Jason Lee joined up with Maximum. So we're going to see and, – and like you said, there's still some guys floating around there. Uh, so we'll see some units uh, shake up. Hopefully, you know, it's not going to happen, but Tri Vanguard can go away anytime they want. But, yeah, obviously, so that's, that's a few other guys that kind of went through different ways. But Jason Lee is the guy who came in on a tour. Uh, I forgot exactly what came – he came in for about a month or so or maybe a, a few months and impressed and, and got a job. So, hey, go for him. And that's a great unit for him in there, and, and he's going to be with a lot of really good guys too. So I like that Maximum unit. I mean, I already like them already, and, and putting Jason Lee in there, a guy that I really enjoy – it's just another step, and I think it's it's really cool. I, I like I like his work a lot, and I'm, I'm excited to see what he does in this company. It's it's he started in September, and he caught on. And here's another guy, 25 years old. Now he's not a system guy. We know how things work in Japan, and that may work against him to some extent. But uh, another 25 year old, uh, and he looked good here. Um, I've seen a little bit. I haven't been on top of the Dragon Gate the way I'd like to be, but I've seen a few of his other match. He look he he looks all right. I thought Mysterioso Junior looked good in this match. And what I wanted to say about these two um, 
you know, openers, the eight man tag and the six man tag. I just, when I watch Dragon Gate, I sit there and I think about it and it's like these throwaway openers that open these shows, these hot, you know, six man tag and eight man tags, you know, and, and, and it's just, it's the Dragon Gate curve because you don't think anything of these matches other than, ah, that was a really, that was a really cool match, right? But there's a lot of months where they would be the best WWE match on TV in a given month. You know, not every month, but there's certain months where there's bad WWE TV months where any of these Dragon Gate six or eight man tags would be the best WWE TV match in a given month. But when they happen in Dragon Gate, you just disregard them. That's you know, they're, they're just, too good too often that you just <laughs> lose track of how good they are and just like, but yeah, whatever. Plop, especially that eight man tag that opened the show. You plop that on a, on a SmackDown and people are talking about it for, for three weeks. Right. You know, with the with the speed that it's worked out and the crispness and the the hot moves and those sorts of things. And now I get it. That's not WWE style, and they're not going to allow their guys to work. This is why I say, you know, and, and you see a little bit of it on main event when the 205 Live guys work main event. But, you know, 205 Live should really do more trios matches and eight-man tags. Just let guys go out there and fly around. And if you're doing it in a trios match or an eight-man tag, you're not really put. look it. Each guy only has to do one big spot. It's not like they're getting huge wear and tear on their bodies. Like, you know what I mean? There's eight guys in the fucking match. You know what I mean? Yeah. You do a hot dive sequence where everybody gets, you know, one chance to shine. And man, you know, that would, you know, especially main event before, you know, a show. So you, know, you get the crowd hot. I mean, they're just there's so many things they could be doing with 205 Live that they don't if they would follow the models of, of what some of these other promotions do. But I enjoyed both of these matches. Um, you know, I wanted to make note of the Jason Lee thing. And uh, and the Punch Tamanaga uh, tribute act that he's doing there. Did you have any other takeaways from this? Mysterioso Jr., I thought he, he fit like a glove with the Lucha stuff. Lucha guys usually do look good here, uh, whether it's Drastic Boy or Flamita, of course, in recent years, the DTU guys. He's not a DTU guy, Mysterioso Jr., but um, he's another guy who they gave a shot. I don't know if he'll necessarily be back. Um, yeah, well, he's going to be interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh... Uh, what his style is, but yeah, no, I, I liked them both. I think you, you kind of nailed it there. I'm, I'm really excited about uh, Jason Lee. He's a guy that, you know, again, like he, he doesn't, he's not just incredible. Oh, oh my God, what a coup they got here. But again, like you said, 25 and we'll see how he develops and see what he does here. But yeah, just another guy to add uh, to Dragon Gate's list of, of, of great young wrestlers. And that's why you're saying you don't necessarily need to like immediately go, Oh God, we got to get T-Hawk going. And oh my God, everyone's going to fail. Like you got like 10 dudes, you know, at this point, like one of the, a few of them are going to be good. So it's just like, let it happen. You, you'll know when, when it happens. And yeah, they, they decided to go the opposite way with it a lot. So. I was just looking at results and Mysterioso Jr. He came in for this one tour. He, he picked up a win against Yusuke Santa Maria. Now I know mm, it's a dark match. Yeah, that's but still no. a big win. I mean, no, that, that's big. Yeah, that is big. Meaning your shun Skywalkers doesn't mean anything, but and I know Santa Maria is not being pushed right now, um, but still, you know that that kind of jumped out at me. But I, but she, I has, she has some cachet though. I mean that that's still that's that's not nothing. That that's a thing still. Yeah, that former Brave Gate champion. All right, that that's story. what I mean. It's not just like you know <laughs> roster fodder. I mean that that's you know that that's someone that, that that has been a big deal in the past. So I don't know. It's cool. Speaking of Shun Skywalker, big win in the dark match over uh, Iron Mike Spears boy, Hio Watanabe. So, uh, <laughs> look, this was a fun little dark match opener. You know, it, the thing about this company is everyone can go. Um, it's very rare that a Dragon Gate match disappoints. You know that? When's the last time you watched a Dragon Gate match and you were yeah, like, really that's that, yeah. <laughs> right, that, that was, was no good. Terrible. Man. It would have to be something with um, either Cyber Kong or Punch. It had to be Tamanaga. something with the bullshit of 
people hitting each other with the case, like one of the cage matches or whatever. But that's that's not because the work wasn't good. It's just because that's sort of the story they were trying to tell is like a bunch of dudes came in with cases and threw, you know, so, like that's what I mean. Like I, I'm trying to think of like a straight on like. But even the a- people who suck don't get a lot of singles matches. Right, exactly. They, they do a good job of that. And even like, yeah, I'm really, really trying to think of the last time I was like, well, that match just sucked. What's but- the last punch Tamanaga singles match? You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. it, it's, it's. There just aren't any, you know, unless it's like um, um, or something. Um, well, I, mean, I might be wrong about that, but in terms of televised, let, let me look it up. I'm looking at it here. Let's see. Punch yeah. Tamanaga. Yeah, for me, for me, it's just the bullshit matches. The matches where it's just you know a bunch of like the Dead or Alive cage matches, which again, like there's some some sort of fun badness to them that I enjoy. But yeah, that would be the last ones that I really dislike, or like matches that just are filled with a bunch of you know briefcases and interference and all that sort of stuff. But you kind of know when that match is going to happen. You know what I mean? Like rarely is it like some great Brave Gate match that gets ruined by you know a bunch of dudes hitting each other. With briefcases, it's just like, no, you know what matches are going to be that way and what aren't. So outside of dark matches, uh, Dragon Gate Next and um, and uh, and Dragon Gate Prime Zone, the only singles match Punch has had in a while is a match against UT on this past tour, which I'm sure was the opener of whatever show that was. Um, but yeah, it's like they, they keep these guys out of spots where they're going to look bad. Um, you know, King of Gate, obviously, you're going to... Um, you're going to see singles matches, but outside of that, yeah, I mean, it is, you don't see, you know, a lot of times too with their, with their, with their, with their shittier wrestlers, when they aren't single matches, the tournaments and some things, they're very gimmicked, you know, they'll do a 30 second match or they'll do, you know, uh, you know, a comedy match or something like that. They just don't put people in position to have shitty matches. They're, they're just so few and far between. All right. I think I'll sign uh, Dragon Gate. I okay, think uh, we, so. covered, we covered every match, right? I think we got it. Yeah, and I know um lead thing, we hit the eight to turn, and uh yeah, so yeah, we're uh, we're I I'm again it's one of those things where this wasn't a show that like it was a really good show. It's not maybe one of those ones like people always ask us, it's like a great time to like jump into Dragon Gate or whatever. And 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 people always ask us that a lot, and, and we get it, and we got it for the show as well. People always say it. one of the things I'm gonna say, I, like I I've almost stopped saying that there's a good point. I think the only way to really get into Dragon Gate is just jump in and just just you just gotta watch it for a few months. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. There are points sometimes where it's like, oh well, a new unit just did, or there's big unit shakeup or whatever. But like at this point, just jump in. You know what I mean? Like you're gonna enjoy it, and if you don't enjoy it right away, stick with it a little bit. And if you don't enjoy it after a few months, then maybe it's not for you. But I just I can't imagine. I mean, they're just the, the, the roster is just so good right now, and it's just brimming with so many good guys that even if the stories aren't really clicking with you, and I know with some people they aren't clicking, just the in ring work is is good enough as is. And 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 they had a really good year at the beginning of the year, and I'm really excited for the, the last half of the year as well. And I, I you know Mochizuki as a champion, I really do enjoy as well. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what Dragon kind of do for the rest of the year and, and, and into 2018 as well because i think there's that brimming like you said that big brimming <laughs> group of young wrestlers and they got to go somewhere and they got to do something so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of uh shakes out but no I, i'm uh, yeah trying to get a good show so definitely uh, definitely check that out yeah i'm done um I'm done trying to tell people, look, for any of these promotions, the best time to jump in is just right now. Yeah, the best time to jump in is when you think you should you're, jump in. And you're just- going to be confused for a couple of shows, no matter what promotion you're jumping into blind. But then after a couple shows, you're going to fi- you're going to have some wrestlers that, that appeal to you, that, that, uh, that, that, um, that connect with you. And then, you, you know, you're going to figure out what wrestlers you don't like. And you just, and, and eventually you're going to catch up on the storylines. You just have to jump in when you jump in. That's just, a, you, you, there's no such thing as a perfect jump point. Just start watching. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and, and Dragon Gate's one of those ones we get it every single time. Oh, is this? I is this a great time? Is this a great time? And it's just like you know, what? I'm almost got. Just do it. Just go. Just jump in because I think you're gonna find something you like in this company. That's it's what we always say about this, and and it's 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 great. I wish I wish we had more time to talk about it, but fucking WWE has to be nuts all the time, and New Japan has to keep doing stuff, and unfortunately, Dragon gets pushed back. But we uh we weren't gonna miss it on this night. We were not gonna miss it. So we both watched it. We both enjoyed it. So try to get more regular Dragon Gate, but we'll see what happens. If we don't, open the voice gate on our, our very own network as well. It does a great job. So um, we got a little bit of time here. You want to get into Bound for Glory, TNA Bound for Glory. We got to get into Bound for Glory. We have to. So you stole my thunder here because you tweeted out a little bit earlier that my entire thing was going to be, look, I know that the show wasn't great, that a lot of people had a lot of shit for it, but it wasn't as bad as any that people were saying. Like, I was expected to sit down and it was like an absolute wrestle crap, like, you know, Matthew Bachamania level. And it just like, there was a lot of perplexing decisions and the booking was shit, but like the, the show itself wasn't that bad. It was all right. Like, I, I kind of didn't mind it that much. It was a slightly below average show. I mean, I was watching people watch it in real time, and they were burying this. Like, this wasn't even one of the twenty worst TNA pay per views. No, I mean, Jesus Christ, it wasn't the worst. TNA I mean, that's the thing is that when I, when people were, were like, "Oh, oh God," I, I was watching this and going, "Okay, well, this is going to be a disaster." This is going to be. I, I don't listen to Dave Meltzer, and I listen to all these guys review the show, and I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be a complete disaster." And it never. I keep watching and watching and watching. And I'm realizing I'm at the main event already. I'm like, "All right, like this is really not a disaster." I thought this was absolutely like an unbelievable, unmitigated, complete destruction disaster laughable show and it wasn't it was just like you said below average which for tna pay-per-views is pretty good like they've had much worse trust me they've had much much worse than below average so i thought it was fun i mean i review them all i've i've seen a lot worse than this i mean this was just a show with some poor booking decisions um and 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 you know no matches that i would call like really good or anything like that but it wasn't you know i was expecting you know everyone buried the fuck out of i mean buried the fuck out of this show live and it's like Again, maybe, maybe again, it was just a victim of expectations in the opposite direction. Maybe I was expecting it to be so horrendous, and then when it wasn't, it kind of over-delivered in a sense. But um, we can go through match by match. I mean, nothing was particularly good. I mean, the one match that was on the verge of – I guess I shouldn't say that. There were a couple matches I liked, but the one match that I thought was on the verge of being really good, we'll start with the main event. I thought this was the, this was the best match of Eli Drake's career. Oh, yeah, I don't think it's even – under concern. that was one of the things when this match and this, this was the one where i kind of went away going like geez people hated the show but like that main event other than other than the main like the finish well, yeah, the, booking, the, the, the finish yeah, yeah. the booking yeah it, the booking it's was shit yeah because the, the 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 del rio or el patron run-in i completely ruined what was developing into a really good match really good match yeah i thought and mundo's a guy or, or impact or whatever is a guy that i don't really enjoy i mean i talked about it on, on the yeah. last show where i haven't really enjoyed a lot of what he's done in a while i thought he was great here and i thought eli drake was way over delivered i was expecting yeah. eli drake to completely shit the bed and he was he was really good in this match it was he's just, working hard he, he's yeah. he's into the role i mean this is what we talked about last week and uh yeah i thought johnny impact um uh, was very good in this match and i i thought this was on the uh, on its way to being a solid three and a quarter three and a half star match and then the alberto el patron thing happened um now the crowd wasn't really into it um but the crowd really wasn't in anything all night i mean you know that was that was a major problem um but yeah i mean just a terrible way to end the show with 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 patron costing impact the match and Drake retaining when impact, you know, the story was he kept fighting off Chris Adonis 
and was basically beating two guys at once and looked like he was on the verge of winning the title and Patron cost him the title. So um, after Patron gave that never ending promo earlier in the show, um, uh, which again, look, you know, I, that promo, which went way too long and didn't really achieve its objective because fans were chanting for him like he was a baby face. And the idea was to clearly establish him as a heel. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think he crossed the lines that people thought that he crossed with that promo either. I mean, he went a little bit too far into the area of, um, you know, I didn't do what I think you, what you think I did and that sort of thing, but he never directly addressed the domestic abuse, um, um, accusations, unless I'm misremembering. Yeah, um, I, 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 he didn't necessarily say this is what, but he, he kind of tiptoed the line, which again, like, it, it, which is why I thought he did so tiptoe the line. Look, look, it is stupid. I'm not defending, yeah, right, right, right. But, but here's what I'm saying. He definitely should have just stuck to. I was unjustly stripped of my title and and kept it in pro wrestling. Right. Um, Whereas you tiptoe around it and you assume that everybody watching knows what the hell you're talking about. Because a lot of like, people did. No, and I know, and there was a lot of people in the crowd that were just sitting there, and like he's doing his promo, and people are like, yeah, 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 and then little by little, as it kept going on, kept going on, they, they were like booing, but they were booing because it was going on for fucking forever, but they weren't booing because he was talking about domestic violence or anything like that, and that's that's one of the fundamental issues that if you're going to, if you are going to address this, which absolutely 100% I would not, but if you are going to, don't tiptoe, and then, then use it, like say you're going to do it, but I wouldn't do it anyway. Like I would Go just, full scum and just do it. Right, if you're going to be a scumbag, then be a scumbag, but if you're not going to, like, then it, it was almost like a half-ass weird like it was just a terrible idea all around and the problem is you have a pro wrestling story to tell with this if you want to just yeah. say whatever he got acquitted or what he didn't get acquitted or the all he has to say is, you is i was title for no my reason. title and unjustly suspended and leave it at that and then right. do a pro wrestling promo you don't have to sort of say oh the things you thought i did i didn't do or you know it's and, and, like, and go on and on and on like, hint hint nudge nudge and it's just like oh god and then the promo was like fucking 25 minutes long it's like get out of the yeah. damn room because Jesus I think Christ. he was, I think he was trying to get over as a heel, and, he, and people were still chanting for him. He went over to Borash, and they were chanting for him to put Borash through a table. <laughs> Borash just sitting there, like, and it's like, it's like, but, but the thing about it is, I didn't think that he was rubbing domestic abuse in people's faces, like like some were saying. I didn't see it that way. I I don't think he, I think he tiptoed that line, but I I, I don't think he crossed it. Um, yeah, I just thought it was a really bad idea or bad plan yeah, whatever yeah. they well, wanted to get out of it they weren't going to get out of it and, and and just yeah i would have really avoided what they did it could have been yeah they could have expedited it it could have been done in a much uh, more efficient manner and you know they didn't have to even come close to crossing that line which they which they did but you know he came out and uh and cost drake the match which it was on its way to being the best match on the show in my opinion um lashley and king mo with the american top team and manager of the year dan lambert defeat Moose and Stefan Bonner. I liked this. For the car crash that it was, I liked this. I saw. I thought Stefan Bonner was better than I thought he was going to be. The problem with Stefan Bonner is he doesn't know how to carry himself as a pro wrestler. What he was doing physically was fine, but it was during the downtimes where he didn't know how to carry himself as a wrestler and project himself as a star. But right. it was his first fucking match. You know, so you can kind of give him a break from that regard. But I thought his, his wrestling, his physical activity was fine. Um, and, and the American top team goons, when they finally got in the ring and they were just climbing all over the cage and jumping all over the place, I thought it was fun. Look, I didn't think this was any kind of great match, but I had fun watching this. 
And I thought Moose worked his ass off. Oh, Moose fucking busted his ass with this one. The one thing I had, you mentioned the American top team running in and all that stuff. The problem is they just kind of like opened the door and ran in. And there was no explanation for why the door was just able to be open at any point. Like, I, I didn't mind it because it was just like, oh, I enjoy that there's kind of chaos going on. But it was like why, it, the, the logic gap there of they just like all of a sudden decided, ah, you know what, let's open this door and get in here. And then they just did. And there was no like stopping them whatsoever. So that was kind of silly. But but I thought Moose busted his ass. And, and King Mo, despite training to be a wrestler for like the last nine years, is still fucking horrible. But hey. Yeah. Like that guy's been training. Like we, he's been training as long as we've been doing this podcast. And he was in Ohio Valley wrestling. <laughs> And he's horrible and he's still terrible. Like, yeah. Like, you can't even take it. Like, that dude cut the fuck out of his face because he just doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to get his hands in the right direction. Like, yeah. what are you doing? What have you been learning? What, like, maybe it's, maybe you should just, just, just forget it. It's not, it's probably not going to happen, buddy. But no, I thought, I thought Moose busted his ass in this and he took a lot of uh, solid bombs. He did big, big dives. Like, I thought Moose was, was wanted to make this thing a big deal. And, and when it was all said and done, other than a few of the logic gaps, I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was fun, kind of clusterfuck wrestling. So I was okay with it. I had no problem with it. Moose doing the high cross body off the top of the cage was the highlight of the match. You know, so he really put his body on the line. Gail Kim in her final match, she did vacate the title of the tapings, beat Sienna and Ali. Sienna was the former champion. This was not a good match. Um, I thought Kim tried hard enough. I thought the finish was good with the eat the feet off the top rope, which was a nice little twist on that move after Sienna had Ali up for the AK-47. Get it, Rich? AK? Yeah, no. No, okay. Uh, but anyway, yeah, she she dumped Allie over the top rope with the AK forty seven, and Gail Kim uh, hits the eat, eat the feet off the top rope, which looked good. But it was about the only thing that looked good in this match. Yeah, um, I know you can't stand Sienna. Uh, I know you probably people bury her good. again. Like, I just I, I if somebody can I've seen her live. I've seen her here, and like I, I've never seen somebody that people just say is good, and I've never ever ever seen her ever. And, and she's always the worst part of every match. Like. I like I don't know. I, I guess she's nice to people on Twitter, so that's cool. But I you know I don't know what they what else they did at the tapings in regard to the title, but I would do a slow build to Allie. Allie is tremendous in every way. Um she's adorable, she's good at promos, she's good in the ring, um, she's over, and uh she's one of the best characters that they've put together in in, in, in recent uh years. Yeah, so, they they I, have something with her, so I hope they do. The the one yeah. The one issue that I had more so than the, the work in this match was so Gail Kim wins. They've been building up the story for months. Is her last match? She wins the title in her last match. They can't give her more than fucking fifteen seconds before they go to the back for some promo. And it's like, what are you, you idiots? You guys are just the dumbest. Like, they let that breathe. No, nope, let it right. breathe. It's fifteen seconds. of Boris is like, all right, we're going to the back. It's like, no, you've been building up the story. Like, bad like, job. They, they talk about how emotional it is, and she's got about ready to just like cry and they're like all right we'll go to the back and it's just like oh my god and that's that's like a, a meme that people made up about you know like that's sort of a, a tna meme back in the day the mike tna to the back or whatever and this was that encapsulated and it's like this is a great story to tell like let the camera just stay on her for like a minute it was 15 seconds boom to the back it's like what it's a terrible job it's a terrible job it's god. terrible job. you got <laughs> you got to send someone down there to interview her Right. I mean, they've been building this up for months, for years. This is like the legacy, the one of the one of the very few real great legacy stories that they yes. can still tell in this company, and they did it in fifteen seconds. This is one of the. This is arguably, with the exception of Abyss, this is this is someone who is one of the biggest stars of the company, a true icon of the company, who chose to be there. She wasn't there because WWE didn't want her. Because WWE gave up on her. She wasn't there because she failed WWE wellness. This is someone who wanted to be with TNA always. 
She didn't even want to go to WWE when she went back. Popped out of the ring in a battle royal and ran back to TNA the first chance. She wanted to be with this company. She's a legitimate icon here. And that's how you have her. I mean, I'm, I suppose they did something at the taping. They did. They she, did a nice send off. But this would have been a great moment. But to this win, is really. when the match that she won, where she won the her final knockout title. The division's been built around her for years. Such a poor job not letting that moment breathe. They're so right. It's just you know, it's like, what are they thinking with that? If you're running out of time, cut four minutes off the next match because, <laughs> yeah. because this is more important. Yeah. This is the most important, one of the most important things you do in this entire show. If maybe, maybe the most important thing for your legacy, for your history, for everything. And then 15 seconds, the way everything else played out, it was the most important thing on the show. Yeah. It was way more important to me than, than another standard issue of, you know, running in the main event. Very disappointing. Very disappointing. It shouldn't even have been a three-way, you know, why couldn't she just face Sienna? Why did Allie have to be involved here? As much as I like Allie. And you get the feeling that Taryn Terrell would have been involved if she didn't quit the company. It would have been a four-way. But match, Sienna's been a, a, a heel champion for a relatively long time based on modern standards or whatever, especially for this company. Why not just have her beat her one-on-one and create a good moment? Have her stand on the turnbuckle, drop some fucking confetti, do something. You know? That match to go out on. Yeah. So it wasn't a very good match. Yeah. Dave and Jake Christ. That's what are these fucking titles? Is this the Impact Tag Team titles? Is it the Global Four? What these, is, are, these are the uh, the Impact the, the Pop TV Tag Team titles. We'll go with that. What yeah, are they called? I, I believe they're the Impact World Tag Team titles. So the, these are Drake's, Impact ones. Because Drake's title is the Impact Global title, correct? Global, yeah. Because it's not even World; it's Global. It's everything. Right. But these are the universes. The other titles were merged, but they're called the Impact World titles, correct? Correct. Yes, these are the Impact World tag team titles. These are not global; these are just world. Whereas Eli Drake is a global champion. So Dave and Jake Chris, I I got it. I got it. Dave and Jake Chris defend against the Latin American Exchange, Ortiz and Santana. This was a lot of fun too. This probably because of the shitty finish in the main event. This was probably my favorite match on the show. Um, I predicted it would be the best match on the show. It wouldn't have been without the run-in in the main event, but I think with the run-in in the main event, I ended up being right, at least in my opinion. I'll get yours in a second. Um, I thought um, Dave and Jake Chris took some enormous bumps here. Early in the match, you had uh, it was either Ortiz or Santana powerbombing either Dave or Jake through a table off the entrance ramp. And then the other Chris was set up on a table, and the other member of LAX – um, climbed up the lighting rig and did a frog splash through the table. So those were the two big spots in the match. Then they were setting up ladders in between the guardrail and the ring. And uh, Sammy Callahan ran in at the end of this match. Nobody oh, in the yeah? building. I heard nothing. I didn't hear a thing. <laughs> you sure you, you did? May, you may have missed it. Nobody in the building knew who the fuck he was. It got over like a wet fart. It was supposed to be a double turn. But because nobody knew who Sammy Callahan was, just none of this got over. Um, he throws either Ortiz or Santana. I can't remember which one it was through the ladder, which was set up between yeah. the. And, and by the way, we, we have heard from people in the know that that was a double turn. That the the goal of it that was, was go be, let's do a double turn, and yeah, right. <laughs> the goal was not met. I don't think so. Which I don't have a problem with because Latin American Exchange is one of the most overacts in the company. So I really don't have a problem with the double turn. Um, it just didn't get over because I think they expected people to know who Sammy Callahan was, and they didn't. And I don't really mind pairing Sammy Callahan up with these guys because he kind of fits the gimmick and all that sort of. It just, it, it just didn't work for this crowd. 
Um, so they successfully defend the titles there in the 5150 street fight. And uh, I thought it was fun. I thought this, along with the cage match, uh, were a lot of fun. And I thought the main event was uh, pretty good, too, until the run-in. What did you think of this? Uh, yeah, I like this, too. This is probably, when I really look at it, uh, you know, all things considered, probably my favorite match on the entire card. And, yeah, I thought it was really good, and I thought everybody, you know, worked their ass off. I mean, the, the Sammy Callahan thing, you know, in a vacuum, if you had the, you know, TV on mute, which was fine, you you would have thought it was a pretty big deal. But then if you unmuted it, it would kind of be the same sound. But So that kind of hurt that, like, nobody cared whatsoever, and that was supposed to be kind of a big moment. But, no, I, I enjoyed it, and I thought a lot everybody kind of did the right amount of risks without getting too crazy as well. I think it was just just a good, nice kind of brawling hardcore match or whatever. So, so not bad. I, I did find it funny that um, at one point, I believe it was, I forgot, who, who walked up to the lighting grid that you mentioned? It was. I don't remember which guy. Yeah, it was which, but within like guy. within like five seconds of him going out to the crowd, the crowd just started t- chanting, "We can't see shit, can't see shit, or whatever." And you know, eventually he jumped off, and it was really cool, or whatever. But it's just like, crowd, man, crowd brawling just sucks for live audiences. Just don't do it anymore. Just stop. It was it was Santana who climbed the lighting okay, okay. and and did the frog splash. I'm looking at my notes now uh, through uh, Dave Chris. And it was also Santana who got uh, flipped off the top rope by Callahan and went through the ladder. So oh, geez, Santana, so he really worked his ass off here. To, he did. Santana, that, that one from the lighting grid was rough. That was but, not a good But don't forget, Callahan also gave Ortiz a pile driver through a table off of the apron. That's so, true. That's right. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I guess he didn't get out totally clean, yeah. but yeah. So all everybody in this match, all four guys, really busted their ass. So. Yeah, and that's, I think, that's all we ask. I mean, yeah, it wasn't maybe the fundamentally best match, but everybody worked their ass off, so. Hey, it was a fifty-one fifty street fight, you know. <laughs> you know, you know those. You can't can't slack off in a fifty-one fifty street fight. Absolutely not. So now we're getting into to a, a very shitty stretch of matches here. Team Impact defeats Team AAA. Story here was Ethan Carter the third really wasn't. It was it was ambiguous. You know, Eddie Edwards and James Storm were all gung ho about defending Team Impact against these dastardly Team AAA members. El Hio del Fantasma, who's incredible. Tejano, who's uh, who's good enough, and Pagano, who's the shit. And uh, eventually, Ethan Carter III, he was like refusing to tag in, and you know that was sort of the gimmick. He didn't speak in the pre-match promo, but uh, by the end of the match, he was all about Team Impact, and uh, I believe he ended up scoring. No, 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 he set up uh, James Storm to 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 pin Pagano at mm-hmm. the end of the match, and uh, Team Impact were winners, and everybody was happy. So this was not much of a match. It was okay. Uh, I don't know. Too- Pagano is so horrible. The thing about so Pagano, bad. here's the thing about Good Pagano. God, it's so bad. The thing about Pagano is I think his mind does things that his body cannot do. Yes. And he, he attempts these. He's only 31. You would think he wrestles like he's 57. He wrestles like he's Mil Masker. <laughs> he really feels he's like 31? he's 31. Thinking Christ. his way through every spot. He tries these like springboard maneuvers and it's just awkward and slow. Yeah, he tried to do like a springboard insecurity or some shit. And it just like looked like garbage. And even Borash was just like, I, I don't know what it's. Like. He's just not good. Um, but yeah. And, and Ethan Carter, the third is not good. And no. Ethan Carter, the third is, is, is all, all promo. He's all gimmick. Um, he's not a baby. He really should just turn heel again. Um, you know, it's, 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 the baby face thing doesn't work for him, but maybe he did it. The tapings for all I know, I didn't read the spoilers. So who knows? Yeah. I haven't read the spoilers either. Wasn't much of a match. It was kind of a waste of Eddie Edwards and and Phantasma. I would have liked to seen them have a singles match for the GHC title. That would have been kind of cool. Um, Eddie Edwards took a pile driver on the apron. Um, from Phantasma that took him out of the match to set up the finish. I thought Tejano was fine. It's just Pagano stinks. And, yeah, Pagano's uh, terrible, and Ethan Carter's not good. 
they, yeah. they were kind of focal points for a lot. Ethan Carter at least was, but no, I thought the, the real thing was just the waste of Eddie Edwards and just like a guy that you can really put in a big featured spot. He was just kind of here along for the ride with two guys that aren't, aren't very good in, in a match that wasn't very good. So kind of a waste, but. Abyss and Grado in the Comedy Monsters ball match. There was no sinister minister. Uh, James Mitchell here. I guess he was just part of Build, but they didn't fly him to Canada for the actual match. Look, this was horrendous. Uh, this was really, really bad. Thanks. Um, there's certain things he's good at, I suppose. I don't mind a character like Grado on your undercard, in your prelims, for a little bit of comedy. I don't mind it. I really don't. But he's really bad in the ring. The finish was horrendous. Oh my I god, mean, he wouldn't get up. It's like, dude, you gotta, you gotta like, get up for the black hole slam. Yeah, you don't have um, to get up that much. You just gotta like get off your feet. I felt bad. Like when a bitch is like, come on, man, let's go. <laughs> like, let's figure this out here a little. Like, just yeah. jump and Abyss will do the work. Right. That's what I mean. Like, buddy, well, like, just a minimal little bit of effort. Just a little bit of effort, and I got this for you. But he probably was scared about going into the tax. I, I don't know what the hell it was, but yeah, it was just a disaster. You have the the weird. All of a sudden, poor Brandon Tolley gets like the two count, gets the bell. He, he counts for two, and some fucking ring announcer, I'm sure, didn't get paid. Ring the bell, and then Tolley's like, "No, I didn't say three. I said two. And it, the whole match is a disaster. I mean, that, that finish was terrible, and it, it just I, I felt really bad for everybody. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You had the bell ring before the match was over. You had the <laughs> terrible finish. Um, yeah, it just wasn't good. Uh, Grado loses his work visa. He must leave the United States. Obviously, once he, gets, once he goes back to the United States, he must leave. So, well, not only that, yeah, like the loophole. Ob- Obviously, him sticking around. I, again, I haven't seen the tapings, but I would assume that's what they're going to do. Um, Abyss doesn't even set up the thumbtack spots anymore. He just dumps them immediately. <laughs> I told you. I told you. It'd be like, and this one was like six minutes into this match. Yeah. Tax yeah. out already. <laughs> I mean, usually it's well built at least. No, and not anymore, man. He doesn't, he's like, just like, fuck it. Let's get this over with. Let's just dump them in and, and go from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Taiji Ishimori uh, defeated Tyson. Now, they've announced him as Tyson Ducks. We have this conversation every time. Is it Tyson Ducks or is it Tyson Duke? I just started calling him Tyson Duke, so I'm sticking with that because everybody got mad at me when I called him Tyson Ducks. So I'm, I'm back to the Dukes. I'm not changing again. Now, yeah, now, okay, that's a third option because there's Tyson Ducks, like like the animal that swims in a lake. Ducks, right? The plural of the animal. Yeah, you're right, right. Tyson Ducks. Then you have Tyson Dukes, like the old wrestler Derek Dukes, right? But then you have Tyson Duke. Oh, I'm not doing that. Silent no, X. Doing that, yeah. What the fuck is this man's name? Because I've heard all three. They I'm doing ducks. I'm doing ducks. That's what I'm going with. They called them ducks, so I'm going to call them ducks. This was unannounced. Rosemary, who we forgot to mention, got involved in the Abyss match because her opponent, uh, Taya Valkyrie, was unable to wrestle on this show. What Was she unable to get in the country or something? What was uh, I don't doing? know, which is weird because she's from there, so I don't, I don't know exactly yeah, I, what the issue was. I don't know either. We're I doing too, a, I'm like, oh, someone's got a bad visa, and it's like she's from Canada. I was like, okay, never mind. I don't know now. So. That's a bad job out of us for not knowing why. Um, you know, We're bad hosts, but that match wasn't able to happen. Well, so I don't, I don't care that much. I mean, if I, I cared, know. I probably would have figured well, it out. Well, Rich, but. we should know these things. Yeah, we're professionals. Um, you know, uh, Taiji Ishimori, uh, obviously was just hanging around cause he was going to, you know, I thought it was strange that he just randomly appeared. <laughs> uh, I'm in Ottawa. Do you guys need me? <laughs> but, um, he, he apparently worked three matches at the tapings. So he was there anyway. He was in town for the tapings a night early. So they threw him in there with a local guy. Um, it probably could have been a decent match, but it was a backdrop for Laurel Van Ness wandering around the crowd drunk. Uh, forcibly kissing fans, which isn't that sexual assault, Rich? I'm not touching that. <laughs> Move on. I mean, come on. 
If there was a male wrestler wandering around the crowd doing a drunk gimmick, forcibly kissing female fans, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't touch this one. All I'm saying is... I don't know why that didn't get more heat than uh, than, than than it did, but uh, but yeah, the focus is on Laurel Van Ness wandering around the crowd drunk, and, and I need some more in the ring. <laughs> it reminded me of like a first hour Nitro match during the worst era of Nitro, where they would just ignore what was going on in the ring, and you know, it just it just I don't I don't know what this was. I mean, why even have this match if that's what you're going to do? It was only four and a half minutes long. Why not just do a backstage segment with Laurel Van Ness to set up whatever you were setting up? With her. I mean, what was the point of this? Yeah, they didn't even show yeah. any of it. I don't know. It just made no sense to me. I mean, it's not like, all right, if your argument is they needed to kill some time, they didn't. They killed four minutes. Exactly. You know? <laughs> right. They needed to get these guys in the card. They didn't either because neither of them were on the card initially. Here's yeah. get. There you go. There's the four minutes and fifty seconds you could have used for Gail Kim's celebration. You didn't need uh, to have this, this this fucking match. Five minutes is all you need with that Gail Kim thing. You're right. For this one and a half star match, are you kidding me? Okay, so the opener was a six-way X-Division match. Trevor Lee, uh, he beats Desmond Xavier in the end, stealing the pin from Petey Williams, who delivered the Canadian Destroyer. I am the last remaining fan of the Canadian Destroyer. Let me tell you something. Everybody hates the Canadian Destroyer. I still enjoy a good Canadian Destroyer. But you cannot hate on Petey Williams for doing the Canadian Destroyer. No, That's he's fun. allowed to. Yeah, he's fucking allowed to. And he's still one of his is still like the best, too. That's the best part about him. Yeah, I draw the line real. on hating on Petey Williams. You cannot hate on Petey Williams for doing the Canadian Destroyer. So he hits – and he was over. He was one of the most over people on this show. I don't know if it was just because it was the opener and people still cared or because it was Petey Williams in Canada. People were into the Petey Williams here. He hits the Canadian Destroyer on Desmond Xavier, who was your ex-cup winner. I don't know why he had to take the fall here. And then Trevor Lee steals the pin. His storyline has been that he's kind of a chicken shit, cowardly champion who uses nefarious means to retain his title. So from that perspective, I didn't mind. Would I rather just see Trevor Lee wrestle? Sure. But are they sticking the storyline continuity here? They are. So I can't complain too hard. Garza Jr. was wrestling with an injured shoulder for some reason. Can you just give the fucking guy the night off? He, couldn't move, don't his, he could not move his shoulder. When we say injured shoulder, he was in a brace and could not move. Like he, he legitimately. Rich, here is how you rebook this show. Taiji Ishimori replaces Garza Jr. in the opener. Okay. Tyson Duck stays. Tyson Duck stays home, and Gail Kim gets four minutes. I of think that works. And Alberto Del Rio does not get a live mic. Is how I would read right. the show too. Yeah, you know what? You don't even have to shave any time off of Patron. <laughs> you can let Patron die the death that he died before. You make those three simple changes that I made, and it's it's it, it improves the show exponentially. You know what I mean? It would have been that easy. Instead, you've got Garza Jr. trying to wrestle with one arm. You got the Taiji Ishimori Tyson Ducks match. It was so bad for him. He couldn't move it. It was so great stuff and in so much pain that he was like, oh my God. Like he was doing moves with one arm. He was just like, don't let this this guy wrestle. Yeah. Please, let him go home. Uh No condition Uh work. And I guess Desmond Xavier took the pin because Matt Seidel and Sanjay Dutt are veterans. I get that sort of thing that's going on there. But, you know, the guy did win the X-Cup gimmick. Right, you know? yeah. yeah. Kind of like – and maybe Garza Jr. would have took, taken the pin if he wasn't injured. But, again, put Tyson <laughs> Ducks in the match then, right? I mean, put someone else in the damn match. Oh, just, just so poorly booked. This doesn't, they don't think about it. I, I guarantee you, we, you and I have talked about this finish way more than they talked about it. Yeah. Way more. The, the the 45 seconds we've discussed it is far more than they've ever even considered it. So, yeah. It's just very simple changes that could have been made. I don't understand. 
Nice. But anyway, well, it was about three star match. It was all right. Yeah, it was good. I I, I enjoyed it. Probably my second favorite match of the entire night. Um, after He's the uh, five one five zero street. Yeah, so <laughs> that's about for glory. We we bitched a lot about it, but it's like again, the thing is when, when with, with TNA pay per views and people have to realize this that they are like historically bad shows usually, and this was not a historically bad show. It was no. just okay to eh, like. This was is eh, all right for TNA. A slightly below average show that people shit on unfairly. I mean, it wasn't good, but it wasn't nearly as bad as people made it out to be. And like I said, there were two or three matches here that I genuinely enjoyed. You know, um, right? And, you know, and, even from a car crash level. And one argument I saw, which is fair, is that this um, should have been a big moment for Impact. That this should have been a moment where they really say we're a new company. Da, yes. da, da, da. But I, I'm past that point because I've had like how many moments? And if you've been watching Impact from the day one or TNA or whatever, Gary Kidding can tell you this. How many times have you been like, all right, here's the time when they can really show the world that they're different? And I mean, you're up to like 20 of those. It's, it's, so assuming that that's gonna happen, you can never. You can you can take TNA you can you, you know you can take the TNA out of Impact but you can it, it, it it's always just going to be that it's just always going to be TNA at the end of the day and they've never delivered on the, every time you think oh this is the time where they're really going to show the world that they're ready to go it, it it's never that time and they never do that so you know defeatist attitude but that's what you got to do to be a an Impact wrestling fan so there you go anything else Joe or are we out of here for today I think we hit it all. I didn't see the I didn't see the flare doc. Nah, we'll, talk about that, <laughs> we'll talk about it next week if you get a chance. Uh, yeah. you know, I'll be honest, you didn't miss much. For my 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 quick little take on it is, if you're a wrestling fan, you're probably just going to go, man, eh, it was all right. If you're a non wrestling fan, you might enjoy it a little bit more. But wrestling fans, I think, if people that are at least, if you're a casual wrestling fan, you'll enjoy it. But if you're like one of these in the know wrestling fans, you're the one that knows a lot of the stuff, you know a lot of the backstage, you you're familiar with his career, you're just going to kind of shrug because it, it falls into one of the traps, unfortunately, with every wrestling documentary ever created that like the first half of the documentary has to be entry-level pro wrestling. Here's what it is. Is it fake? Well, the moves are real or like what it's core. You know what I mean? Like every documentary has to do that. You know, you watch a basketball documentary and I have to tell you, okay, so it's a rubber ball and the glass backboard. And then they, you try to score on your opponent's basket. You know what I mean? Like the Len Bias 30 for 30 didn't tell you how basketball was, you know, how it's played. Whereas this had to for the first 30 minutes because people think when they do a wrestling documentary, they have to say, oh, well, here, you know, right, here's right. what it is and here's the background and it's not fake, but it's choreographed. So that was unfortunately, it, it took up about a half an hour of doing that before you really got into the meat and potatoes of it. And the thing too is it just kind of, with Flair, it kind of went in a bunch of different directions with him. It didn't seem to really quite hone in on exactly what it was going to be. It was essentially just, here's the life of Ric Flair, which is is for better or for worse, okay. But, you know, the really good parts were him talking about him being a father and how, you know, he, he let down his, his kids. That's a really fun part. But then you also have parts where he just talks about how much he parties and they kind of do this weird, you know, WCW, WWF stuff. So it, it, it couldn't really find a clear focus. So I don't know. It's fine. Like, I, I would, you know, if you got 90 minutes or whatever, I, I would still watch it to check it out. But don't expect some groundbreaking, amazing documentary. You, any anybody listening to the show, most of you probably know everything that you learned in the documentary anyway but you know it, it was fine it's it, it's not like something to avoid but you know don't don't go in with high expectations is all i'll say and that's it all right so uh voicewrestling.com slash amazon as we mentioned uh before this christmas season it'll really help us out if you do all your amazon shopping at that link voicewrestling.com slash amazon also voicewrestling.com slash wwe shop anytime you want to shop on wwe shop just use voicewrestling.com slash WWE shop and it'll help us out a little bit. Same great shopping experiences, but we get a little bit back, so it's good for us. So anyway, for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Great. We'll see you next time on the Voices of Wrestling podcast. Take care.